You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the cool and exciting projects happening in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts for now, Mr. Tim Jirasi. How's it going? What's up, Kyle? It's going great. I think I could safely say this episode has been several years in the making when you think about it for what we're going to talk about on this episode. And to me, it's just as exciting about talking to the new Star Wars theatrical release, almost similar to how it was when The Force Awakens was coming out. And we just couldn't wait to talk about it once we saw it and review it. And I feel almost exactly the same as I do about Clone Wars. So this is going to be a real fun one. I cannot wait to dive in. Yeah, definitely. Um, Paul also should be joining us uh, shortly. Um, We actually were just on with him a little while ago. He was having some technical difficulties and he's kind of busy with some other stuff. So hopefully he'll be on soon um, and we'll all be talking Clone Wars together. Um, But yeah, like you said, I mean, it has been you know, a, a long, long time coming. I mean, Clone Wars was still on in its initial run when we first started this podcast. I mean, I think we yeah. started what fall of 2012. So that was during season five. Yep. Um, and I remember talking about the news when the show got canceled and then doing like our whole series retrospective and everything. And then how excited we were almost two years ago now when it was announced that the show was coming back. Um, and you know what I was thinking about too? Remember like all the news we were trying to follow with like the lost missions and how it like aired on some random German TV channel or something before it ended up Mm -hmm. on Netflix. And so, you know, we've, we've obviously talked a lot of clone wars over the years. It's something that's really special to all of us. And, uh, here we are now finally getting to review uh, not just the the last episode at the time of it being canceled or anything like that, but it's its final proper conclusion um, that we've been waiting for for so long. So this is going to be a really special one. Uh, but before we get into all the nitty gritty details of what went down in the Siege of Mandalore, uh, we got a couple news items to talk about first. Um, we're recording right now on a Friday. Just this past Monday was May the 4th. So hope you all had a great Star Wars day. Um, and enjoyed, obviously, the Clone Wars finale and all the other cool uh, Star Wars celebrations that were going on at that time. Um, not literal Star Wars celebration, because who knows if that's actually going to happen this year with all the coronavirus and stuff. But um, there was lots of fun stuff going on that day, and we actually got some uh, a couple of new announcements. Um, we had talked, I think, on our last episode about this new uh, Disney Plus series that was in the works 
with uh, Leslie Headland as the showrunner. And that had just been reported from like Variety and Hollywood Reporter and stuff. Well, that is now official, um, was reported by StarWars.com, along with the announcement that Taika Waititi is directing a live action Star Wars film um, that'll be coming up sometime in the future as well. So uh, two big confirmations on, um, you know, some some upcoming live action Star Wars content. Um but, uh, Tim, how are you feeling about Taika Waititi directing a Star Wars movie? So this one is where I'm feeling both excited, but also, I don't want to say disappointed, but a little hesitant also, because getting Taika to direct a Star Wars movie is going to be awesome. Obviously, what he did with the season finale of The Mandalorian was great, and Thor Ragnarok was great, and I think he could do some really cool stuff with an actual Star Wars movie. But the reason I'm hesitant is because will Taika actually direct a Star Wars movie? Mm. Because we've been down this road a million times before now. And I was kind of hoping that Lucasfilm would kind of move away from announcing directors and writers of a project before announcing what that project actually is. Because it's that same thing. Taika Waititi is going to direct a Star Wars movie. And it was also announced that uh, Academy Award nominee Christy Wilson, uh, Karens is going to be writing the movie with him. She's, uh, her credits was 1917, which I still want to see. I heard that movie's really good. But uh, so they're developing a Star Wars movie. We don't know what it is. It doesn't have a release date. And once we've gotten those announcements before, those are so easily, those scenarios can easily happen to what happens to so many other people on Star Wars projects where they get off the project and they leave or they get fired. And we just never know what they were working on. And then a few days later, uh, Hollywood trade site would reveal some details about what they were actually working on and why it didn't work out. So I'm hoping this is not the case because I really want to see a Star Wars movie directed by Taika Waititi, especially after seeing what he did with The Mandalorian. So hopefully this is the one that bucks the trend <laughs> where we get an announcement about some new creative teams working on a Star Wars project and we actually see that project that they're going to be working on. So I'm hopeful because this has the potential to be really, really cool. Yeah, Um I mean, I feel the same way. Like, I'm excited for it, and uh, I definitely agree with you. Like, I wish they would, you know, instead of just announcing these things about, like, the people that are going to be involved in a movie or a show or whatever before the thing actually takes shape creatively, like, it would be nice to wait till it's in development for a little bit and then say, hey, Taika Waititi is directing a movie about such and such character or set in, in this time period of the universe, and so we kind of know what the plan is for it. Um, but at the same time, I'm not too worried that like this might not see the light of day. Like I know they haven't they haven't had a great track record with um, some of these projects coming to fruition. But I will say, especially with directors that have like gotten fired or, or left projects early, it's usually been uh, for for one reason or another where it sounds like that might have actually been for the best, or it's been directors that have been involved in something with a lot of backlash that suddenly you know either. And, and of course, we don't know, like they, they put out their official press release, creative differences spin on it. But, you know, who knows what actually went on behind the scenes. But you look at like uh, Benioff and Weiss, the guys who did Game of Thrones, and they quit. You know, I'm pretty sure it was after season eight uh, of Game of Thrones aired. And obviously yeah, they, took a, they took a lot of flack for that. Uh, you know, even going back to like the first Star Wars spinoff film was going to be uh, a Boba Fett movie directed by Josh Trank. Um, or I, I guess maybe the first one is still going to be Rogue One. But, you know, back at that first celebration when they were announcing the spinoff films, there was supposed to be that Boba Fett film that Josh Trank was doing. But then 
Uh, he pulled out at the last minute, and th- there was you know all the reports about the um, the the troubled production on the Fantastic Four movie that he did. And I actually just read an interview with him recently. Um, or it was an article where they had pulled just a, a snippet from an interview that he did on a podcast or something, and he talked about that. And he basically said he quit because he knew that he was going to get fired if he didn't quit. Like, you could tell the writing was on the wall, and mm-hmm. they were <laughs> losing faith in him. So, um, And then, of course, you know, you had Lord and Miller got fired on the set of Solo. Gareth Edwards, you know, kind of got sidelined during the production of Rogue One because they didn't like the, the direction that was going. So, um, but... Taika, A, you know, he's he's not, like, quite A-list at the level of, like, a Martin Scorsese or somebody. Um, he's somebody that, you know, up until uh, Thor Ragnarok, you would say he he's, you know, was probably, like, an indie director. Um, but now he's got blockbuster experience under his belt uh, with... Thor Ragnarok, which was obviously a huge hit, but he also now has experience directing Star Wars as well on The Mandalorian um, and directed, you know, arguably one of the best episodes of the season. Um, And so, you know, the only reason I could see this not panning out is if like Thor Love and Thunder, which comes out, I think, I forget if it's next year or the year after because everything's shifting around now with the release schedules and everything. But unless somehow that movie you know tanks or is nowhere near as good as the first one was or something or he loses control of that production which i don't think is going to happen because again at this point i trust his track record um you know i I think there's every reason to to be confident in his skill set and uh you know and and to know that he's gonna deliver a good star wars uh product especially um like you said we've got christy wilson cairns writing it with him and i haven't seen 1917 either but that's on my list of things to watch um because i've heard great things about that um so knowing that you've got you know a great writer and a great director working together um one of whom already has live action star wars experience um I'm pretty hopeful about it. The the one thing is I'm I'm just not getting super excited for this yet because I do think it's going to be a while before we see it. Because um, obviously, yeah, with him working on, on the Thor film right now, and I think that was supposed to come out November of 2021, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's been pushed back to 2022, which means we won't see his Star Wars movie till like 2023 at the absolute earliest, but probably 2024. Um so, you know, we're looking at like three, four years from now. Um, but, uh, yeah, when they when they get around to it. Um, and, and that's the thing, too. I mean, if anything, you know, it's not so much like that I don't trust him or, or think that, you know, he's going to fall through on it. But it's like when they set these plans so far out in the future, it's like you don't know how things might change. Um, like with Ryan Johnson's film. And I know, you know, part of that could be due to, to backlash against the last Jedi too, even though most people at Lucasfilm seem to have the utmost confidence in Ryan Johnson. Um, obviously that was pretty controversial too. So that could have something to do with the fact that we haven't seen or heard anything about his movies yet. But the fact that, you know, that was announced, what, three years ago, like when, when the last Jedi came yeah, out, almost. um, and they Before said, the last Jedi came out. <laughs> yeah. And they said, we're going to do more movies with this guy. And now every time you ask about it, it's like, well, we hope it still happens. We're still talking about it. We're still thinking about it. We're still trying to figure the plan out, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I have the utmost confidence in Taika Waititi, but who knows what Disney and star Wars is going to be doing, you know, four years from now, especially with the way that, you know, 
everything is shifting within Hollywood right now and all these release dates are getting shuffled around and pushed back and it's all kind of chaos. So hopefully the dust will all settle and we'll get a great Star Wars film from this uh, this duo. Um, and, you know, hopefully that, that new uh, Disney Plus series turns out to be great as well. Um, and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on these things as we hopefully get, you know, get details on them sooner than later and it doesn't uh, just kind of sit on the back burner for years. But obviously we'll keep you guys updated with anything we do find out, um, but definitely some exciting ideas, at least for right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned probably 2024 being a potential release date for it, and I could totally see that being the release date for that and being the first new star Wars movie we get, because I've said this before 2022 release date. I don't think it's going to happen for whatever new star Wars movie they had planned. And especially now with production on projects being pushed back, mm -hmm. like you said, I could totally see this or whatever star Wars movie they had planned for that 2022 release date, either just being removed entirely. And then it's going to wait for Tyka's project to be the next one they're going to go with. Because right now that's the only movie that we know for sure has a director at this mm -hmm. point for what they well we know that kevin and, feige is supposed to be directing one at yeah. some point um, well produ producing one and i wonder if this might be with that i mean it's easy to make that connection with taika involved mm -hmm. uh, and kevin feige but um that's did, not, they, that's did they say the he's case, just but did they say he's just producing though because i thought they did say he was going to be directing one actually no it's just producing oh okay yeah so that's Potentially, where it could be the same movie there with both of them involved with it, or it could be something different. Who knows? So, but I definitely think this will probably be the first new Star Wars movie we're going to see in theaters when it's all said and done, and we yeah. learn about new release dates and what Disney has planned for the future. Yeah, and I mean, unless they're like working on one in secret that they were planning to like surprise everybody with at Celebration this year. Um, yeah, I think getting a new movie in 2022 looks less and less likely. Um, but you know what? Honestly, that's okay. Um, I think with yeah. the amount of stuff that we're getting with Disney plus right now and with the Mandalorian and, and clone wars and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like we've got enough to kind of hold us over for the next couple of years, as long as, you know, I'm hoping we'll get, you know, more, more projects announced and stuff, more video games, probably a new animated series by then. Um, but you know, as long as they keep the other stuff coming, I don't want, I don't mind waiting a little bit longer for, uh, for a new movie. But speaking of uh, Taika Waititi and directing The Mandalorian, um, actually, we've got um, some more stuff regarding The Mandalorian that was announced as part of Star Wars Day as well, um, with some new directors joining the series, and also uh, that uh, the new series Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, is, is now available on Disney+, Plus. the first two episodes now. Um, the first one was released on May the 4th, and then the second one just went up today. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm honestly... Uh, surprised by just sort of how how long and how meaty the content is with that. Um, we were kind of speculating with this on our last episode, like how long these mm -hmm. episodes would be. Would it just kind of be like a series of featurettes? Would it be, um, you know, these long documentary style episodes or whatever? Um, and I think we we all kind of agreed we were estimating they'd be like in the like 10, 15, maybe 20 minute long range per episode. But both of them so far have been about half an hour um, and mostly are just like, conversations with with the directors and with people involved um and you do see like a lot of footage behind the scenes of them making the show and stuff but it's all kind of built around these roundtable discussions where in the first episode it's all the directors talking about uh their careers and other stuff they've directed and then sort of that experience that they're bringing to star wars 
And then the second episode, that first episode was cool. Second episode yeah. blew me away. And Tim, I know you haven't seen it yet, but... Um, Not yet. First thing I'm doing after we're done recording tonight. <laughs> yeah, this one's got a lot of the same directors from the first one, but also has like Kathleen Kennedy and John Knoll and some other people from Lucasfilm. Oh, nice. And it's all them talking about just the legacy of Star Wars and the legacy of like the stories and these characters that George Lucas created and some of it tying into the Mandalorian and like the lessons that Dave learned from George and how they're sort of continuing that on. Um, and uh, just, you know, ways that like the, sh the challenges that the characters go through relate to what we go through in real life and stuff like that. But um, it's really cool just to hear them talk so much about, George and just how groundbreaking his his vision and his stories are and everything but Dave Filoni goes off at the end of the episode and just drops some mind-blowing knowledge about Star Wars and about the <laughs> prequels and you know it's it's stuff that really you could only learn like just from working with George for as long as he did on Clone Wars um, and I'm like, man, I, I consider myself obviously a Star Wars fan that knows my stuff pretty well. And not just on a surface level, like I can get into the deeper themes and stuff. But some of the stuff Dave was talking about, I was just sitting there like slack jawed going, well, I never thought of that. And it just like reframed my entire perspective on certain things. So um, I won't go into the nitty gritty of it because I'll let you watch it for yourself, Tim, and let Dave explain it much better than I could. But um, yeah, I'm loving that show so far. And I think, did they confirm that it's going to be eight episodes? Yes. Mm, okay. So, eight. so yeah. we're just two episodes in so far. Um, so I'm sure there's lots more good stuff coming. I'm still hoping to see a lot more of like sort of the technical behind the scenes stuff and how they did the, the technology for it and stuff like that. Um, but you know, just from, from what we've gotten from these two episodes so far, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, same here. I love the first one, and I cannot wait to see the second one after what you described, what Dave Filoni said. And I saw some similar reactions on Twitter about that, so I'm looking forward to hearing Dave drop more Star Wars knowledge, as you so accurately put it, <laughs> because that's always the best. But the first episode, I really enjoyed, and like you said, I was pleasantly surprised about how long it was, being 30 minutes. And the format of it, I just really like that roundtable free discussion that every all the directors were having and i know each episode is going to be on a different topic but i honestly i would have loved that the whole series was just that <laughs> the directors at a round table talking about their experiences their careers and what star wars mean to the means to them all that stuff was great i mean we've heard it before but i love it when dave filoni tells the story about how he got hired <laughs> mm -hmm. at lucasfilm animation in that interview with george lucas it's such a typical Lucas type interview <laughs> that he goes on. It's just great to hear him talk about that and his experience there. And then also getting some cool little stories. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard talking about the time when she was a little kid and her dad, Ron Howard, uh, took her, I think, the trip to Japan with in a dinner with Lucas and Kurosawa. And how and when she said that, all the directors in the room just kind of went, oh, man, like, boy, are you lucky <laughs> to get to experience that, uh, even though she fell asleep <laughs> during yeah. that conversation. Uh, but it was still cool to hear experiences like that. So I loved it. I loved how it was paced. I loved how it first had, it focused on each director, and then they would each tell uh, kind of their background and their experiences in the round table. And after that, we would see footage of them on set directing their episodes um, that they worked on, which was really cool. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot and can't wait for more, especially again, after what you said about Dave Filoni, hopefully he's in every episode and getting little nuggets like 
you're teasing in the second one because if each episode contains something like that, man, it's going to be worth it just for that alone. <laughs> Not to mention the cool behind the scenes stuff we'll learn about the Mandalorian. So yeah, I think it's off to a really cool start. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll go that deep on every episode about Star Wars mythology and stuff because this episode sure. really was specifically just about like the mythology and the legacy of it and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see Dave pop up in every episode, probably considering that he is, uh, you know, kind of John Favreau's right hand man on this. Um, and really, uh, again, this kind of just reinforces that he's like everybody's go to Star Wars guy on set. You know, you got all these talented directors that grew up loving Star Wars and have their own like filmmaking sensibilities that they bring to this and stuff. But like Dave is like the Star Wars guy kind of holding this thing all together as far as just like bringing it back to the stories that George told. And, you know, whether it's just like continuity and canon or just making things feel like star wars you know and he's just got all the answers to everybody's questions and stuff so just i'm so glad that we have him involved in this series it's funny there's that one clip in the beginning where they're talking about uh the spike stormtrooper helmets on tatooine in the fifth episode and dave's making a connection with that from empire when c3po gets blasted by the stormtroopers and john favreau was kind of like what are you talking about? I don't know. And it just goes, well, that's a deep cut. Like, I, don't, yeah. I didn't notice that. So oh, yeah. Jo that. John, like, likens it to something else, like some other, so a scene in a different movie. And Dave's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or it's like the scene in Star Wars when this, this, and this happens. And John's like, yeah, that's a deep cut. You lost me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. And just yeah. showing that, like you said, he is a Star Wars guy on set. And just every director and I think everyone working on that knows that he's the one to go to if you need any questions answered about any subject on Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. And then we've also got uh, some news about, like I said, some directors joining the show as well. Um, this wasn't like an official release from StarWars.com or anything like that, but a couple directors who've been rumored or speculated to be involved in the show confirmed it uh, on Twitter with like pictures from the set and stuff. So um, in addition to, I believe we have uh, John Favreau confirmed that he's actually directing this season um, and not just uh, producing um, we got Dave Filoni coming back, um, and then I believe we have Bryce Dallas Howard and Rick Famuyiwa uh, coming back as well. Um, and then Carl Weathers is actually going to be directing an episode this season, um, which that was cool. I mean, that was a surprise to me. I didn't realize that he directed as well as acted, but um, it'd be cool to see him behind the camera for this one. And then uh, we don't have Taika Waititi directing an episode this season, probably because he's working on a Star Wars movie, and he's also working on Thor. Um, but instead we have two new sort of big name guest directors for the season and that's Robert Rodriguez and Peyton Reed. Um, and Robert Rodriguez has done a ton of stuff like, uh, Sin City and, uh, you know, a lot of other well-known movies and Peyton Reed is probably most well-known for, uh, directing the Ant-Man movies. So, um, that is, uh, I think is pretty, pretty official confirmation of what the director lineup for season two is going to be. I don't know if they've confirmed the number of episodes that it's going to be, this year um not yet yeah i'm i mean i'm assuming eight because that's what we got the first time but maybe we'll get more this time around i did uh i was watching an interview with dave filoni after the clone wars finale and they asked him about mandalorian season two and he said he's only uh directing one episode this season but he wrote that episode as well and he said he's really excited about it so um Definitely looking forward to seeing that. And if some of the rumors are true that we've heard about a certain character returning in Mandalorian season two, I would bet that'll be the episode that that'll happen in the episode David directs. So 
Yeah, and that he writes. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that. But yeah, but that was cool to get those confirmations about Peyton Reed and uh, Rodriguez directing episode. I think it's going to be a theme for probably for each season of The Mandalorian where you'll get some new directors, some old ones, and maybe the new ones will be some big name Hollywood directors taking their step into the Star Wars TV universe uh, to get their hands on it and take their spin on these characters, which I think is a cool way to go about it. And I'm sure they're each going to have a great time doing it. Because if one thing we've learned from the Disney Gallery first episode, each of those directors just sounded like they had a blast directing live action Star Wars TV. So I have a feeling it'll be the same for Robert Rodriguez and Peyton Reed. So can't wait to see what they bring to the Star Wars universe. So it should be a lot of fun for season two and just more reasons to get excited about this upcoming season as if the ending of season one and just how great the entire season was, wasn't enough to get you excited. The stuff we're hearing and the rumors that are popping up about this season has the potential to be even better than the first. So yeah, needless to say, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And yeah, like you said, the, not only the directors and, you know, the talent involved in making the show and how great of a time they all had working on season one, but then some of the rumors and stuff we're starting to hear about season two, um, man, it's going to be good stuff. And it already kind of sounds like, I would liken it to like uh, Rebels where season one was just kind of establishing its own little universe and its own new characters. And then season two, boom, they opened the floodgates and brought in Ahsoka and Rex and Vader and Maul and, you know, all the a bunch of new Inquisitors and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think Mandalorian season two is just going to be bigger and better than the first season in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's all signs of pointing to that. So and I'm pretty confident that they'll deliver knowing what they gave us with season one. Yeah, definitely. And then the last thing regarding the Mandalorian and TV news and all that kind of stuff, this actually was uh, just announced today and was still, you know, still take this with a grain of salt. It hasn't been officially confirmed by Lucasfilm yet. Um, it's another one of those things that's being floated around by like Hollywood Reporter and stuff. So, you know, it's probably legit and it's not just like one of these rumor fan sites. Uh, but apparently, in addition to the other big casting uh, rumor slash announcement for Mandalorian season two that I still don't like talking about because I feel like it's ruining the surprise that we probably weren't supposed to know about. Um, but we'll talk about this one because I think a lot more of us expected this one um, or we had already speculated a lot about it and stuff. But apparently, Tamara Morrison is coming back to play Boba Fett in season two of The Mandalorian. Um, which is really cool. Um, you know, obviously if they were going to bring Fett back, there's only one guy for the job. So I'm really happy that, uh, that we'll get to see him play that role again. Um, and yeah, I guess that kind of confirms that ending at, uh, what was it? Season five where, uh, you know, the, the wannabe bounty hunter guy kills the assassin in the desert. And then we see the guy at the end walking up with the spurs and the cape. And we're like, Oh, is that Boba Fett? Is it Cad Bane? Is it somebody else? And, I think Boba Fett was the prevailing theory, and now that seems to be all but confirmed, I would guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that'll be that'll be cool to see. I mean, obviously, that's we'll, we'll get to see something that fans have speculated about for years. I know it was already canon in Legends uh, back in the day that he survived the Sarlacc pit and got out. But, uh, I don't know, Tim, how are you feeling? Are you excited to see more Boba Fett? Eh, it's all right. I can take it or leave it. <laughs> 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 oh man heck yes i'm excited about this I mean, see i, ha I had to be today, sure because like... i know some people really do feel that way they're like eh. i know 
which which bums me out honestly <laughs> because as we talked about many times on this podcast how i just grew up being a boba fett fan when it was really getting into star wars hardcore so this news had me ecstatic i sent the tweet out saying this literally made my weekend finding out this news <laughs> because it's not so much i would say as a shock or a surprise because as you mentioned we kind of suspected that boba fett may be showing up sooner or later based on that tease at the end of episode five but the fact that it's looking like that's the case and that Temuara Morrison will be back playing Boba Fett, I just have a sense of relief, to be honest with you, <laughs> because there was a part of me that was always a little afraid and skeptical that whenever we started rumblings about a Boba Fett movie, that they would want to go back and make Boba Fett that nameless, faceless uh, bounty hunter character who's so mysterious. And I think even like the first year of our podcast, there was rumors going around about how they were going to retcon his, him being a clone. And he, Oh yeah. Two. And I, I kind of went on a, uh, <laughs> a rant in one of those episodes saying how pissed I would be if that they ended up doing that. And those are the days where anything was possible <laughs> in this new era of star Wars. So we weren't exactly sure how things were shaking out, but of course, and he, especially with Dave Filoni involved and knowing the respect he has for the prequels and just star Wars lore in general, I knew if they were, going to bring back Boba Fett, there was no way they were going to do anything that changed or disrespected what George Lucas did with the character. So and I had that sense of relief knowing that for sure that's the case when that Temi Moore Morrison will be playing Boba Fett. And boy, <laughs> I just cannot wait to see him. The character again, to hear his voice again in the Star Wars, or I should say in live action Star Wars, because we've heard his voice plenty of times in Battlefront and other Star Wars games. And I think it's just going to be awesome. Not only just to have Temi Moore Morrison back, but just having Boba Fett in this series. And one of the things I speculated on when we were talking about potential things we could see in this series is how we could see the legacy of one bounty hunter who had that, um, I guess, respect amongst the bounty hunter guild and the other bounty hunters in the galaxy, knowing that he was the best of the best and kind of not necessarily passing on the torch to uh, the Mandalorian in this series, but we're kind of be seeing that one generation of great bounty hunter and the start of a next one in Mandalorian armor. And it's going to be curious to see if they're going to be immediately at odds or it's going to be something where they're going to be working together. I kind of have a feeling at first there will be some friction or they'll be at odds with each other, but maybe by the end of an episode or a season, they'll be maybe working together or um, Boba Fett, or Din Djarin will get the respect of Boba Fett when it's all said and done. So I just can't wait for the potential of getting Boba Fett in the series means. And I believe the report on the Hollywood reporter said that it is a small role and I'm okay with that just because there's obviously it's not a one and done series. It's going to have more seasons and maybe there's a potential for even a spinoff where um, if, what they have planned for Boba Fett in the season will either show up in next season or maybe they'll spin off Boba Fett into his own TV show like uh, Obi-Wan is, who didn't get his own movie but is now getting his own series. And we know how there were two Boba Fett projects, <laughs> movies in development that never saw the light of day. So maybe the TV route will be best for him as a character as well. So there's just a lot of cool possibilities with bringing him into the series and just into Star Wars TV. So yeah, I cannot wait to see the character show up again because it's been way too long since we've seen Boba Fett in the new canon, especially um, since we got uh, the Legends era stuff not in the main canon now. And 
or in this new era in the Star Wars timeline to where the character just has to be used more. He's shown up in some comic stories, but I've just felt ever since they made this announcement of the new canon that he's been severely underused. And obviously that's because of the plans they had with him in movies that they had come to fruition. But now it's time for the character to show up more in the Star Wars universe. And that would be post-Return of the Jedi as well is what I'm excited about. Because as you mentioned, it can finally be confirmed that he survived the Sarlacc pit. And maybe we won't get the answers and the details as to how we survived it right away. But just knowing that he is alive again will make me so happy as a fan. So, yeah, there's, there's tons of love uh, or for me to love about this news when I first heard it. And it just, again, like I said earlier, just makes it that much more exciting and to look forward to with the Mandalorian season two and just how it has the potential to be something really special for Star Wars. So, yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really cool to see. I mean, there's kind of two camps of people. There's some people that really love Boba Fett, especially people that grew up on the original trilogy and like had all the Boba Fett action figures and stuff before we ever really knew his backstory in Attack of the Clones. And then there's some other people that are like, eh, yeah, he looks cool, but I don't see what the appeal is. Like he goes out like a punk. He doesn't have that much screen time or character development or whatever. You know, he's not for me. I'm a little bit in the middle, definitely leaning skewed more towards the people that like him. I mean, I just think the armor is cool. Um, I, I almost feel kind of about Boba Fett like you do about Captain Phasma. Like, I could just look at him all day. Like, you know, the armor is cool. He's a cool bad guy. He's definitely not like my favorite character. And I would even say now, like with as much as in recent years, Star Wars has really delved more into the lore of the Mandalorians. I would say just as a character, I like Din Djarin more. And even if we're just comparing Mandalorians, I like Pre Vizsla more um, and maybe even Bo-Katan uh, just because, you know, they get a lot more sort of character development and we're with those characters for more stories. Uh, but Boba Fett's definitely cool. And I'm, I'm glad that we're going to get to see him again. I just hope that they do something new with him. And like when you're talking about maybe having him. Like, I guess it would be cool to see, like, sort of a, a younger bounty hunter and then, like, the older veteran bounty hunter kind of team up or have to earn each other's respect or whatever. But at the same time, I feel like if you put those two next to each other and it's just sort of like the bounty hunter Boba Fett that we know, Din Jaren's just like, hey, I'm just, like, a cooler version of you. Like, I've got your, <laughs> I've got your rifle from the holiday special. You know, I'm, I'm the maskless, like Mandalorian or faceless Mandalorian bounty hunter that everybody thought was all cool in the empire strikes back. Except now I've got my own whole TV series. Um, and obviously again, he's got more, more character development and we see his, you know, he's all tough and everything, but has a soft spot for the child because of how he was taken in as a child and all that. So I think, Rather than just have Boba Fett kind of be a reflection of like, oh, here's another bounty hunter. I think it would be really cool if they, uh, I don't know, made him like a villain. Like maybe he gets out of the Sarlacc pit and he's just, you know, instead of a bounty hunter with a code, he's just on a rampage. Like, you know, or he's he's the more sinister guy. And also because we know that Boba Fett and Jango Fett are not technically Mandalorians, at least according to... Almec in the Clone Wars, and he says Jango Fett is just a common bounty hunter who got his hands on some Mandalorian armor, like he's not one of us. And I would love to see the show actually address that, and maybe we'll find out that Boba Fett actually is a Mandalorian, a Mandalorian, because you know Din Jaren says mm -hmm. like, "Oh, Mandalorian's not a race; it's a creed." Um, yeah. But there, there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect between 
like the Mandalorians that we see in Clone Wars and even Rebels, and then this era of Mandalorians where they're like, you know, you can't remove your helmet, and they've got all this code and everything. And in the Clone Wars, obviously, we see Bo-Katan off with her like with her helmet off all the time, and even in Rebels, and it's like these characters obviously would have you know, if not cross paths directly, it's like these two groups existed at the same time in some capacity. So um, I would definitely like to see maybe some more connective tissue just between those eras and like those different aspects of Mandalorian culture. And maybe Boba Fett can kind of be a bridge there too. I don't know. Um, so I just hope they bring something, you know, new to the character and don't just bring him back to do the same thing he did in Empire Strikes Back, because like I said, Din Jaren is just doing that, but better already. So, um, but again, I totally trust Dave and John and everybody involved with the show that, um, I mean, heck, look at uh, what Dave did with Darth Maul. You know, he knows how to bring back a fan favorite character and make it worth it and and make great stories out of that. So, um, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what they do with it. And with Temuar Morrison involved with the series, it does leave you to you know, speculate on other possibilities of other it roles. Sure maybe he could does. Play. <laughs> so maybe just his Boba Fett's going to be a small role, but maybe him as an actor will have a larger role in season two or upcoming Star Wars projects or seasons of the Mandalorian. Who knows? How but cool would exciting. it be to see Rex and Boba Fett come face to face? I was just thinking that right now. Do some of that, <laughs> you know, um, technology where you got the same actor in the same screen or the same scene talking to each other it'll be awesome <laughs> i mean they could do it where boba fett can have his helmet on captain rex cannot or they could both not have their helmet on we just see how different they look boba fett still kind of looking like an older Django fett but then we'd have a really older looking captain rex that we see in rebels with the gray beard and all that uh that we know in his design from that so it'd just be Kind of cool to see that where you'd have two characters who look the same but are totally different in their personalities and in their appearance. And that would be pretty trippy to see in live yeah. action. I mean, I, I kind of did the math earlier as I was thinking about this. And, like, I think Boba would be, like, in his 40s around now and Rex would be in his 80s. And I think Tamara Morrison's, like, in his – probably in his 50s or maybe around 60 or so. And so they could mm – -hmm maybe de-age him a little bit. You probably wouldn't even have to use digital, just, you know, kind of smooth out his face a little bit to have him play, you know, Boba Fett, or even just use the way he looks now. Cause again, I mean, the dude's been through a lot. He's been down in the Sarlacc pit yeah. Um, or who knows if we'll even see him with his helmet off. <clears throat> um, but I think you could easily have him played that version of Boba. Who's maybe slightly younger than he is in real life. And then also obviously just age him up with a fake beard and everything to, to play an old man Rex. Um, so man, that would be really cool. Yeah, and another thing I would love to see them explore with Boba Fett that we never got to see with him as an adult, it just his reflection on being a clone and being part of that Clone Wars legacy that mm -hmm. we never – we saw a little bit of it as a kid, obviously, him dealing with that in uh, the season two finale in Clone Wars. But to see if he still kind of has those uh, resentment, I guess, of – because he did kind of have a resentment of the clones a little bit in that episode. Uh, where he says he's nothing like him, if he kind of still feels that way, or just what his thought process is about that and him being the clone of Jango Fett, but yet also knowing that there was tons of soldiers out there who fought in that uh, great war who bore his face and was a genetic replica of him. And just wondering if he's 
tries to leave that behind, if that has, takes a toll on him as he grows older, if he reflects on that at all. Just all this stuff that I'd be curious to see of what his thoughts are on the Clone Wars in general, being a clone. Stuff we never really got to explore as Boba as an adult. And I think that could be really cool just to get more of that retrospective and history of the Clone Wars and how certain people and characters look back at that time in that era post Return of the Jedi. I think it could be pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think we'll see a whole lot of that in this second season. If this report is actually saying that he's not going to have that big of a role, but definitely if, if his role kind of expands going forward, I would love to see uh, some expansion of that. Um, Because like you said, I mean, that's like a whole perspective that we haven't really, uh, that we haven't really explored. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit more when we get into talking about Clone Wars as well, just in terms of like seeing what it's like, like what, what the aftermath is like for the people involved. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, this is just really cool news. Again, I am just beyond excited that this got reported. And of course, not officially, officially confirmed by Lucasfilm or StarWars.com, but usually when the Hollywood reporter or any of these trade sites report anything, I can't remember too many times where, they reported something and it didn't happen or if they did and it didn't happen, it was something that was reported that a a director or whatever dropped out as, and that didn't ended up happening, but not really the case where they report it. And then it just never comes to fruition. So I'm pretty confident this is happening. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I think the the chances are very good. And I mean, we already had a feeling that this could happen anyway. So Mm. it, it definitely seems plausible and in line with uh you know where where things might be headed for the show um but i think that's just about it for the you know the live action news and the tv and all that kind of stuff um by the way i said earlier that paul was going to jump on and join us he's actually not going to be able to make it for this one just because he's kind of got some some hectic stuff going on i mean he's got a newborn so i can't blame him um but he said to let you guys know that he misses you all and can't wait to get on here and talk about Star Wars with you. I guess we're just going to have to talk about Clone Wars again on our next episode, which, bummer, uh, right? Great. Um, I know. Jeez. The things we got to do for podcasting. Jeez. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ugh, such a sacrifice. Um, yeah. Uh, but we'll yeah, miss so, you, Paul, but yeah, can't wait to talk about it again once you're on here with us. Yeah, we just get a double dose of Clone Wars goodness. And nothing wrong with that. No, or or... I mean, heck, we'll have Paul on the next episode. He's going to want to talk about it. And that's not going to be the last time we're going to talk about it either. Um, as I no, said, I'm, I'm making this promise. We will do a Siege of Mandalore commentary episode at some point. Because um, it's just, it's that good. And there's that much to talk about. So without further ado, let's start talking about it. Um, so where should we start, Tim? Because, I mean, we... You you and I on our last episode, and Paul had to dip out early on the last one, and you and I stayed on and talked a little bit about just the first two episodes. Um, but I feel like we should still just start from the beginning and Same. and just talk about this all the way through because um, there's probably some stuff in that first episode that we didn't get to yet. Um, and I rewatched them all again yesterday. Uh, but like we said, just from that opening crawl or not crawl necessarily, but you know, the opening, the, it didn't start with the traditional Clone Wars opening. It started with that green text, you know, Lucasfilm limited production. Um, and then instead of the Clone Wars fanfare, we got just the Star Wars main theme over the opening, uh, introduction. Um, 
And then of course yeah, you see God, like right so off beautiful. the bat, just those <laughs> those cinematic visuals of like the upgraded character model of Grievous. And then you see Ayla Sakura and Plo Koon like in the locations that they're at in Revenge of the Sith. Um, it's just, again, just right off the bat, we knew we were in for something special. Um, both with just the setting of the story and them talking about the Outer Rim sieges and you're like, oh, this is it. Like, we're getting to Revenge of the Sith. And for years, you know, we always speculated, like, how is the Clone Wars going to end and what happens during Revenge of the Sith and Order 66 and, you know, what are Ahsoka and Rex up to during that point? And so we're finding that out. Um, but it just looked so dang good and and the music and everything was just top-notch right off the bat. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just it just launched into... Uh, what now that it's over we can say is definitely the best arc of clone wars and one of the finest star wars stories out there period yeah i totally agree and you know what i don't know if i can quite say it's my favorite just yet it, that's only because i hold the modus the mortis arc in such high regard mm. <laughs> so i mean it potentially could overtake it i don't know but at this moment i'd still maybe have mortis over it just a little bit but gotta echo everything you just said there man just Again, that seeing that old school classic Lucasfilm logo that I haven't seen since I got the last release of the original trilogy before the special editions on VHS and just seeing it again just was kind of brought back some good memories. And like I said, right away knew we're in for something special and something totally different with the Clone Wars. And it really got off to a bang just in that recap sizzle reel that we're so used to with the Clone Wars, but actually seeing scenes and sequences from Revenge of the Sith, Jedi characters that we've seen for seven seasons now of the Clone Wars in the spots that we know they're going to meet their tragic end. And it just felt crazy to kind of see that in that Clone War style animation. But it was just a perfect way to kick off this arc, knowing how close we are to Revenge of the Sith and where things are going to go in this story. So it was just great to see that. And you mentioned that Grievous model. Man, <laughs> that was one of the first things that just jumped out at me and say, wow, this looks incredible. And he's not do really doing anything. He's just standing there. But he looked amazing and kind of wanted to see more of him <laughs> looking like that. But we know he's pretty busy capturing the Chancellor. So but um, just that was a perfect way to kick off what was going to be such an incredible arc. And you'll probably hear me say this word a lot as we're talking about it. But it was just it felt surreal right away seeing all that, not only because it was sequences we're familiar with from Revenge of the Sith, but just the fact that we're finally seeing the Siege of Mandalore. We've heard about it. We've seen it referenced in Rebels episodes and the Ahsoka novel, Dave Filoni teasing what the story was going to be. And forgive me for not remembering exactly when we first heard about the Siege of Mandalore being the final arc of the series. See, I don't remember if it was after uh, season six on Netflix or if it was a little bit before that when Dave Filoni was releasing concept art of potential stories. <sighs> I but it, it was a long while. <laughs> yeah, I the the main one I remember, and he might have talked about it sooner, but I know at Celebration was it Celebration Europe in twenty sixteen was the that's. Yeah, that, I think that's when he first mentioned some specific scenes with Ashley Eckstein there. Yeah, like that's the when they—that's when he first talked the about helmets. like the the clones with the helmets, and I think that's when they uh, announced the Ahsoka novel. They might have mentioned; they probably did mention it sooner than that. In fact, he might have talked about it at Celebration 2015 at like the Untold Clone Wars Tales panel or something like that. 
um, because Rex mentions it in season two. He says, like, I fought by your side from Christophsis to the Siege of Mandalore. Mm. Um, and actually, now I'm trying to remember, was that the first time that we had heard it? Or had had we already kind of known, like, had, had heard Dave talk about it before that? I think we definitely heard him talk about it before, but I'm not sure if that was the first time it was kind of referred to as the Siege of Mandalore. Yeah. Because when he said that, I was like, oh, that's that final Clone War story that Dave Filoni was talking about. Yeah. So. In fact, now that I think about it, I think, like, because right when the series ended and they, they started all the Clone Wars legacy stuff. And I think that mm-hmm. was even before the Lost Missions were out on Netflix. And they he released a bunch of yeah. concept art, um, just kind of like to say thank you to the fans. Or not even concept art, like a bunch of his own sketches w- about like stories that they had planned coming up. And there was a bunch of stuff with like Ventress and Quinlan Voss and that story arc. Um, and I think there definitely was some stuff with Ahsoka on Mandalore. Maybe not fighting Maul or anything, but I think that was probably the first time we saw that sketch of like Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. And knew that yeah, she would right. end up involved with the Mandalorians. But I don't think at that point we knew like that that was going to be the conclusion to the series or that it was going to be such a big deal or anything like that. Yeah, you're right. That's Things are beginning to line up more. <laughs> yeah. We look back on the saga that is itself of the Clone Wars being canceled and brought back and then being revived again. <laughs> so it's crazy to think about all the stuff that we were going through with learning about Clone Wars and what we're going to see and what we're not going to see. And again, that's why it felt surreal watching this opening uh, to the Siege of Mandalore, knowing all the stuff we've heard about it in the teases and to finally see it come to fruition, which is such a great feeling uh, that I couldn't be happier with as a Star Wars fan seeing it for the first time. Yeah, me neither. And then it kicks right from there into this really cool opening battle scene. And I know I talked about this on the last episode, so I won't go into like all the details of it, but I just was so happy that we got to see like just a classic Clone Wars battle with like Anakin and Obi-Wan quipping back and forth and doing their thing with a whole bunch of clones and battle droids. Um, and it was just like one last throwback to the good old days where it's just like fun, like Jedi and clone action before we get mm-hmm. into like the meat of the story and before all the serious stuff goes down. Um, and I just thought it was such a, such a like just perfect way to start it off. And the fact that that episode is like 30 minutes long and is like, you know, much longer than than a typical Clone Wars episode. I'm like, they easily could have either entirely cut out that opening sequence or like shortened it down by a lot and maybe just started with uh, sort of the aftermath of the, of the battle or say that Anakin and Obi-Wan have just secured a victory and then they get a transmission from Admiral Yularen. Um, but the fact that, you know, that, that we got to sort of enjoy that opening sequence before getting into the, the Mandalore stuff, I really enjoyed um, and just love getting that that opening. Oh, totally. And it just felt like a great opening to a Star Wars movie. And mm-hmm. that's probably another word we'll be saying a lot, movie and uh, cinematic, because that's exactly what this story is and these episodes are. And it just felt like a great action sequence to kick off a Star Wars movie. And that's exactly what it what it was. It was just so cool. And it, I liked how it harkened back to the Battle of Christophsis from the Clone Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And the environment kind of looks similar, but the separatists and the Republic were kind of on opposite sides <laughs> than they were in the movie, but still cool little nods to, I think how that battle played out. There was a part of me that was hoping, do you remember that uh, little sequence in the movie where there's a clone trooper punching a battle? Droid oh yeah. And he gets shot. I was hoping the opposite would happen where a battle droid tries to fight a clone trooper, but he just gets blasted by him <laughs> by not doing anything. That would have been pretty funny. See, I didn't think about that. I was hoping that he would have brought back the musical theme from the Battle of Christophsis. Mm. Um, 
but I mean, the, the music in the scene as it was, was great too. One other thing I noticed too, like I definitely caught the, you know, just the way the battle was set up, it did kind of parallel the battle of Christophsis, which obviously was the first big battle scene that we ever saw in the Clone Wars movie. Um, but also the location they were at on that bridge, I couldn't help but notice, like it kind of looked like the Golden Gate Bridge. And I wonder if that was like their own little homage to the fact that like, like Luke, uh, Lucasfilm is in San Francisco. Um, and so if that was kind of their, their little tribute to like the place where they've made the show for so many years. Yeah, I actually didn't pick up on that, but that wouldn't surprise me in the least as far if that was something they were trying to acknowledge a page homage to, which I'm sure they would want to do in a lot of aspects with this being the final story for a series they've worked on for so many years. So that would make total sense. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Anakin wins the day with his daring heroics. Um, although I thought I did think it was fun to see, like, I thought Anakin and Rex were just going to charge in and we were going to see Anakin do some crazy stuff. But instead, he kind of takes a page out of Obi-Wan's book and he does it with his typical Anakin, you know, kind of confidence and swagger. But, um, you know, him kind of stalling for time and drawing out the tactical droid and letting Rex and the guys, you know, buying time for them to get in position. Um, that's kind of like what Obi-Wan does in the, in the Clone Wars movie in the Battle of Christophsis. So, um, fun to see that, you know, even though Anakin's a Jedi Knight now, he's kind of learning from Obi-Wan and taking a page from his book, but doing it in his typical flashy Anakin style and kind of showing off and everything. Um, so yeah, just a really fun way to start off the episode. And then of course they get the transmission from Ular and they head back to the ship and, and have the reunion with Ahsoka, um, and just that whole sequence from, you know, from the just him talking to her through the hologram for the first time and then her and Bo-Katan landing on the ship um, and even like Bo-Katan and Obi-Wan having their argument about whether they're going to go help Mandalore and she throws the jab about Satine and, you know, I thought my sister meant something to you. And there's just so many great interactions and so many great little character moments mm-hmm. packed into the middle part of this episode. Um, where it's just a lot of talking and a lot of dialogue and a lot of build up to the action that's coming next. But still, it I mean, it feels earned and it feels like we need that. Totally. Because obviously Anakin and Obi-Wan aren't going with Ahsoka to Mandalore. And so before they have to run off to Coruscant, it's like, um, you know, again, I'm glad that this was the longest episode of the series and that they they took the time to include all these little beats um, that, uh, you know, that that they knew the fans wanted to see. And I think Dave even talked about that, like in the the behind the scenes video with the clone wars download, um, saying how, like he didn't want to spend too long and he was trying to keep the story, you know, concise, but at the same time, it's like fans have been looking forward to this for so long. And this is such like a long waited reunion. He felt like he needed to do it justice and, um, you know, include all those little moments that would be meaning to meaningful to the fans. And I think they nailed that perfectly. Totally. Yeah. And I just really like how they handle Anakin's reaction to seeing Ahsoka, not only in the hologram, but when uh, they first board the Republic uh, cruiser, where he's excited. First shock, not knowing what to say, but he doesn't go, wasn't overly dramatic. Like, oh, Ahsoka, it's so good to see you. Like, I'm just, like so sorry you left and everything that happened. But I, and it was just felt so natural the way he reacted to it, just as an older brother would for maybe the younger sister who moved out and hasn't seen in a while and is concerned about how they were, how she was doing and that she making sure that she's okay first and foremost in anything. Yeah. And, See, and it, it seemed like he wants to act like nothing's changed. Like yeah. he wants Ahsoka mm-hmm. to come back and, and for them to just pick up right where they left off and things to go back to the way they were. 
Yeah, I thought it was even a nice little touch where before he sees her in person again, where he's telling Obi-Wan, oh, this is the will of the Force. Like, this mm-hmm. is the reason why um, she had to go through that trial and leave the Order. Also, she can track Maul and lead him to us. And Obi-Wan's all like, well, that's one way to look at it. Not really buying it. Just Anakin trying to look at, I guess, the positive and broader scope of it to how could this be, how this would be a good thing and maybe the potential for her to come back. And like you said, to get things back to the way they were. And this could be her way into maybe wanting to rejoin the Jedi in some way. So just Anakin's kind of optimistic outlook on the whole scenario early on, I thought was a nice touch knowing right away as we're watching this, how tragic everything's going to be as we see the story unfold. But it started off, I thought, on a nice optimistic feel for Anakin uh, going through this and being reunited with Ahsoka again. Yeah, well, see, I feel like it was so perfectly in character for Anakin because you're right. It is like optimistic and upbeat, but it it's tragic at the same time, because like I said, he wants to just pretend like nothing's changed. He wants his little snips back and he wants her to come back into the Jedi and for them to just go back off on adventures and, and act like nothing's changed. Whereas obviously she's grown and, and changed and is a different person than she was when she left. Um, and I think he doesn't quite realize that. And even when he's telling Obi-Wan like, oh, this is, you know, it all makes sense now. This is why she left so that she could be where she needed to be. And now we're going to capture Maul. And, and I think Obi-Wan realizes, you know, when, when he's like, yeah, okay, that's one way to, one way to look at it. It's like Anakin is just trying to make that fit his own narrative. Like he's Mm -hmm. still struggling with the emotions that he felt when she left. And, and again, it's those, those things that he struggles with, same with his mother and with Padme, like his attachment and, and needing to be in control of things. And I think, you know, the fact that, that Ahsoka left and he couldn't change her mind and couldn't do anything about it, like still bothers him. And so this is his way of sort of reconciling that. And he's like, oh, I see. Like, okay, now I can put the pieces together. And it's like, it makes sense. It's okay now. And Obi-Wan's like, no, you still don't get that. Like she made her own decision and just walked away. Like, and you got to accept that. Um, And yet, you know, and it it all makes sense because that's why Anakin is such a, you know, a well-intentioned and yet flawed character. That's why he's such the, the great Jedi hero of the Clone Wars who also turns to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. So, um, yeah, again, I just I love those little touches of, of his character in, in those scenes, too. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really like about it, how it ties into Revenge of the Sith, not get too ahead of ourselves in the episode, but... The way him and Ahsoka, him and Ahsoka lead things on good terms and they get their final goodbye, to me it plays really well to how what Anakin is at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith during that space battle because he kind of seems a little more upbeat. He says that comment, this is where the fun begins. He's mm-hmm. excited about this mission. Is He seems to be in a good spot right now because to me now I, when I watch it and I think about his head is in a good place because things are better now with Ahsoka than where they left things originally, where he feels good about things. And again, this is another thing throughout the episode where a lot of characters just feel, oh, this is it. This We're so close to the end of the war now and things can get back to normal. And we could be, there could be peace in the galaxy, happiness in my lives, in our lives now. I think Anakin feels that probably going into that space battle. He's reconciled things a little bit with Ahsoka. They're going to free the Chancellor, hopefully capture Grievous and Count Dooku and put an end to this war once and for all. And his life could be in a spot where it hasn't been in a long time now and just be happy. And I think that's what he was thinking in the middle. That's or at the start, I should say at that space battle on Revenge of the Sith, where he's just in a good headspace there as far as where things are with his former Padawan and hopefully things to come once they 
could end this war. So, because when we look back at, let's say, um, season five was it, and Ahsoka leaves the order, and it ends on a somber note, and that's our lead into Revenge of the Sith. To me, Anakin wouldn't be in that place, and as the personality he's showing in that space battle, if that was kind of the last we saw of him seeing Ahsoka walk away from the order Mm -hmm. and he would just be even more (laughs) kind of messed up, so to speak, and where he's feeling with his emotions and his, uh, his relationships with the people he loves the most and how he, that would just lead him more on that start more early on that dark path in the movie. than we see him in at the start. So again, when you just look at things in different perspective, once we get this new, once we get these episodes, it just seems to fit so much more better and just has that nice smooth flow that you're watching this one cohesive story with his characters, whether it's in animation or live action. And this episode had tons of moments like that, that we'll sure to be sure to get into, but this is one where I felt stood out to me uh, pretty early on getting into that headspace of Anakin as he leaves Ahsoka and begins his journey that we see in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, definitely. And, and just getting up to that point where they do part ways, of course you have the scene where, uh, he takes her to the hangar and Rex is there with all the clones that have, you know, all the helmets painted. And, you know, obviously this is something that uh, Dave described years ago. And so we all envisioned it. And then we saw it in the trailer for this season. And so, you know, it wasn't like a big surprise, but still just a really nice touching moment, um, especially like as yeah. they're walking down the hallway and he's talking to her about how, like, even though she's not a Jedi anymore, not part of the the Republic, the clones are still saluting her because they respect her. It's not because she's their commander, but it's because, you know, they still remember all the times they've been through together and all the, the times she fought for them and protected them and, you know, just everything they've been through uh, as comrades on the battlefield. Um, and they still just have that respect for her, which makes it that much more tragic knowing what's yeah, coming man. later. Uh, you know, not only the fact that the clones are wearing helmets painted in her honor, but, you know, just, just all that talk about, you know, the honor and respect and and the bond that they've really built up. Um, and it's, it's so sad, but it's so well done. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the later episodes, but, um, just a, a nice, um, again, just kind of a nice welcome back for Ahsoka in this episode, seeing, seeing all those clones, um, and then, of course, Anakin gives her her lightsabers back, too. But in the middle of that, Obi-Wan runs in and says, you know, the Chancellor's been kidnapped and we got to go to Coruscant. Um, and you see that uh, sort of that standoff between Ahsoka and Obi-Wan where she's like, uh, hey, like, yeah, sure, the Chancellor needs you. But there's a whole bunch of people on Mandalore who need you, too. And you guys are just playing politics. And Obi-Wan is like, you know, hey, that's not fair. Like, we we serve the Senate and the Chancellor, and, you know, this is our top priority, and Anakin kind of being the mediator between the two. He's like, okay, what if we go to Coruscant, but we leave Rex and, and half of the 501st here with Ahsoka, and we'll make Rex commander? Like, he's figuring out all the ways to make it work. Um, which, again, is kind of typical Anakin, right? Like, not wanting to make sacrifices. Like, he wants to be a Jedi and hold on to being married to Padme and kind of have the best of both worlds. But in this case, it works out. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, he just has that that nice farewell scene with Ahsoka where... Um, and and it's, it's funny because uh, in a lot of interviews and stuff, again, Dave has been pointing out the fact that, like, we know it's the last time these characters are going to see each other, but they don't know that. And so you can't make, like, a huge deal out of it like it's this big emotional farewell because Anakin says, all right, I'm going to go rescue the Chancellor and and capture Grievous and you go capture Maul. And if everything goes according to plan, 
you know, this will all, this whole war will be over soon and we can be back together and, and kind of pick up where we left off. Um, and obviously we know that's not going to happen, but um, it's nice to know that with all the crap that's about to go down next, that at least they were able to to part on good terms and on that uplifting note. Yeah, and that just makes it all the more tragic. As you said, it just felt like a natural goodbye, like a see you later type goodbye where, yeah, we'll see you when this is all over, knowing that that's not going to happen. It just mm-hmm. uh, makes it that much more harder to watch play out and think about it. It's, that's Revenge is a Sith in a nutshell because that's the same thing pretty much happens between Anakin and Obi-Wan too when Obi-Wan leaves to go to Utapau. It's just uh, a goodbye, like for now, see you later type thing. But um, as we know, that was the last time they'll see each other as friends. And how sad that is to watch now. It's the same thing with Ahsoka and Anakin, knowing what happens in their next actual meeting face-to-face in Twilight of the Apprentice. Uh, it's just, man, this one is so beautiful about it, where you just think about the dialogues, where they just tell each other, good luck. Or first she goes, uh, I forget the exact dialogues, but it's something where um, the Jedi don't believe in luck or we don't. Um, I, I think you know. I think Anakin says, with any luck, this will all be over soon. And Ahsoka yeah. says, Obi-Wan, and always said, there's no such thing as luck. That's and he right. says, uh, you know, well, good, good thing, thing I, I taught, taught you otherwise. otherwise. Right? And so yeah. she just says, okay. Anakin, good luck. And he just smiles at her and turns and turns and walks away. That's, that's so great. And then you just think about Twilight of the Apprentice and she goes, I won't leave you. And he, what does he say? Then you will die. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, <laughs> and I just rewatched that. Twilight of the Apprentice today, too, for the first time since the Clone Wars finale. And it's just oh, so good. And it's funny because these like obviously there weren't any I mean, aside from like what actually happens in Order 66, like. I feel like these episodes didn't really answer any like burning questions. Like there's nothing in, in Twilight of the Apprentice or in Rebels that like didn't make sense before that suddenly all makes sense now because we have like this huge missing piece of the puzzle, but it still did feel like just a more complete story, you know, yeah. knowing that there's not that gap where like, okay, we saw Ahsoka and Rex in the Clone Wars and then something happened and somehow they survived Order 66 and now here they are again in Rebels. It's like just having this completed part of the story now just makes that whole story arc feel seamless. And it's like, you know, you can follow those characters all the way through. Yeah, it just adds to the impact and the emotion when you see those episodes again. It just elevates it to what was it already amazing Star Wars story. Yeah. More amazing. In fact, what really what really hit me. And and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here to to stuff that happens in the later episodes. But at the end of Twilight of the Apprentice, when obviously Kanan and Ezra like return back to the rebel base and they think Ahsoka's dead. We know otherwise because of the world between worlds. But um, you know, just that emotional scene at the end where they go back and Hera sees Kanan blind and uh, Ezra, you know, just is is all sad because he thinks Ahsoka's gone and you see uh, like Sabine and Zeb looking at him and then Rex comes in between the two of them and and, yeah. uh, and Rex and Ezra lock eyes and then you just see Rex's face fall as he realizes that Ahsoka's gone and it's like after everything you see the two of them go through together in this episode for him to feel like, man, after all that and now, you know, now she's gone. Um, it was like, oh, that hurts. And I hope yeah. I hope Ezra got to tell Rex that Ahsoka survived before he disappeared with with Thrawn and everything. Um, yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I had that thought recently, too. I was like, wait, does Rex even know that Ahsoka survived? But um, I, you should have been the first person Ezra told. Yeah. <laughs> after experiencing that. Now, I got two minor 
nitpicks about the whole thing. One of them was just a real fanboy nitpick that I'm sure I'm the only one who has. But the one I'm going to mention right now, I'm not sure if you felt this way, but there was a, I was a little bit disappointed in the sequence that we didn't get really a farewell or a final conversation between Rex and Anakin. Kind of like Anakin just saying, mm. all right, Rex, you're a bit promoted commander now. Like, take care of Ahsoka. Or, or hopefully the mission goes well and good luck, all that type of stuff. Or just Rex saying goodbye to Anakin or to make sure you get the chancellor and I'll rejoin you as soon as I can. Just some type of conversation, um, knowing that this is the last time we're probably going to see these two characters together again. So we didn't really get that. Uh, Rex was there at the beginning talking to Ahsoka when he was mentioning about uh, the troopers painting uh, their armor or their helmets, I should say, in her colors. And then he just kind of walks away. <laughs> he wasn't even told that he was being promoted. So I don't know if you felt that way, but that was just one little disappointment I had with that sequence. I wasn't really disappointed by it. I mean, it did obviously stand out to me that like we never actually see Rex get promoted or Anakin doesn't tell him that directly. But I can understand that like in the midst of everything going on that you know, it's like we obviously assume that happened sometime between that scene and when they arrive on Mandalore. Um, and just having Anakin say it to Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, it's like for, for story purposes, we don't necessarily need to see that again. Um, and it would have definitely been nice to see one last farewell between Rex and Anakin too. But again, like I I think it, it at least makes sense because the characters, like, like if Anakin knew it was the last time he was going to see them, then of course he would have said goodbye to Rex too. But, you know, he, he says goodbye to Ahsoka and says, like, again, hey, you know, you go do the, your thing, I'll go do my thing, and with any luck, we'll be right back together and this whole thing will be over. So I don't think he needs to, you know, he, he probably doesn't feel the need to say goodbye to Rex. He's like, I'm going to see him soon again, too. Um, and obviously, I'm sure Anakin has a closer attachment and relationship with Rex than a lot of Jedi do with their clones, um, just because he's... He, is not afraid to get close to people and have those attachments. But I think it, I mean, really the emotion of that scene is between Anakin and Ahsoka. Um, and I think she's more important to him than Rex is. And so I, I just don't think you need to like sort of repeat that story beat of Anakin saying goodbye to somebody else that's important to him, but maybe not as important. Um, obviously Rex is still a very important character in the story and has some of the most emotional moments in it later on. But um, yeah, I don't know. That didn't really bug me too much. Okay, yeah, I was curious, but again, Bob's this a really minor nitpick, and I have an even minor one coming up, but I'm sure you won't feel the same way about it as the next one, but we'll get to that one. But I was just curious to see if you felt that same way as I did. Nah, I was fine with it. Um, again, like something that they could have addressed, but didn't feel like a huge hole that they didn't. Um, <clears throat> but of course, then they go from there to Mandalore, um, and we get just that really cool shot of the Star Destroyer going going overhead and all the Republic gunships and Mandalorian gauntlet fighters flying towards Mandalore. Um, and then, uh, of course, Prime Minister Almec gets his forces ready and, and we see all the, you know, all of Maul's Mandalorian forces and with their red armor. And we see Gar Saxon and Rook Cast and all those guys and they start launching their counterattack and we get that really cool aerial battle where you just got, again, yeah. all these ships <laughs> flying around, Mandalorians flying around on jetpacks, flying into gunships and taking clones out, and everybody's, you know, bailing out and fighting in the air and stuff. And, 
you know, I just love all the clones are putting their helmets and their jetpacks on and jumping out. And Rex goes to Ahsoka, oh, sorry, I forgot to bring you a jetpack. And she says, don't need one and just jumps out. Oh, and she says, I love when she just says, you know, race you to the surface and she jumps out and Rex is just kind of leaning out, watching her and just laughing. Because again, like <laughs> he's been with her and Anakin for so long. He's like, oh, of course she doesn't need one. Like, wow, she's going to wreck all these guys. Um that's exactly what she does. Yeah, and she's just jumping down between the gunships and slashing Mandalorians and kicking them and force pushing them and doing all kinds of aerial acrobatics and then, uh, you know, saves the the clone trooper who's in the burning gunship and helps him evacuate and then love she that. jumps off. Yeah, and I love that, like, in the midst of all this chaos that she's not just fighting the bad guys but takes the time to save this one this one clone pilot. And then jumps off of his doomed gunship, lands on the landing platform. The gunship crashes behind her. It's, you know, total action movie shot of, like, the hero with the explosion behind him. But it's so cool. Um, and and the music throughout this entire sequence is fantastic, too. And, again, just huge props to Kevin Kiner on this entire story arc. Um, I'm sure we'll mention it multiple times throughout the rest of the arc too. just moments where the music was fantastic. Um, and this was one moment where, you know, the music was just, you know, heroic and uplifting and fit the action perfectly. Also, people have pointed out that like the music during the battle kind of mirrors the, the music from the opening battle of revenge of the Sith and kind of suggests that those two things are going on simultaneously. So that was a really cool touch. Um, but yeah, just just the the music perfectly complemented the action here, um, and you see Ahsoka lands on the platform. She's deflecting the blast from the Mandalorians, and then Bo-Katan and Rex and everybody lands behind her, and you know they they go and start invading the city. But just man, what an awesome sequence to kick off, you know, this battle for Mandalore. This sequence totally lived up to the title siege of mandalore man <laughs> i mean this is a full-blown siege and the action did not disappoint it was incredible again using that word cinematic this is exactly what it was like it reminded me a bit of landing at point range is how mm -hmm. you're blown away that you're seeing this type of action in an animated tv show and it just feels like you're watching a live action movie at certain points it was just phenomenal and did not disappoint and going back to that moment where Ahsoka saved the clone trooper. It's just really cool. She's taking out all these um, Mandalorians and she sees this Republic gunship going down. She's running across and sees it and jumps on top to save the clone trooper. And just like everybody goes, thanks commander. And he rockets his parachute out and flies away. But to me, it's nice contrast to, again, as you were pointing out with the music kind of suggesting, and I, I'm taking it this way of how, as this is going on, the battle over Coruscant's going on with Anakin and Obi-Wan and, the opposite happens there where clone troopers and their ships are being shot down by the separatists and Anakin goes, I'm going to go help him out. Obi-Wan goes, no, no, they're doing their job so we can do ours. But Ahsoka kind of like Anakin being her pat, being his Padawan decides, you know, you got to save the lives you can here and the troopers who you fought side by side with for so long and to do what you can to save them. And she does exactly that. And that's a theme I'll be talking about even more later on and when we get to the last two episodes. I think it's such a powerful one. But I just love that aspect of Ahsoka's character doing that right away here and just capping off, which was an amazing battle sequence and just living up to the expectations I've had for a battle that was going to be against clone troopers and Mandalorians. I've said before how that was one of the 
geeky things I was robbed of <laughs> when the Clone Wars got canceled for mm-hmm. learning about this arc of how I'm never going to see clone troopers in their cool armor against Mandalorians in their cool armor. And we got that and we'll get even more of that later on. But it was just a great way to kick off this battle for the Siege of Mandalore. It was amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, they they go further into the city and you see them just having gunfights with like Gar Saxon and his guys. And I mean, like you said, this like the action and I'll kind of jump ahead a little bit here too, because it's not only in this episode, but then in the next episode as well in the Phantom yeah. Apprentice when like while Ahsoka is dueling Maul and then it keeps cutting back to, to the battle outside where it's like just this one last showdown where all Gar Saxon and all his guys, you know, Maul's rallied all his forces and they're making one last push against the clones and against Bo-Katan's, you know, Mandalorian, I don't know, loyalists, I guess you could call them. Um, but just these really cool staged battles between clone troopers and different factions of Mandalorians. And this is not just something that I've been wanting to see since the Clone Wars got canceled, but really since the Mandalorians were introduced in Clone Wars. Like, because mm-hmm. if you remember, like in season two in the Mandalore plot, um, or in that whole like first first arc with the Mandalorians, Pre Vizsla's whole plan when he's working with Dooku is is not to take over Mandalore themselves, but it's to provoke the Republic into invading Mandalore. And because the Mandalorians are pacifists and they don't like war and stuff, then, you know, they'll see the Republic invasion as a threat and they'll side with Death Watch to, to try to get him out of there. And so even back then I was envisioning like, oh man, what if somewhere down the line that actually happened? And back in season two, like I had no idea, like that could have been just a one-off story arc, right? Like their plan fails at the end and it's like, okay, well, who knows if we're ever going to see those guys again? I was really hoping yeah. we would, but it almost felt like like a fanboy wish, like, you know, oh, I want to see Mandalorians fight clone troopers, but like, who knows if that's ever going to happen? But I was picturing like, what would it look like? You know, this Republic invasion of Mandalore and all these clone troopers fighting all these Mandalorians. I was like, man, that would be so cool. And I was sitting there watching these battles play out over these two episodes going, this is it. Like, not only are we finally yeah. seeing this thing that we've heard about since the show was canceled and we always wanted to see, you know, this big final epic battle, but I'm like from the, you know, way back in season two, this is something that I really wanted to see and we're finally getting it. So it was so cool to just, you know, finally see that come to fruition. Um, and it really did live up to it in every way. I mean, just visually it was spectacular. The action was really cool. The battles, battles were awesome. I mean, one thing I would say is that maybe just some of the overall battles and stuff were maybe like a little bit smaller scale than I expected. Like, like once it was over, I kind of expected that there would have been like a little bit more to the battles and just like the military strategy of conquering the planet and everything. But then at the end of the day, when you think about it, like that's not really what the main focus of the story is about. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's about, you know, Ahsoka and Maul and the looming threat of order 66 and all this other stuff that's going on. So, um, you know, I, I'm totally fine that like, yeah, sure. You could have done like a landing at point rain style episode where the entire episode was just this giant battle for Mandalore, but they had so much other, you know, so many other characters and, and story moments and stuff that they had to to work into it. And I think they did a great job of balancing everything and still making this battle feel as big and epic as possible without having it overshadow all the other, you know, important character moments and stuff that they had to get into this. Yeah, but it's time to give my other minor nitpick about this arc. <laughs> the battles are amazing. Seeing clones against Mandalorians was something I was hoping for and was awesome. But my one little nitpick I have about it 
is coming from the clone fanboy that I am, is that I felt the clone casualty was a lot higher than the Mandalorian casualties, <laughs> where the Mandalorians were taking out clones fairly easily and quicker than I think um, I wanted to see, where they were just getting mowed down, especially in the Phantom Apprentice when they're fighting on that bridge. And again, having rockets on your jetpack helps <laughs> Mandalorian <laughs> yeah. warriors take out a bunch. But you saw some Mandalorians going like close up and just shooting them as they were running towards them. There were some moments where clones got some good shots and were throwing down and taking some out in some fist fights in that episode. But I felt overall the clones were taken out a little more easily than I wanted to see. And again, that's just a minor nitpick as a fanboy of the clone troopers and being a big fan of them and their story. I wanted to see them show a little bit more that they were the grand army of the Republic and that reputation that they have of being great soldiers shown a little more than we saw in those fight sequences. And even Bo-Katan kind of says in the second episodes where uh, the clone troopers or your soldiers are living up to their reputation or something to that effect. But I just wanted to see a little bit more of them show that. Again, just a minor nitpick, and that's probably the only one who thought of that while watching the episode. But I just felt too many were getting taken out uh, when you compare it to how they were taking out the Mandalorians until Bo-Katan's Mandalorian showed up and provided reinforcements is when they finally uh, got overwhelmed and had to su- had to surrender. But I would have liked it if, if the clone troopers played more of a role in that than they did. Even though they did a little, I just wanted to see more of it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, um, <laughs> it, it's supposed to, like you see Rex, you know, holding his ground and taking people out and stuff. Like if, if there were more clones in the battle that we had cared about, like on Umbara, like if we had fives and hard case and all those guys, I would have hoped to see like some cool action moments with them. But um, yeah, because that's the perfect example where each side got their moments, even the clones, especially when they were taking out those Umbaras that left and right with a lot of cool moves <laughs> that they were doing while they were getting overwhelmed, too. So I felt that one was a better showcase and showing the balance of what a battle could be. And that's I wanted something more on that vein between them and the Mandalorians. But yeah, and and. Again, I will kind of agree that like they could have maybe done a little bit more with the action and the battle sequences and stuff, but I feel like that wasn't like their main focus. Like Umbara, it was just all clones, all action, all warfare. Um, whereas you know, with this again, with with Ahsoka and Maul and and Bogotan and Almec and Order sixty six and and Maul sensing Palpatine's plan and you know, and again in the first episode with you know the whole first half the reunion with Anakin and Obi Wan and all that. Um, I don't begrudge them, you know, not putting all their focus and effort on on the battle scenes. I think they made them cool enough and did just enough with it while also obviously focus, focusing their efforts where they needed to be elsewhere. Um, yeah. So you probably won't hear me complaining anymore about the start. So those are those two nitpicks I had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just be more gushing. Um, so anyway, yeah. So then, you know, they they pretty much take the city right off the bat. Um, and, which also was, again, was like a little surprising. I'm like, oh, I thought it would have been harder for them to take Mandalore. But then, you know, obviously Bogatan said like she didn't have the numbers for it herself. But when she comes in with all this Republic backup, it's like they they've got the numbers to to overwhelm, uh, you know, Maul's guys. But um, then Bogatan goes in to interrogate Almec and she uh, he tells them that, you know, Maul was expecting the Jedi and she tries to uh let Ahsoka know that she's walking into a trap and Ahsoka's down in the sewers. And and uh, real quick, Olmec has a pretty cool piece of Mandalorian armor himself. He <laughs> absolutely does. 
That's the first I'll, time we've ever seen Almec in armor, and the first time I saw it, I was like, dang. Yeah. He suited up. Yeah, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Ahsoka's like cornered down in the sewers with Maul now, uh, which is where the first episode ends. But again, this could, you know, if this was a movie, it would just seamlessly transition where he's down there talking to her. Um, and this is where he starts kind of talking about how the time of the Jedi has passed and how he senses that this big shift is coming in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and before he really gets into it, Rex and some more clones track Ahsoka's location down to the sewers and they show up to rescue her. Um, and Maul says, Maul just kind of runs off and he says, no, it's not time yet. Um, so they, they chase Maul through the sewers and he gets away. Um, but then, well, actually, you know, let's, let's talk about this for a second because this is, the beginning of uh, probably my favorite episode of the entire series of Clone Wars, The Phantom Apprentice. And um, the thing that really made it amazing for me was not just the battles with the clones and the Mandalorians and not just the lightsaber duel between Ahsoka and Maul um, and not just like the Revenge of the Sith tie-in moments, which we're going to talk about here in just a sec, which was also really cool. But just the character of Maul and his performance and his dialogue and where his character's at and where his headspace is at. And, you know, he's almost like the the madman, like the, you know, the, the guy in a, a sci-fi movie or something like prophesying that the aliens are coming or that the end is nigh or whatever. And everybody thinks he's crazy. And then he turns out being right. Um, but just the, you know, the way he's interpreting all these things he's seeing through the force and the way he's talking about, uh, you know, Darth Sidious and everything. I mean, first of all, Sam Witwer just absolutely knocked this performance out of the park. Amazing, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love when he just owns the character, man. <laughs> yeah. But like, like, for example, in this scene, when Ahsoka says, uh, or when he's telling her that, um, you know, the, the Jedi and the Republic will no longer be the controlling interest in the galaxy. And she goes, who will be you? And he says, no, Darth, like he says, Darth Sidious, but the way he says it, he's just so like, it's almost like in Harry Potter when they're like afraid to say Voldemort, you know, like he can like barely get the name out. And he does the same thing later when they're in the throne room and he's talking about him and how he's always in the shadows. And he's like, you look at his eyes and like, he's looking around almost like he's expecting Sidious to pop out of the shadows and scare him. Like, because that happened to him before. <laughs> well, yeah, not only there on Mandalore, but then also you take into account like the Son of Dathomir comic where Sidious hunted him down again and Maul got away, but he killed Mother Talzin. Um, and so like, yeah, he has every right to be afraid of this guy, but it's just the the different ass, the, the different facets of Maul's personality and character at play here where he's, you know, he's got still that sort of confident, menacing air about him. And he's kind of like toying with Ahsoka and being vague about these hints of, of things that are coming. But at the same time, it's like when you get down to it, you can tell like he's scared of, of oh, what's yeah. coming. So um, just an absolutely fantastic portrayal of that character and probably some of the best Maul stuff in, in the entire series and all of Star Wars. Um, just, you know, again, and, and we said all like all along this season that they we knew they would be saving their best for last, and they absolutely did. Totally. Yeah, because you would think a typical villain in a story like this, if he senses someone trying to take and gain power, take control of the galaxy, and be like, No, I need to be the one who's in control and to overthrow him. But it's instead it's a more natural and I think a fitting way for his character to go about it where 
he knows it's not possible to take down Sidious just yet because obviously he tried with his brother Savage and that didn't work out well. But his goal here is at first just to try to secure what power he can as he tells the Mandalorians, there's going to be chaos in the galaxy. He senses it coming. It's just a matter of surviving it and having what power he's able to gain. And obviously we see that come to fruition in a little bit. We saw of him in Solo in the criminal underworld. But just how it was just not the typical Sith way of dealing with things as far as overthrowing the master and I need to take control and gain power. Obviously gaining power is the ultimate goal, but in this instance, in this scenario that he's foreseeing, that's just not going to be possible. And he just has kind of a more realistic way of going about how he needs to survive during this chaotic time that's going to be uh, the time of the Galactic Empire and the Galactic Civil War that's about to happen. Yeah, so he's, just, he's like resigned to it. Like he knows that Sidious is more powerful than him and that he has more influence and he senses these things coming and and he's like, okay, rather than try to stop it, although he does, you know, when he talks to Ahsoka, it's like he does at some point suggest the idea of them stopping it together. Like his real aim seems to be more just surviving it. Yeah. You know, he's He's trying to weather the storm, not prevent the storm. Totally. And I don't know if you want to get into the Anakin aspect of Darth let's, Maul. Let's save that yet. for for when we get closer to the fight scene and stuff, because that I could go okay. off on a whole thing just on that by itself. But yeah, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I just thought that that initial scene with with Maul was fantastic. And then, of course, that's the first time Ahsoka hears the name Sidious. And so then she goes back to the throne room. Um, after Maul gets away and she's talking to Bo-Katan and they're they're talking with Obi-Wan, who's, you know, via hologram, um, just giving an update and stuff. And again, it's cool. Like now this is in the time of Revenge of the Sith. And when I first saw the scene initially, I thought that this was like during the scene where Anakin's talking to Yoda about his visions. And then he, he goes to Obi-Wan mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan says, oh, you've missed the report on the Outer Rim sieges. And I was like, oh, this would be a perfect like this is one of the reports on the Outer Rim sieges. But then you find out that this is actually a little bit later. Um, but you know, ah- Ahsoka starts asking about Sidious and, and Obi-Wan says, well, I'll tell you what I know from Dooku. Like he's the Sith Lord that orchestrated the Clone Wars and is playing both sides. And, and really the only information we have is what Dooku told me, but we can't get any more from Dooku cause he's dead. Cause Anakin killed him. Um, and so Obi-Wan's like, okay, well now it's really important that you capture Maul because if he knows something about Sidious, like that might be our only link to him. And Ahsoka says, you know, okay, well send me more reinforcements then. And Obi-Wan says, well, I can't cause I'm on my, my way to Utapau to hunt down General Grievous. Um, or he says he's being sent to hunt. He says he's being sent to Utapau. I don't think he's on his way to Utapau yet. Cause I'll get to that in a second. Not yet. Yeah. Um, but he says, I'm being sent to Utapau to hunt down General Grievous. And then, um, Ahsoka says, well, what about Anakin? And uh, Obi-Wan has Rex and Bogatan leave the room um, and he talks to Ahsoka in private and he says that he tells her basically about Anakin's assignment to spy on the Chancellor. Um, and so he says he says the council has tasked Anakin to observe the Chancellor and she sees right through it. She's like, wait, you mean spy on him? Like the Chancellor is his close friend and he's meant so much to him. Like that doesn't seem like a good idea. And I love that you can see that Obi-Wan is kind of, he's kind of agreeing with her. You know, it's like, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he's on Mm -hmm. the council and he doesn't quite have like that maverick streak like Qui-Gon had where he's willing to just completely go against them. But he also is smart enough that like, he knows that they're not always right. And that, 
you know, they, they make mistakes sometimes or that they, uh, they don't always go about things the best way. Um, I mean, even, you know, he's seen that like when, uh, when they kicked Ahsoka out of the order and stuff. And, um, but he's like, you know, he says, I, I tried talking to Anakin about it and, and, you know, he didn't take it well. And he, tries to get Ahsoka to talk to him about it. And she says, you know, I'm hardly the best person to be sticking up for the council and whatever. Um, Obviously with everything they've gone through. Um, But, and and I forget exactly how they, they leave off that scene, but basically Obi-Wan is trying to get her to, to convey maybe what he can't um, in, in just sort of like comforting Anakin and letting him know that they're on his side. Um, but then Rex comes in and says, you know, interrupts and says like, there's been an attack and, uh, and, um, oh, so before Ahsoka runs off, she says to Obi-Wan, she says, tell Anakin. And he says, I will. And she never finishes. And so you kind of are left wondering like, what is it that she wants him to say? And obviously he kind of already gets the gist of it. Um, the way I see that though, is that this scene again is like right before Obi-Wan leaves for Utapau. So probably shortly after this is when he has that scene with, with Anakin in the the docking bay or whatever it is before Obi-Wan gets on the Star Destroyer and leaves for Utapau. And when they have that sort of heart to heart, um, because obviously things have been tense between them with the, the council and the, um, Anakin being denied the rank of master and then being sent to spy on the chancellor and all that stuff. And this is where Obi-Wan, you know, kind of has that last, you know, they, they part on good terms and Obi-Wan says, uh, how Anakin is so strong and wise and he's so proud of him. And, you know, the council will, he, he says, you know, be patient. Like they'll make you a, a master before long. Um, and sort of the way I take it now, having seen all this stuff in Clone Wars is I think that like just those words of, of comfort and of reassurance that he's giving to Anakin, it's almost like he's saying that on behalf of him and Ahsoka. Like mm-hmm. she would say the same thing if she were there, just telling him, just sort of giving him that that confidence boost and telling him like how how strong and how you know good of a friend he is and all that kind of stuff so um i just think that's a nice tie-in and i love the way that they kind of work in as much stuff as they can around sort of revenge of the sith and you know obviously don't change anything from the movie and really don't like repeat any events from the movie but then you know, obviously there are moments like we're not with Anakin or Obi-Wan every second of their day throughout Revenge of the Sith. And so it's like, yeah, sure. It makes sense that Obi-Wan would have another conversation where he kind of fills Ahsoka in on, on what's going on. So, um, just a really nice connection there and a nice sort of heart to heart between the two of them where you see their, their sort of shared perspective on what's going on with Anakin as we're getting further into Revenge of the Sith and sort of the troubled state that he's in. Yeah, man, that's a great way to look at that goodbye between Obi-Wan and Anakin. I didn't necessarily think about that while I was watching this scene, but I'm definitely going to do now when I see both sequences, when I watch this, these Clone Wars episodes and Revenge of the Sith, when Obi-Wan says goodbye, because that's totally, I think, on the money, where after that conversation he had with Ahsoka, Obi-Wan is totally conveying what him and Ahsoka would tell Anakin, someone they're obviously very close to. And again, one of those moments that you see a Star Wars that enhances one that you already loved before and mm-hmm. uh, just goes by why. Well, I just love getting all these new stories, whether they're prequels or sequels or happening at the same time <laughs> as other movies that we're already familiar with. I just enhance it. I love that. I love that aspect that you brought up about it. Just so good. And I think I said this when we were talking about these episodes on our last one, where this was a moment where I was surprised that we're at this stage in Revenge of the Sith already. 
because when they enter that room and we see the hologram of Obi-Wan, at first I thought, oh, they're still on the Republic cruiser, still making their way to Coruscant to go into that battle. But when he says Count Dooku is dead, I was like, oh, man, we're, we're in the thick of it now. <laughs> we're definitely going to be coinciding more with Revenge of the Sith than I thought this early in the stage of this arc. But as the le- next episodes played out, it just made all the sense in the world to how these episodes flowed and where they took place in the timeline with Revenge of the Sith to get where we got in those final episodes. So, yeah, that was a surprise to me, but one that worked really, really well. And just a great... Not the best conversation, I guess, amongst friends as far as Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are concerned for what they had to talk about and their concern with Anakin and how Ahsoka views or views what the council was doing to him, having him spy on the Chancellor. But it was a conversation that ended on a nice note between Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, which would be their final conversation, as far as we know, until we get any other stories if they come in contact with each other while Obi-Wan's on Tatooine, but at least the final conversation that they have between now and Revenge of the Sith. Um, Because at first, once Obi-Wan and Anakin left Ahsoka with the 501st and they went off to go rescue Palpatine, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka kind of didn't leave on the best of terms where they weren't seen eye to eye on the matter at hand as far as how to deal with the situation and how the Jedi are being viewed as Ahsoka views them and as the public sees them and how they handle certain situations and just looking out for the chancellor as you talked about in that scene so i kind of wondered is that going to be the final conversation that obi-wan and ahsoka have is it going to be somewhere they didn't see eye to eye and weren't necessarily on the same page but um they definitely had that conversation where they ended things where they were both showing their concern for anakin and wanted what's best for him and then i think you just summed it up beautifully for how that moment where Anakin and Obi-Wan say goodbye, how Obi-Wan is telling all those positive things and reassuring Anakin on behalf of him and Ahsoka, which now really makes me believe even more so that the way Obi-Wan and Ahsoka left things before the tragic events was more on a positive note, which is kind of nice to look upon now and just have to see if they ever come in contact with each other again, which will be interesting to see them talk about the experiences and how they're dealing with the aftermath of everything that happened with the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. So we'll see if we ever get that. But if we don't, I just love how you said that, where now I'm going to look at that scene as Obi-Wan and Ahsoka saying that to Anakin and making that connection between Obi-Wan and Ahsoka is good to have too, because they were close also. I mean, obviously Anakin and Ahsoka were close to being the master and the apprentice, but Obi-Wan had his fair share in this and with Ahsoka um, just the two of them and also being with Anakin. So um, it's got to be difficult for Obi-Wan and Ahsoka dealing with their different point of views and how to go about this really trying time in the galaxy at this pivotal point in the war too and not seeing eye to eye where they usually did for a lot of missions and circumstances during the Clone War. So the fact that they kind of had this moment to end things on was uh, really cool to see. So yeah, just another cool moment to get with these legacy characters in the Clone Wars that we've had so many great moments with, but now seeing it coincide with Revenge of the Sith, this worked so well and just getting these different perspective and views on moments of Revenge of the Sith in a different aspect now at 
uh, this point in the war, <laughs> in the series of Clone Wars, I should say. So just more great stuff of how we're seeing new perspective on things that we're already familiar with. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that Clone Wars has done best all along is adding yeah. more context to just the prequel era in general and, and to these movies and sort of understanding better like what the characters have gone through in between the movies and, and just sort of their, their experiences and, and more like what the state of the galaxy is and just what events have transpired and things like that. Um, but in this case, rather than sort of filling in gaps in between episodes two and three, now we're adding context directly to the events of revenge of the Sith and, and things that are going on at the same time. Um, and just, you know, further understanding like what these characters are going through and stuff. So yeah, I love that. Um, and then I think we go from there to, oh, so so Rex comes in and, and tells Ahsoka there's been an attack in the sewers. And so they go down and uh, the clone tells them that they got ambushed and that Rex took Jesse. Um, and then it cuts to to Maul like further down, down in the sewers and he's got Jesse hostage um, with all his Mandalorians there. Um, and he uh, interrogates Jesse using the Force, kind of like using that same Force technique that Kylo Ren used, like on Poe and tried to use on Ray to sort of probe their mind. Mm -hmm. um, and he, oh, and the other thing, like early in the episode when when Maul came, uh, when he had a when he had Ahsoka captured the first time, and he said, you know, I was hoping for Kenobi. Why are you here? Um, and he he sort of knows who Ahsoka is. He's like, you know, Ahsoka Tano is it like. You know, I, if he and he puts it something like, you know, I'm sure we have several mutual friends or whatever. Um, but he doesn't really know much about her. So the reason he's interrogating Jesse is because he wants to know who Ahsoka is, why she's here. Why did the Jedi send her instead of Obi-Wan? Because his whole plan was, you know, that he wanted to, to bring Obi-Wan. And, and he mentions like, you know, and maybe he would bring Skywalker with him. But up to this point, you're just assuming, like, Maul just wants revenge on Obi-Wan. Like, and this is what he is, yeah. he, what he's been out for the whole time. You know, his whole thing with Satine, he wanted to make Obi-Wan suffer. Um, and we see this all the way to the end of his character arc in Rebels, where, you know, he goes after Obi-Wan on Tatooine, and that's where he dies. Like, um, you know, this whole time, he Obi-Wan has been just the one thing that he's chasing after. So you think that... You know, he this was just another plan of his to try to get revenge on Obi-Wan. Um, and he's like, who's this Ahsoka? And interrogates, you know, he reaches into Jesse's mind to, f to find out everything that he can. Um, but he also, before that, orders Saxon to go, he orders Gar Saxon, who, by the way, we saw in Rebels. Um, and so it was a nice sort of tie-in to have him now in the Clone Wars era. Although I think technically his actual first appearance, I think he was created for Clone Wars first because he's in yeah. the Son of Dathomir comic um, mm -hmm. as you know one of Maul's lieutenants or whatever. And so I think they probably just repurposed that character for Rebels and then coming back to Clone Wars, they were like, well, it would still make sense to have him still in the story too. Um, so Maul sends him to go... Uh, assassinate Almec before he can tell the the Republic anything useful. Um, so now we've got Ahsoka and uh, Bo-Katan, and I think Rex is with them too. They they go back to uh, Almec's prison cell because they've got him in prison now. Um, and he starts talking about how uh, like what Maul's plan is, and 
um, I think Ahsoka and Bo-Katan ask him, like, what's, how is Maul planning to escape? And he says, oh, Maul's not planning to escape, like, because he sees no point in it. And they're like, oh, so he thinks he can defeat us then? And he goes, no, that's not it. Like, he knows that something is coming. And he says, like, for weeks he's been consumed by this strange sense of dread and he's been having visions and stuff. Um, and he said, uh, oh, and this is when he says, you know, he, uh, he wasn't just after Kenobi. There was another Jedi he wanted to, but he's like, oh, but I can't remember the name and whatever. And then that's when he gets shot by Gar Saxon. Um, and as he's dying, he tells Ahsoka that uh, Maul had a vision and the name came to him and it was Skywalker. And this is the first time that we realize, like, oh, okay, so so wait, what does Maul want with Anakin now? Like, he's been having visions about him. And obviously you can already kind of piece it together, like, that maybe he is he's starting to realize Sidious's plan. And in, in all of this, he realizes that Anakin is key to it. Um, but just a cool scene here, like again, really getting more into just the complexity of what's going on with Maul. Cause now you're starting to realize like, Oh, this isn't just him trying to get revenge on Obi-Wan, or this isn't just the Republic going to hunt down a bad guy. Like there's something going on here. Like Maul has plans and schemes and, and, you know, we're wanting to know what these are. So, um, and then, of course, as as Almec dies and he says the name Skywalker, you hear that faint hint of the imp the Imperial March. Um, yeah, <laughs> obviously hinting at why Anakin is important to Sidious's plan and and what that's all going to lead to. Yeah, that was the first little tease that there's something more than meets the eye here with Maul's plan and what the whole Siege of Mandalore is about than initially thought. Because like you said, it's just, oh, typical Maul wanting to get revenge on Obi-Wan and trying to lure him back here. But again, it just speaks to how special and great this story is and how it's just so much more than that and just how it plays to the overall grander scheme of Star Wars saga or the Skywalker saga and just how certain characters try to get involved in that and do what they can to affect the outcome of the galaxy, which... As Maul keeps saying, this is such a pivotal moment in the galaxy. And even when we first see him, he's kind of unsure if it's happening right now, but kind of suspects, oh, it's going to happen soon. The thing that he's been sensing is um, they're on the cusp of it. And we're just getting little hints of the reason why he's even here in the first place. And it was kind of a cool little tease to what ends up being a pretty cool surprise by the time we get to the end of this episode. But um, this is the last we're going to see of Olmec. I mean, he's been in that prison cell a few times over the course yeah, of the true. series. So it's only fitting that he dies there. <laughs> but uh, what transpired after was a pretty cool little action sequence between Bo-Katan and Gar Saxon, uh, with both of them in their awesome-looking Mandalorian armors fighting in that elevator shaft. And I just love that hollow shield that Bo-Katan has and just seeing it go against the Mandalorian flamethrower. It just looked really cool visually. And that's the next thing I hopefully we get to see in the Mandalorian TV show and some of his new gadgets that he gets. Mm. Or if he has that holo shield to see that in live action in a battle, that could be really cool to see. But yeah, that would be pretty sweet. It was awesome seeing an action in this uh, little uh, action bit here in Clone Wars between Gar Saxon and Bo-Katan. Yeah, that was a pretty a pretty cool fight scene there. Um you know, in the elevator shaft with, you know, elevators going up and down and eventually Bogotan gets trapped under one and um, gets out and sees Saxon flying away. Um, but yeah, yeah, just and cool use of like Mandalorians using all their gadgets and the shields and the jetpacks and the flamethrowers and all that stuff. And this might seem like a really small detail, but it's so cool to me. And again, part of my excitement about seeing 
clone troopers and Mandalorians on screen together. Just that quick little shot we see of just a random clone trooper and a random Mandalorian part of uh, Bo-Katan's clan just standing there in the elevator with their cool-looking helmets, some of the coolest-looking designs in Star Wars, just standing there together. I just got a real kick out of seeing that. And again, it's one of those geeky moments where it's like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some that I just was hopeful for so long, seeing these cool pieces of Star Wars design on screen together. Not even in action. They're just standing there looking awesome, not even doing anything. So just a cool little small touch that I couldn't help but notice as I was watching that sequence. Just I can't believe I've seen clone troopers and Mandalorian side by side here in these episodes. This is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you know, something else that was cool too, I mean, just speaking of of cool armor and Mandalorians and stuff. I mean, not only did we get Gar Saxon, who I, I don't remember if I said this already, he looks freaking awesome in this episode. Like his armor yeah. in this episode compared to like Rebels, I'm like, man, he must be going through a midlife crisis or something in Rebels because like he's got just that drab, like red and white Imperial armor. But man, here <laughs> the he's Empire got- The Empire wouldn't allow that. <laughs> yeah, he's got like the glowing yellow visor and the mall horns and all cool. that kind of yeah. stuff. Um yeah, he looks pretty dang cool. But then there's also like Rook Cast uh, is another one of the, the Mandalorian lieutenants, and she looks pretty cool. But then you've also got uh, Ursa Wren, who we see in these episodes, who, of course, yeah. is uh, Sabine's mom from Rebels. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, like now that we've seen her and she's obviously older, it's like, oh, yeah, it would make sense that she would be around during the Clone Wars and, and would have been part of all this. So um, that was cool to see her fighting with Bo-Katan. Um, but then, so afterwards, this was a really interesting scene, too, where you see, uh, like, all the, the Mandalorian people basically being sort of herded by the clone troopers to, like, refugee shelters and stuff um, to take cover from, you know, all the battles that are going on and stuff like that. And Bo-Katan is watching over it and kind of realizing, like, what she's brought to her planet. Um, and she was the one that asked the Republic for help to to come uh, get rid of Maul and, um, you know, even when they were talking with like Anakin and Obi-Wan and she was trying to convince them to come help, um, and Obi-Wan was kind of against like getting drug into another war <clears throat> and bo was like, no, you don't understand. Like my people are suffering and like, you haven't seen what Maul has done to them. And it's interesting because we never really see that in this episode, like aside from just taking her word for it. And it's not hard to believe because we know Maul's a bad guy, but uh, I think maybe it would have been interesting to see like the state of like see more of the state of Mandalore under Maul's rule and like see how the people were suffering and stuff. Um, but again, like it's, I don't feel like it's too much of a stretch to just kind of imagine that because we know he's a bad guy and we know that, that Gar Saxon and all the Mandalorians that are following him are like not the nicest guys. But um, now to see bo basically get what she asked for. And, and uh, I mean, Maul hasn't been taken care of yet, but like her and the, the Republic are basically in control now and they've sort of retaken the throne and all that. Um, and now to see her people as, you know, sort of refugees and, and taking shelter from this war and, and being herded by these clones that are basically acting as a military police force. And she's like, you know, this isn't what I wanted. Um, and she tells, you know, she tells Ahsoka and Rex, she's like, you know, this can't last much longer. Like the people won't stand for it and I won't stand for it. And Rex goes, hey, you know, you asked for our help and like we don't want to be acting as a police force, but, you know, we kind of have to until this war is over. And then, you know, Ahsoka tells her like, you know, once we capture Maul, then we'll leave. Um, but it was very interesting just to see like it's almost like uh, stuff that 
uh, Pre Vizsla and and Dooku talked about coming true. Like, yeah, th- th- it was one thing they talked about from the very beginning that if th- that if a Republic invasion happened, that it would be bad for Mandalore. Um, and you're seeing that now. And you and we don't necessarily get the sense that the people are gonna like rise up and revolt against them or or turn to the ways of Death Watch or anything like that. But you do definitely get a sense that the people are suffering and that they're not happy with this um, and not happy to be having these clone troopers kind of ordering them around. So um, just really cool to get that perspective and see uh, that, you know, just because the quote unquote good guys are are winning and they're sort of kicking the bad guys out that it's going to have repercussions regardless and that maybe there are no clear cut good guys and bad guys and that. Um, you know, the innocent people caught in the middle of this are kind of suffering regardless of who wins. No, yeah, totally. This was something I wasn't expecting to see, but I felt was pretty important. And I think just foreshadowing for what's to come as far as the Empire taking over Mandalore and all the stuff Mm -hmm. we've heard about in the Mandalorian about the Empire wiping them out. I think this is the start of it right here, just kind of seeing that first occupation of the Republic. Obviously, we know it turns into the Empire and just seeing that presence there of the clone troopers being in charge and policing the citizens there. And we know, I'm not sure if all of them, it kind of makes it out like they all left Mandalore once they captured Maul. But I wonder if some went back. Well, Palpatine knows Mandalore is kind of in a spot that's right for the taking after that having that victory. And the, he sends a battalion of clone troopers go back to occupy it again pretty fast. Because after Order 66 and Revenge of the Sith, it looks like they immediately took to occupying planets because you see some shots on Utapau where it looks like they're rounding up the Utapau ones there mm-hmm. and just and same kind on of gathering. too. Yeah, exactly too. So I wonder if there was any clone like uh, battalions remaining there, or if they went back to kind of continue what we saw in this in this quick scene in this episode here. But just kind of some interesting and foreboding uh, stuff that's gonna eventually lead to, I guess, the fall of the Mandalorians and them going into hiding eventually once the Empire fully takes control and starts wiping them out. But I think it that was kind of the point of that scene I took anyway, just showing the first seeds of that happening to the planet Mandalore. And like you said, kind of um, not only what Dooku and Pre Vizsla were hoping for and to get Death's Watts to take power again, but obviously that didn't happen, but also Satine's one of her greatest fears about what can happen to Mandalore if that were to happen, if the Republic was to get involved and we saw the first aspects of that there. So I uh, wasn't expecting that, though, but I thought it was a pretty nice touch for uh, Dave to put that in there to kind of just add to that Mandalorian history that we're learning as we see the Mandalorian TV show and what transpired over the course between, you know, the Clone Wars and the Galactic Civil War leading up to the post Return of the Jedi era in that show. So just some little more, gaps being filled there and just showing where things possibly could have started with the empire being involved with uh, Mandalore. Yeah. And I'm, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but I'm going to stay on this topic of just Mandalore for a second. Um, this was actually maybe a small nitpick that I had, not with this episode, because we're still kind of talking about the Phantom Apprentice, but then you go into the next episode. And at the beginning, you see the Republic leaving Mandalore um, but you do see as they're leaving, as Ahsoka and everybody's like getting on that shuttle, there's sort of like a squad, uh, like like sort of their their path to the shuttle is flanked by like a squad of Mandalorian troopers on one side and a squad of clone troopers on the other side. Um, and I it had me wondering like, well, are 
are those clones staying there? Because we don't see them getting on the shuttle. So are they staying there kind of as, you know, either as an occupying force or to just sort of aid the Mandalorians in, in you know, cleaning up the city or whatever? Um, and making a smooth transition, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> power it's evolved. like even though Ahsoka promised Bo-Katan that they would leave, like maybe it's not that simple. Or again, maybe, yeah, maybe they're staying just to help secure a peaceful transition or whatever. Um but I wish that we had seen a little bit more of like what happens to Mandalore next. And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm so, you know, like you said, there's so much stuff that's like been teased in the Mandalorian. And I was hoping that we'd get like a little bit more answers there. Um, because when, uh, in, in the, the season finale of the Mandalorian, when, when Moff Gideon is basically rattling off the characters backstories, cause he knows all the information about yeah. it. Um, and he's talking about that that eweb turret, and he's like, you know, maybe ask the Mandalorian recruit Din Djarin, uh, who saw you know thousands of Mandalorian recruits wiped out by gunships uh, fitted with you know this same weapon uh, during the siege of Mandalore during the Night of a Thousand Tears, um, something like that. Uh, now, it had already been sort of hinted at earlier in the show the fact that, like you said, like the Empire wiped out the Mandalorians, and I'm assuming that was something that took place. Again, just I'm tr- trying to piece together the timeline in my head based on what we've seen, like in the Clone Wars and in Rebels and stuff. But I'm assuming there was like a big oh, because they refer to the Purge, and I'm assuming yeah. I'm assuming that the Purge took place sometime in between Rebels and the original trilogy, and that mm-hmm. that's probably when Moff Gideon took the dark saber from Bo-Katan. And I'm assuming, I mean, you know, I kind of hope it doesn't turn out this way, but it seems like something that probably doesn't end well for like Bo-Katan and Ursa Ren and all the Mandalorians that we know that are kind of good guys. Um, so after years of like trying to keep control of them with like Gar Saxon and all these Imperial Mandalorian commandos and, you know, and having Sabine and all the other recruits that were sort of part of like the weapons development program and stuff, and basically trying to make Mandalore subservient to the empire, um, and they kept resisting and fighting back. I think at some point they just said, okay, enough of this, wipe them out. And that was the purge that happened sometime around the time of the original trilogy. And that's why all the Mandalorians are hiding now in the time of uh, the Mandalorian. But when Moff Gideon's talking about that, he doesn't say during the purge, he specifically says the siege of Mandalore. And that made me wonder if there was something, like if we were going to see something like that here where... Um, or maybe they leave some clones on Mandalore and then after order 66 goes down, then those clones, you know, now become stormtroopers essentially and transition into the empire and they maybe turn against the Mandalorians. And like you said, try to take over the planet. Um, now I guess maybe I'm being greedy here because really like that sounds like a story that could be its own episode or its own story arc in another show or, you know, who knows, maybe we'll get that in a a comic or a novel or something, but I would have liked, maybe just a little bit more about like the aftermath on Mandalore and, and what happened there. Um, but I don't know, even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, that's really just because I know more of what comes later and I want to fill in those gaps. Um, mm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I love that just overall, like this was a, this arc was a very fitting conclusion to the show. And yet there still are storylines and characters that you can, still you know kind of expand on and and there's still room for more stories kind of around this um and that's definitely one of them 
yeah, and I really doubt they'll live, leave those stories untold. <laughs> Eventually, at some point, we're going to get more of those gaps filled in as far as Mandalorian history from what we see in the Clone Wars up to the post-Empire era. So I guess it's just a matter of time. But I was kind of what you were saying. We're initially going into this arc. I thought all four episodes would be taking place on Mandalore and the events of Order 66 would happen there. And we would see the fallout of Mandalore when that, or when that happened and see how the Empire took even more control and occupied it. So I was a little surprised that technically it was two episodes on Mandalore and two episodes off of Mandalore. So really the Siege of Mandalore is only applies to two episodes, but I mean, mm-hmm. the the arc is synonymous with that name now. So just you got to accomplish all four with that. So I was a little surprised by that. But again, it's not something where I would say it's a complaint or a nitpick. It's just something I wasn't expecting. But um, with the way things played out, I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly. So mm-hmm. which, again, it's just one of those things where we just got to wait to hopefully get some of the stories for what happened to Mandalore immediately after and just over the course of the next uh, two decades or so with the Empire in power. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like once, once you realize that the battle for Mandalore is over within two episodes. It was like, oh, wow, that's it. Um, but again, it's I, I, I kind of feel bad for like the people of Mandalore because it's the center of so much conflict within the Clone Wars. And yet it's always kind of like a, I don't know if I would say a bargaining chip, but like every time people are fighting for Mandalore, like there's something more important that they're fighting over. You know, like like <laughs> when when Maul and the Death Watch take over Mandalore in season five, it's kind of the same way. Like in the episode Shades of Reason, where they successfully retake Mandalore and kick Satine out of power, like that all happens in one episode. And I was expecting, like leading up to that, I was expecting a, a whole arc where they'd have to fight for Mandalore and there'd be all these big battles and stuff. And instead of trying to, you know, take the planet by force, they come up with this plan where, you know, oh, okay, we're going to use the the gangsters as like a, a proxy army and have them attack. And then the Death Watch can come in and take them out and, and look like heroes. And it all, that plan works really smoothly. And it's like, oh, wow, we, we already took Mandalore. Like, that's it. This is the whole episode. But obviously... I mean, that's pre Vizsla's goal, but Maul has bigger plans that just involve Mandalore, but that's not his end game. And he's just kind of using that as a uh, sort of a pawn in his game, if you will. And that's kind of the same situation here. Um, and so, again, like I, there's part of me that maybe wishes we saw a little bit more of the actual battle for Mandalore. But then part of me that realizes that, you know, the story is not really about Mandalore. Um, that's not the end game. And so I, and, and like I said, as far as like the battle scenes and stuff, it was all like the stuff that we did get was really cool and really well done. And I understand that they had to save a lot of time for a lot of the other more important story, story elements going on here. So, um, but yeah, yeah. so, so like I said, they, you know, going back to, uh, the Phantom Apprentice, like we talked about the scene with the Republic kind of occupying, uh, the Mandalorian citizens and Ahsoka and Rex and Bo-Katan are all talking about it as they walk into the throne room and who's sitting there waiting for him? Maul. Um, oh, but actually, you know what? Before that, there's another scene that I absolutely love. Again, just talking about just the brilliance of Maul in these episodes because after uh, Sa- Saxon escapes from, from his fight with Bo-Katan, then he goes back to the sewers where Maul's gathered with all his followers that's where we see him talking to like the leaders of the Pikes and the Black Sun and where they, we get the Dryden Voss cameo. Um, so knowing that Crimson Dawn is now part of his his uh, shadow collective. Um, 
and the, and he's telling them all to to go into hiding again he he senses the coming storm and knows that he doesn't even fully know what Sidious's plan is but he knows something's about to go down he knows the bantha poodoo's about to hit the fan and <laughs> that you know he's he's telling all these these criminal groups that he's got to go into hiding and he says you know whatever is coming we're just going to weather it out uh, the galaxy is about to be thrown into chaos, and in this chaos, we're going to grab as much power for ourselves as we can. But he knows that they're going to have to do it like from the shadows, and that's not the Mandalorian way. And he says to you know he he cuts off the the calm with all his other guys, and then he turns to the Mandalorians, and he says it's not the way of your people to hide in the shadows like cowards. He says you know if you die, you're going to die fighting on the field of battle, and he gives this big impassioned speech, and they're all you know, cheering and pumping their fists in the air. And he's basically like, he's, he's convincing them to get themselves killed and making them think it's a good idea. Like he's trying to get rid of them. Like, because again, he knows that, that he's going to have to change his whole method of operating that once Sidious takes over the galaxy and, and again, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but let's say he knows, you know, that Sidious is, is going to become emperor and that, you know, the empire is going to be ruling the galaxy with an iron grip. He goes, I'm going to have to operate from the shadows and Mandalorians are not subtle. Like they're warriors. They want something. They're going to go get it and fight for it. And, you know, like they're going to draw too much attention. They're going to be a liability while I'm trying to be subtle and secretive and, and operating from the shadows. So what's the best way that I can get rid of these guys? Just, you know, pump them up and get them to go fight the Republic and, and make them think they're fighting for a good cause. And if they win, great. But if they die, then they're no longer a liability to me. Like, it was just so, I don't know, the way that whole scene played out where, you know, it, it's almost like the the scene in Revenge of the Sith, like the this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. It's mm -hmm. like they don't realize that he's screwing them over. Like he's trying to get rid of them by getting them to die in battle and they're cheering for it because they're Mandalorians and death in battle is glorious. Like it was just Maul is such a great puppet master. Yeah. And another thing I took away from that is just more foreshadowing as he describes it's not the way for the Mandalorians to hide in the sewers or in the gutters. And yet that's exactly what ends up happening to the Mandalorians mm. as we see in the series. They have to hide. That's true. I didn't even think about that. In the sewers there. So there's kind of, again, more disturbing foreshadowing for the events. What's going to happen to the planet Mandalore and its people and the Mandalorians that consider themselves warriors and have that heritage of being a warrior race that would rather die in the glory of battle. But instead, we know what happens to them, that a bunch of them have to be going and hiding and have to go out one at a time and try to find uh, findlings to grow their numbers again. So it's just crazy how Maul, I'm not sure if that maybe was part of his vision and he saw that happening to the Mandalorians and he kind of mentioned that to rile them up to make sure that this group of Mandalorians, that wouldn't be their fight, knowing that eventually that will be the fate of most Mandalorians having to go into hiding. So it's just crazy to think about the future of the Mandalorians as we're seeing them now here on their planet, not being occupied by the Empire just yet. Still, uh, the balance of power on that planet in flux, but yet there are still a lot of Mandalorian warriors who are willing to die for 
the cause they believe in, even it's against fighting other Mandalorians, as we see in this battle. But I thought that was interesting to hear that from Maul, knowing um, that would be the eventual outcome for the Mandalorians later on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I wonder if they even... If, <laughs> you didn't hear it in this episode, but I was wondering if we would hear the words, this is the way by someone. <laughs> I was wondering too. Um, actually, I was thinking about that in in the next episode. <clears throat> um, again, kind of jumping ahead here, but like when Ahsoka says goodbye to Bo-Katan and, and yeah. uh, Bo-Katan is talking about how, um, like she's looking at the destruction that's been caused by the war and, and she says like, I wish I was good at something other than war. And Ahsoka says, you know, your people are going to need a, a new kind of leader. Um, and I thought maybe she was going to say this is the way for the first time or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I guess know. I didn't want to be too on the nose with that. <laughs> yeah. But it, I thought it would have fit it. Like you said, at that point in the conversation, it would have made sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we didn't get that, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, so, so Maul gives that, you know, speech to the Mandalorians and then, and then we cut back to, uh, that thing in the city with, with the clones acting as the police force and everything. Um, so then Ahsoka and Bogatan and Rex are talking about it. They get to the throne room, Maul sitting there waiting for him, uh, with Jesse. Very casually and confident (laughs) the way he's sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we'd seen him sitting in that throne the same way, like at the end of season five or maybe not the end of season five, because obviously he gets captured by, by Sidious. But, um, once he takes over, he's like sitting on the throne like that, holding the dark saber, just kind of like with his, with his leg up on it. Um, (laughs) and when he just kind of casually tells all mech, like, go rule my people. Um, so he's sitting on the throne again. He's got jesse kneeling beside the throne and i don't know about you i thought jesse was toast i'm like this is this is duchess satine all over again he's gonna kill Mm -hmm. him you know just to to mess with him um and i thought he was gonna pull like a a ramsley bolton yes (laughs) i thought of that too when he he says you know and as a show of good faith here's your brother back and as uh as jesse starts walking back to rex i was like oh no he's gonna kill him isn't he yeah, um, as he's making his way, yeah. Yeah, but uh, and then, of course, Bo-Katan runs in immediately, starts shooting at him, and he just, you know, flings the blaster bolts aside with the force. Dude, um, that was awesome. The way it looked with the blasters kind of curving and just yeah. moving the other direction. It was like, you've never seen blasters be deflected like that way before. And it looked awesome. Yeah, because he wasn't, he wasn't deflecting them, like, off his hand. He was just, like, guiding them away with the force. Yeah. yeah the way he just, like, curved the trajectory, it was really cool. Um and then, yeah, he 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 says, like, and as a show of good faith, I return your comrade in arms to you. And he releases Jesse and, and Jesse goes back to him. Um, and again, you're just like on the edge of your seat the whole time going, oh, is he actually going to make it? And then he does. And uh, Jesse says, like, I'm sorry, Commander. I told him everything. Um, so Rex takes Jesse to safety and then explosions start erupting outside the the wall, you know, the windows of the throne room. Um, and again, I just love that he goes, you know, he's like, you may want to, or one of you may want to take care of that. Uh, so, <laughs> and Bogatan runs out to, uh, you know, attend to the battle outside. So it's just Rex and Ahsoka having this conversation as they're standing in front of this huge, beautiful glass Mandalorian window with, you know, explosions and battle happening outside. And it's just this you know, just this quiet conversation between the two of them inside with this really eerie music that was just 
set the tone perfectly. And I love the way that uh, Kevin Kiner actually incorporated uh, the theme that he wrote for Darth Maul for Star Wars Rebels that you first hear in Twilight of the Apprentice and you hear it again uh, in Twin Sons when he, he confronts Obi-Wan. Um, and it's like a much sort of slower, deeper, sort of ominous and foreboding version of that theme that kind of plays under this conversation between the two of them. As he, again, is just talking about uh, Sidious and how he's been playing, you know, in the shadow, like he's, he's been playing both sides and hiding in the shadows and that uh, it's too late. And, you know, Ahsoka says like, I'm here to bring you to justice. And he's like, justice is just the construct of the current power base. That's no longer going to be in power because Sidious is about to overthrow everything. And, um, you know, again, just his performance, the way that he goes from being menacing and confident to suddenly talking about Sidious and looking around like the boogeyman is going to jump out and you really feel his, his assertiveness and his sort of, how sure he is of like what he knows is coming and his his sort of uh, confidence in his own ability to sort of take action and yet also his fear at what he what he feels is coming. Um, and ultimately, he he tells Ahsoka, you know, and, oh, and then obviously he found out everything about her from Jesse, and so he's like you know, weren't you cast out of your order? And, you know, she tells him that she left voluntarily, voluntarily. And he's like, yeah, but it's because the Jedi council kicked you out first. And, you know, because of their hypocrisy and everything and basically makes these connections, like how the Jedi used you and, and mistreated you and Sidious did the same to me. And, you know, we're not so different. We've both been used as tools for greater powers. And, and he's basically telling her all of, these visions that he's had of things to come and going, you know, all the choices that you've made have led you right here. Like you and me, he says, you know, the time of the Jedi is past. They can't stop cities. It's too late for them. But if you and me team up, we can stop him. And Ahsoka, you know, thinks about it and she, she's like, you know, that actually makes sense. Like I'm not a Jedi anymore. You're not a Sith anymore. And we both know that there's this, Sith Lord who's about to take power and if we're the only ones that can stop it maybe that's not such a bad idea even though obviously she knows that Maul shouldn't be trusted and, and all that kind of stuff like he's actually kind of making sense and she says okay I'll join you but tell me one thing first and he says yeah ask anything and she says what do you want with Anakin Skywalker and he you know Maul tells her his vision he says he's the key to everything not to bring balance to the force but to destroy and that he is uh, he, he's been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice and that I'm so, you know, Ahsoka's like, no, you lie. And Maul's like, no, I'm so certain of it that I orchestrated all of this to lure him here and kill him just to deprive Sidious of his prized pupil. Um, and now when he says orchestrated all of this, I don't think he means like everything with Mandalore going back to like season five, because I do think a lot of that was just his plan no, to, yeah, yeah to, to lure out Obi-Wan and to build uh, a criminal empire for himself using Mandalore kind of as his base and, and all that. But especially because Almec says, uh, you know, just for the past few weeks, he's been consumed by this strange sense of dread so i definitely think it's like more recently that maul has started realizing all this kind of stuff that's going on so i think uh you know and obviously if you read the son of dathomir comic you know sidious captures him and takes him off mandalore and then he's running around with his syndicate and they're off to you know dathomir and ord mantel and all these places and some of that's kind of hinted at 
when Ahsoka is talking about how like she and Bogatan have been tracking Maul and she got some codes from the Pikes to kind of pinpoint his previous locations and he's just recently come back to Mandalore. And so it seems like I mean maybe Maul knew that Bogatan was tracking him or something, but it's like he I, I think just his end game now is like, okay, I'm gonna come back to Mandalore and somehow like I don't know if he's seen this in more visions or if it's just kind of part of his plan. He's like, okay, I'll let the Republic and the Jedi find me back here. And because it's me and because I killed Satine and because I have, you know, this beef with Obi-Wan, they'll send him, you know, here to, to hunt me down. And he knows that Anakin and Obi-Wan are a team. So he's hoping that Obi-Wan will bring Anakin with him. And so Ahsoka shows up and he's just like, who the heck is this? But yeah, he, he put this whole final phase of his plan in motion uh, and, and orchestrated this whole conflict on Mandalore, just hoping that it would bring Kenobi and Skywalker so that he could kill Anakin and deprive Sidious of, of, you know, his prize. And, uh, again, and, and we talked about this on the last episode too, when we were talking about just these first two episodes, but I love the, just like how true it is to the character of Ahsoka and yet how tragically flawed it is that Maul is actually right and that she actually is the one who initiates the lightsaber duel. I mean, like, Maul attacks yeah. her first, but she draws her sabers first. She, because she says, you're wrong. I know Anakin. Like, I I was his former Padawan. I fought with him and trained with him and learned with him and lived with him for, like, three years. And I know the dude better than almost anybody. And you had a bad dream about him. Like... No, and and now because your whole plan hinges on this, there's no point in me joining you. I'm not going to join you to stop Sidious if that means that we're going to try to kill Anakin, you know, or like if you think if your whole vision of this, you know, everything that's coming hinges on Anakin being evil and turning to the dark side and and becoming a Sith, there's no point in me teaming up with you because I know that would never happen. Like I know him better than you do. And whatever you saw in your vision is wrong. And so, you know, and, and, you know, I wonder, like, her exact intentions. Like, is she is she fighting Maul for Anakin's honor? Or is it just like, no, I came here to... Ca I, I think it's more just like, I came here to capture you. I listened to your spiel. I considered joining you. But, you know, because this all hinges on Anakin and because you're wrong about Anakin, now, like there's no reason for us to team up. So I'm going back to, I'm reverting to my original purpose here, which was to capture you. So we're going to fight. Um, and at that point, Maul is like, okay, well, so be it. And, uh, you know, launches into just this epic lightsaber duel. Um, but as I said before, like the, I thought the duel was fantastic. The visuals are amazing. The choreography is amazing. I think the only reason Again, I wouldn't even consider this a nitpick with the episode itself, more just like I wish the circumstances were different. I wish we had gotten this episode. Or I wish, like, really, I just wish Clone Wars had never been canceled. And on the one hand, like, I, yeah. I get that these final episodes, like, from a production standpoint, were made better by things that they learned from working on Rebels and even from Resistance. And so, um, you know, if if the Clone Wars had never been canceled and we had gotten this arc, I don't know, maybe in like 2016 or something, if if the show had gone for three more seasons, um, that maybe it wouldn't have looked quite as visually stunning as it does in these episodes. Um, but I think I would trade that for getting to watch this for the first time and not knowing what happens to Ahsoka or Maul or Rex, 
because they all show up again in Rebels, and so we know like they're all going to make it out of this. Whereas when the Clone Wars was on initially, we debated for years as fans like, is Ahsoka going to survive Order sixty six? Is she, you know, is she even going to survive the Clone Wars? Is she still going to be alive by the end of it? And if so, like, what would happen to her during Order 66? Is she going to be with Rex? Would Rex go through with it? Uh, you know, and, and if so, like, would Rex kill Ahsoka? Would Ahsoka kill Rex? Would, would they team up? Would he refuse to go against it? Um, and all this stuff that we wondered would happen, and now that we're finally seeing it, we kind of already know the answers to most of those questions, and we know that these characters make it out. And, you know, same with the lightsaber duel, like... It it looks amazing, and there's still a lot of tension there because you know what they're fighting for, but knowing how it all resolves, I mean, not the specifics of it, but knowing that you know neither one of them is really in danger because they both make it out okay, just kind of takes down the stakes a little bit. Um, but the real surprise for me here was just the dialogue beforehand, and you know, I, I like we knew that there was going to be a lightsaber duel. I never expected the you know them discussing the fate of Anakin Skywalker turning to the dark side and all that kind of stuff to be brought into it and for that to be part of why they're fighting never would have guessed so that was what had me on the edge of my seat even more so than the actual lightsaber duel especially the way that it's staged and you know the music that's playing during that confrontation and just like that scene where Maul is standing there with his hand out for Ahsoka to join him and like the window shatters and the camera just kind of pans Another around them. Cinematic like, moment. It yeah. was so, so well done. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in here. And I agree where the stuff was involving Anakin was such a nice surprise to me. This is what took not only this episode, but this arc to another level and that happens multiple times throughout the course of this arc where it just reaches this new levels of awesomeness. But the fact that Anakin was the focal point of Maul's plan was so unexpected, but yet was so awesome. It just makes all the sense in the world, really, for why he would be doing this. And just to kind of have that one last ditch effort to not have Sidious go through with his plan. And Maul even says he was never privy to the whole plan that Sidious, that Sidious had while he was his apprentice, but coming to the realization that he was never meant to be at that final stages of Sidious's plan and that it was always meant to be Anakin Skywalker. And now that he's had that vision and knows that he would go to the dark side and be not someone who brings balance to the force, but destroy. And he has to try to take him out because of that. Just this one last chance to get to put a wrench in Sidious's plans here. And the fact that that is the focal point of this whole reason of why Maul's doing this, I just think is genius to have that aspect of it because we know this is such a pivotal moment in the galaxy for Anakin's character, obviously knowing what happens in Revenge of the Sith. And the fact that Anakin as a character is the focal point of this story here with um, his Padawan um, that he's been with for three years and they become so close, like he said, to have this be the biggest test for her that she's facing, being tempted by Maul to join him. And as you said, subverting Star Wars uh uh, tropes for lack of a better word where someone uh, in the dark side tempts the light side user and they immediately reject and say no this time she says yes um, initially until that moment of his reveal of what he knows about Anakin and her just denying it and just no way could be true and just 100% believing it and not even up for debate like you said she's the first one who ignites her lightsabers to initiate this battle 
and again, I just, we knew they were fighting. We knew that was going to happen at some point in this art where there was going to be a lightsaber duel between Maul and Ahsoka. But the fact that it is just so much more now than just her trying to capture Maul and bring him to justice to the Republic. The fact that um, Anakin is kind of the backbone of this confrontation that both Maul and Ahsoka are having. Like you said, two characters who have been cast aside by their respective orders. Um, Ahsoka as a Jedi, Maul as a Sith. And Anakin is involved in some way with both of them. Ahsoka being uh, her master and him being the Padawan who would eventually, or not Padawan, but uh, the Sith apprentice who would eventually replace Maul as the one who would fulfill Sidious's grand plan to taking down the Jedi and the Republic and reforming the Empire. So just the fact that Anakin is the focal point of this battle is what takes it to another level at this historic moment in the galaxy for what's going to transpire. It was just so well done, such a welcome surprise to get. And like I said, the dialogue was just fantastic. The performances between Sam Witwer and Ashley Eckstein, it was just so great. And going back to what you were saying a little bit about the reason why Ahsoka is fighting Maul here, um, I do think, yeah, it is mainly to go back to her original mission to bring capture him and bring him to justice. But I think there is a little bit of her trying to... Uh, fight for Anakin's honor in there a little bit. The fact that she mentions him in the fight saying that, you know, it's a good thing Anakin isn't here. Like you wouldn't really stand a chance for him kind of showing that she's representing, representing Anakin here in a way too, because he is a real opponent that Maul wanted to face. And now he's facing his apprentice, so to speak. So I think there is a little bit of that, her showing Maul that, yeah, this is what being taught by Anakin is like, and good thing you're not facing him because you wouldn't stand a chance. So I think there's a little element to fighting for Anakin's honor in there as well, but just all around an amazing sequence. And we talked about it on our last episode, just how having Ray Park do some motion capture for this fight just adds a whole new layer to it. It is a, a fight sequence unlike anything we've seen before in Clone Wars. And maybe it's not as fast as certain other lightsaber battles and duels we've gotten in the series, but it's much more lifelike, and you can definitely tell that that's Ray Park fighting <laughs> as Darth Maul. His moves are just so familiar, but yet different. I think he even said he tried to make it a little different because Maul is older, and obviously he has robotic legs now, so he's not going to be fighting like he did in The Phantom Menace, and I just love how Ray Park was paying attention to that sort of detail for this fight, but it was just phenomenal. The choreography and just the mm -hmm. lifelike movements even when they weren't fighting, just when they were uh, jabbing at each other a little bit, that line I just talked about with Ahsoka mentioning Anakin, the way she's twirling her lightsaber and then just moving around Maul, it just looks so lifelike. Like you're just watching a movie, but yet it's animated here and it just looks so beautiful. So everything all about the sequence just bears repeating, like we said last time when we were talking about this on our previous episode, how this is just a monumental historic lightsaber fight, I think, in Star Wars, not only for the duel itself but just for what it represents for these two characters who are two of the most important characters over the course of the series of clone wars and just have some of the best arcs you're going to see in star wars and for it to all to lead to this moment and to this final showdown between these two was just great to see and have anakin kind of be the backbone and the focal point of this fight just made it even better. So, yeah, it was just amazing to see unfold. It was it blew me away seeing it for the first time. And I've watched it 
multiple times since then, and it never ceases to amaze me on every level. It was just so, so good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, just the, the motion capture added so much to that, too. Um, just the... I don't know, just the fluidity of the movements and like you felt yeah. like there was there was just a difference to it. Like Clone Wars has had some fantastic lightsaber duels before. Um, and I don't even know. It's hard to say if this one is definitely my favorite. Like, but I think all three of my favorite ones involve Maul. Like, because I, I love the one with him and Pre Vizsla. Yeah. Because you got lightsaber versus dark saber and you got all the Mandalorian weaponry and gadgets thrown in there. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like you can, there's certain parts where you can barely call it a lightsaber fight. Like it's almost just more of like a brawl, but there is a lot of lightsaber dueling in there too. Um, but that's just such a, a cool fight with just for, you know, how much stuff is thrown in there. Um, and then of course the fight with Sidious and Maul and Savage, and that's cool just because it's freaking Darth Sidious with two lightsabers, you know, just kicking <laughs> butt. Um, it's crazy to think all these great duels are in the same location, the throne room on Mandalore. <laughs> yeah. The location of some pretty epic lightsaber battles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this one would definitely take the cake for me, again, just if if we had had those stakes there of like not knowing who was going to win or what happens to the characters. Um, but still, like at least from a technical perspective, just from like the visuals and the animation, this probably is the best fight in the entire series. Um but, uh, yeah, it was just, again, just all those elements like we talked about, like the the visuals, the motion capture, the but also the story build up to it and and knowing what they're fighting for is just so good. And like you said, it's it's a not only a rare moment in Star Wars when the villain, you know, has the the moment where they offer for the hero to join them and and the hero actually accepts, but also the fact that the villain is right, like, that's what I love yeah. so much about this too. And, and again, like I said, kind of adds an extra layer of just tragedy to the Anakin and Ahsoka relationship when they meet, you know, years later in Twilight of the Apprentice. It's not just because we know in, in that season of Rebels in the Siege of Lothal, which is the season premiere, where they have that connection where, you know, they're in the ships in the same space battle and, and they kind of sense each other. Um, and Vader knows it's Ahsoka. He says the apprentice lives and Ahsoka screams and passes out. And we like, I remember seeing it for the first time as the audience, we all assume like, oh, she's passing out because of the overwhelming emotion of realizing that this evil menacing Sith Lord is Anakin Skywalker. But then you get to later in the season and realize that she maybe hasn't completely figured that out yet, or at least is still in denial about it. Like she has a suspicion, but she still kind of is looking for confirmation or doesn't want confirmation, um, but still hasn't like fully accepted it yet. So when they when they fight in Twilight of the Apprentice, it's not just that she's been denying this for the past you know, few weeks or whatever, but it's like, she's been denying this for years and yeah. it's now finally staring her in the face. It's like, you know, when, when she's fighting, or when she's confronted with Vader and realizes that it's Anakin Skywalker. And I, I don't even think that she fully, fully realizes it until the moment where she slashes the mask yep, and sees Ahsoka or Ahsoka, sees Anakin's face under the mask. Um, 
And it's like she needs that level of proof to really believe that Anakin would do this, even though she's had warnings about it since the end of the Clone Wars. And theoretically, she and Maul could have teamed up to do something about it and stop all this suffering that Vader has caused in the galaxy. Um, I mean, obviously, that never would have actually happened because he has to go on to, to be redeemed by Luke and, and save his son and all that stuff. But... Um, Man, just again, thinking about the layers that this adds to then what comes mm. <laughs> later is just, ugh, I still like, man, this is some good Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you said it best right there. It's just great Star Wars, adding to the already amazing mythology that has been built over the course of the movies and the TV series. And just another layer has been added right here in this one episode in this one final sequence. It's it was just incredible. It, it just yeah. really, really is. And I think that's why, even though there's obviously some incredible stuff that we still have to get to in these next couple episodes, I think after it's all said and done and after I've watched the entire arc now multiple times, um, I think Phantom Apprentice is my favorite episode of the arc and probably of, of all of Clone Wars. And my favorite episodes of Clone Wars are ones that incorporate, you know, that have like a, a lot of different facets to them. Um and it's not just one big battle for the whole time, or it's not an episode that I like just because of a lightsaber duel, but it's like the more, the more storylines and the more sort of just great star Wars moments there are packed into an episode, the more I love it. And this one, I mean, again, from the, the, the conversation with Obi-Wan at the beginning, tying into revenge of the Sith to the conversations with Maul in the sewers and seeing, you know, his, his madness, but also his genius and his fear. And then all the cool battle scenes and the lightsaber duels and, and, you know, all this stuff with Maul and Ahsoka talking about Anakin and knowing what that means for the future of the galaxy and the future of their story arcs is just, you know, it really is the full package. Yeah, and I guess just talking a little bit about how the fight ends was pretty cool, too, where Maul looks to get the upper hand on Ahsoka. He knocks her lightsabers out of her hands. And, but the way she... I mean, he even offers her to join him again one more time, knowing that she's... Or in his mind, thinking she's helpless, she has no weapons. But yet, nope, she just says never. And the way that she just grabs dual-blade lightsabers and cuts off that beam to have them fall, but just a great end to a fight where it just shows the skill and training that Ahsoka has had being taught by Anakin. And I first saw some little quibbles about this where Ahsoka maybe took out Maul a little too, too easily, but I don't think that's the case at all. <laughs> I mean, no, I definitely don't think so. She's definitely had way more experience in training this actual combat than Maul has. Obviously, Maul's been training with Sidious, but in actual combat with other people and lightsaber duels, I think Ahsoka definitely has more and would go toe-to-toe and even surpass him maybe in a lightsaber fight, and she did here. But the thing, the way that I love how this episode ended is that Maul was pretty much wishing for death here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) After he falls, Ahsoka uses the Force to keep him steady from falling, and he just all, no, like, let me die. And then when the clones... And Mandalorian's coming the gunship and he's just screaming, yelling, like, no, like, you don't know what's happened. Just let me die. <laughs> like, we're all going to die. Yeah, he says, but, you're all going to die. We're all going to burn or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, again, knowing this was his last ditch effort to maybe do something about it or to do something against Sidious's plan. And now that it's over, he just wishes for death <laughs> in this moment than rather maybe be 
brought to Sidious because he's probably thinking maybe if the, his plan is not going to be enacted right away if the Republic brings him back to Coruscant, like, or I should say, if Ahsoka brings him back to the Republic on Coruscant, like her mission entails, then he'd be back in Palpatine's clutches again. And who knows mm-hmm. what he would do with him at this point, knowing he has no part to play and that his plan has succeeded. He's gotten his prize apprentice. He has taken down the Jedi. So he'd probably figured he's as good as dead or even worse <laughs> knowing what Palpatine could do to him. So it was just crazy to see Maul be like that and just show that fear, have it all come out. We saw glimpses of it over the course of this episode, but to see it all come out is him screaming almost like a madman here where he had to be stunned to <laughs> be silenced was, uh, I think, a pretty powerful way to end this episode from end this duel from where it began with him and Ahsoka and their conversation. So just I found a great way to end what was an amazing duel. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, just talking about um, Ahsoka or, or like how easily Ahsoka was able to defeat Maul, which honestly I don't think it was is easy at all. I mean, obviously yeah. you can see that that fight was taking a toll on her. There's the moment when like she kicks him out of the window and then she just kind of has to pause and like catch her breath before chasing mm-hmm. after him because, you know, just of the the physical exertion that she's been putting out. Um but also, I mean, I think you probably could make the argument that just based on pure fighting skill that Maul is probably better. But I think, A, like, because, I mean, you see, he disarms her. But then once she's disarmed, I think he makes the classic villain mistake of being overconfident. And, uh, you know, she she kind of centers herself and is like, okay, you know, I got no weapons. This is life or death. And she really hones in on on what she needs to do to survive the end of that fight. Whereas he's just like, oh, this is going to be easy. I have a weapon. She doesn't. He kind of just, like, lunges at her. Um and I think that, you know, is is the reason for his downfall. But it's interesting because I also heard, I think Sam Witwer said this in an interview, and I, I, I must have seen this like on YouTube or Twitter or something um, in the weeks since this episode aired. And he said, you know, the way I kind of look at it is like, um, he, he said like Maul is, you know, obviously draws his power from the dark side. And, you know, he can be kind of like unhinged sometimes and like his... like in his own stability kind of like determines like how powerful he is. Um, But obviously, you know, because he's so used to to being on the dark side and and being evil and stuff, he's like, you know, Maul's not necessarily at his best when he's actually trying to do the right thing for once. Um, And he's obviously very, you know, sort of chaotic and distracted with all the things going on and, and his fear and all these visions that he's having and stuff. And so, I mean, if you really have an issue with Ahsoka defeating Maul, you could make the argument that Maul is maybe not in the best frame of mind right now. Um, but I mean, I had no issue with it whatsoever. I thought it was an awesome fight. And I liked, I liked that Ahsoka got disarmed and that she kind of had to like outthink Maul to end the fight as opposed to just like overpowering him with brute strength or or anything like that so I mean I thought you know obviously they were pretty evenly matched and we knew it I mean you know Ahsoka's not gonna lose like she's the main character um but I thought that that the way that I, I thought she had to she had to fight pretty hard to earn that victory um so I I thought it was you know perfectly done yeah, same here. No qualms about that at all while I was watching it or even when I watched it again or talking about it right now. It just all felt real natural. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we get to the two episodes we haven't talked about yet. And and gosh, we've spent all this time just recapping two episodes that we already yeah. talked about <laughs> on our last show. But um, 
Gosh, I, I feel like this might go a little bit more quickly just because I feel like there's less like different storylines and stuff going on in these last two episodes. It's kind of like everything is built to a head and now we're at the point like, you know, where Order 66 happens and then it's just Ahsoka and Rex trying to escape and survive. Um, it's a little more streamlined, I feel like, but still some just fantastic stuff in these last two episodes. I mean, we start with seeing a little bit of that aftermath on Mandalore um, after Ahsoka captures Maul. And like I talked about, there's that scene with her and Bo-Katan where she's talking about what kind of leader she wants to be and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, again, we get another Revenge of the Sith connection where uh, Rex comes. really cool. Yeah, where <laughs> Rex comes and tells Ahsoka that uh, the Jedi Council is waiting for her report. And she goes, oh, what about Anakin? Um, and see, this is where... I wish that, like, I, I can't wait till we get to see this as one continuous movie. Like, you know, when they do one continuous cut of it. Um, cause this was something that I almost wasn't like, I almost forgot about just a little bit, even in between, like, you know, pausing in between episodes or whatever. Um, when she goes to the council and she's asking about Anakin and it's not just like, Oh, I want to talk to Scott to Anakin again. It's like, this would be her first time talking to him after, uh, the confrontation with Maul and after everything he told her about his vision, like she wants to check and make sure he's okay. Like, I think even though she tells Maul, like, no, Anakin would never do that in the back of her mind. Maybe she's like, Anakin would never do that. Right. Is he okay? Like, let me check on him just to make yeah. sure. Um, so she's asking about him and Rex is like, well, he was at the meeting when I left. Um, and of course this is the same meeting where, Mace Windu and everybody finds out that Obi-Wan has engaged Grievous and Mace tells Anakin deliver this report to the Chancellor and his uh, reaction will give us a clue to his intentions. So by the time Ahsoka gets there, um, and actually we don't see Ahsoka come in yet. We just see the members of the council standing there. It's uh, Mace and Yoda and Kiati Mundi and Ayla Sakura, um, who is not a member of the Jedi Council, but that's neither here nor there. Um and, and it's the exact same ending of that scene from Revenge of the Sith where Mace says, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. The dark side of the Force surrounds the Chancellor. And they have that, you know, Ki-Adi Mundi says, if he doesn't give up his power, he should be removed from office. And they're talking about all this stuff. And Taken then directly from Revenge of the Sith, that audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially with, uh, well, uh, T.C. Carson and Tom Kane like redubbed the lines for uh, for Mace and Yoda. But yeah, Ki-Adi Mundi's dialogue is taken right out of mm -hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Um, and Yoda says, you know, to a dark place, this line of thought will carry us great care we must take. And in the movie, that scene cut, like, then it cuts to Anakin talking to Palpatine. But instead, uh, you know, Yoda says that, and then Ahsoka walks in and they continue, the, they continue the conversation with her. And they're all still standing there and she's telling them about how she fulfilled her mission uh, to, to capture Maul and Yoda asks, you know, if she did her, you know, if she did it as a Jedi and she's like, no, I did my duty as a citizen. Um, and then, you know, they're discussing, uh, they fill her in a little bit about what's going on with the chancellor and, and how he won't give up his emergency powers and stuff like that. And she starts kind of asking more questions and, and Mace Windu says, I'm sorry, citizen, this, matters for the council to discuss <laughs> yeah like uh and then so so mace and kiati and ayla uh you know fade out um and it's just yoda and ahsoka and i love this scene because um you know and, and yoda's asking her uh you know he says 
you know, do you have more to add? A message for Skywalker, perhaps? And she says, you know, no, I'll tell him myself when I see him. And he just says, may the force be with you, Padawan. Um, but the, the fact that, A, he calls her Padawan, I think is, I mean, maybe that's just what he's used to calling her. But I think that coupled with the fact that, you know, uh, when she says, like, I did my duty and he says as a, or she says, I did my duty as a citizen and he says not as a Jedi. I think Yoda's almost like still extending that invitation to her to come back yeah. into the Jedi order. And just the way he's looking at her with like those big, warm, inviting Yoda eyes, um, you know, just has such a, a warmth there that obviously like mm. Mace Windu doesn't have. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like I think uh, and Yoda's always one of those Jedi in the council that like obviously he is being blinded by the dark side and everything else going on, too. But he he catches on a bit more than the rest of the Jedi do. Um, he even has that vision in in the Lost Missions episodes where he basically has that vision of the the death of the Jedi and the end of the war and everything and realizes he kind of just comes to accept it through the force. Like maybe we are being played. Maybe, you know, there's no way we can win this or, or this is going to end badly for us. But if that's the will of the force, then I'm resigned to let it happen. Like, um, so he, you know, he, he's a little bit more aware of things going on than, than some of these other guys. And, uh, obviously, you know, just has just that gentle Yoda sort of warmth and wisdom, uh, towards Ahsoka, which is really nice to see. Um, it, was, it was almost of this. It was his intention all along that once this mission was over and she was succeeded, he would offer again, try to offer the extension to have her join the Jedi Order again. Yeah. And hopefully this time she would accept it. But obviously that wasn't to be the case. But I think that was on his mind probably when he got word of this mission, what's going on. If Ahsoka's successful and still follows the Jedi path and succeeds by doing that. Uh, he would offer that extension again to hopefully have her rejoin. So, and I think she might have taken it. I mean, when he quite possibly, yeah. yeah when because when he says uh, when she says I did my duty as a citizen, and she says not as a or he says not as a Jedi, and she says not yet. She doesn't mm -hmm. say no. Like I still don't want any part of you guys. I think she's maybe realizing that the Jedi are where she belongs, but she still has some things to reconcile in her mind. Um, and Mace didn't and, help matters. With yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. And, and she maybe still can't fully trust them, but I think she's still maybe at least giving some thought to it, especially after the arc with Trace and Rafa. Um, and I know people love to, you know, I, I, that's kind of like the black sheep arc of this season. And, and a lot of people thought those characters were annoying and stuff. But I'm actually really glad we got those episodes because I think it's crucial for understanding Ahsoka's mindset and just where her character is at after leaving the Jedi and sort of bridging that gap um, before Siege of Mandalore. Because if we just started with Siege of Mandalore, then it would be like, well, why did she walk away from the Jedi? She seems pretty Jedi-like to me. You know, did she yeah. just like walk away from the Jedi and go immediately start helping Mandalorians fight other wars? Like, you know, so I'm glad we got to see her uh, just live not really an ordinary life because obviously she she meets up with trace and rafa and immediately gets involved in sp spice running and all this kind of stuff but um you know just for like those quiet moments where she's in in trace's workshop just kind of seeing what it's like what life is like for ordinary people and then getting to see you know the perspective like their perspective on the jedi um, and at the end of that arc, when, when Rafa says like, Hey, you may have walked away from being a Jedi, but like, you know, you, you can't change who you are. Like you are a Jedi, but that's a good thing because you're what the Jedi should be. 
And so I think Ahsoka maybe takes that to heart and, and thinks like maybe someday she will be a Jedi again and not because she wants to follow the, the rules of the council, but because she wants to do what's right and she wants to use her force powers for good and to help people. And ultimately that's what, you know, the, the main goal of the Jedi should be is mm-hmm. just to, to use the light side of the force to, to protect people who need protecting and need helping or, you know, need to be helped as opposed to fighting in wars and, and doing the bidding of the chancellor and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I yeah, do think because, I, I do think at some point she might have come back around to that. Yeah, this was probably the start of that because at the beginning of this conversation, when the Jedi Council were filling it, filling her in on what was going on, she even says to herself, "So the war could be over really soon." And she probably felt once the war is over, maybe that would be the right time to go back to the Jedi Order, knowing that they won't have the responsibility as soldiers and they can get back to doing what they're meant to be being peacekeepers and she even says that later in the episode when she's talking to rex mm-hmm. of how she the jedi will be peacekeepers not soldiers saying exactly what may said at the beginning of attack of the clones but yet all her experience as a jedi padawan has been as a soldier in fighting and i think that prospect and the hope of the war finally being over so close to being over she can experience of what being a true jedi would be and sadly that was just ripped away from her being so close for her what happens in this episode, but I think you're dead on where at some point she probably really wanted to go back by the dialogue that she says in this one scene, her saying not yet. And then her kind of realizing that the war could be over and this uh, could be her chance to really experience what a Jedi should be. So just again, more great stuff to think about and ponder upon when you think about the layers that this one scene has. And I just love the fact now that when I, whenever I watch revenge of the Sith, and I see this scene happen, I'm always going to think about what happens next. Once this scene cuts to Anakin going to Palpatine's office, I'm always going to think now that the Jedi Council are talking to Ahsoka right here, and she just enters that room. We're just seconds away of seeing Ahsoka enter that conversation when we're watching the Revenge of the Sith. We don't see it in the movie, but we know what's happening. I just think that's really cool to think about now whenever we watch that scene in the movie. Again, just more great stuff to connect with and just think about and expand on this great story and this time period of Star Wars here. I loved it. This was another scene that just made me really think, man, it's just great getting these new perspective on this story that um, we know so well already, but yet we're seeing it through other characters' eyes and it just makes it even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, so anyway, so she finishes the meeting with the council uh goes back to, you know, Rex and Bo-Katan and the Mandalorians. And this is where, uh, you know, they're, they're getting on their shuttle, getting ready to leave Mandalore. Um, and Bo-Katan and Ursa show up with Maul in this big giant, like almost like a carbonite chamber looking thing, yeah. but it's just like this big prison box with like this little red window where you can see his face inside. And it's got this cool artwork of like, um, you know, kind of like a, a depiction of an ancient Mandalorian war, kind of like that big mural that we've seen in um, in the Mandalorian city before. Um, just kind of like their their ancient art style depicting their old wars and stuff. Um, and, you know, Bo-Katan says, like, it's a relic from a bygone era when Mandalorians had reason to imprison you force wielders. And it's, you know, again, just a, a nice little 
tiny, subtle callback to something that might have happened in the old Republic or something. And, you know, yep. I love that <laughs> stuff. Um, but the, just, just, you know, the, the visual design of this thing looked really cool. And it's like, you know, like a, a maximum security, like something you'd see with like Hannibal Lecter or something like that, where they got the mask on him and the shackles and he's in the big box and all that kind of stuff. Like they're taking no chances with Maul getting out. Um, but this is where this scene is where the music for this episode in particular yeah. just gets really eerie. And it's weird. Like it doesn't sound like Star Wars music, and yet it sound it's so fitting for the atmosphere just and the tone of what this episode is going for. And obviously all of us Star Wars fans who've seen uh episode three and and know what these events of the Clone Wars are building towards, you know, this music just happens to add to the tension. Um, as we're building towards Order 66. And uh, like I said, it, it doesn't even sound, you know, it, it's not like the typical Star Wars music that you're used to, but it's so just like sci-fi. Like it almost sounded to me more like Mass Effect. Or yep. um, <laughs> I got the same vibe. Yeah, yeah there, there were times when it sounded like Mass Effect, times where it sounded like Blade Runner, times where it even sounded like stuff from like Gravity or other like space movies. Um but gosh, it was so good as it just starts setting this really sort of melancholy and like eerie and foreboding tone as we start heading towards the the inevitable that you know is coming. Yeah, it did its job beautifully as far as setting that up. And like I said, just be foreboding for what's to come because we all knew it's happening soon in this episode. Mm -hmm. And just the build up to it was great. And this was a clip they released uh, before the episode aired. Uh, where it was just a great conversation between Rex and Ahsoka. And it, I just mentioned it a few minutes ago about Ahsoka saying how the Jedi is supposed to be peacekeepers and how she's saying that to Rex. And Rex is saying to her how the clones are always conflicted on the topic of the war. For on one hand, they wouldn't exist <laughs> without the war. But yet, um, they're obviously tired of all this fighting and all they know is just this war. So it's just, again, more layers to think about as what this conflict means for so many different people and in particular the clones. And we've had a lot of arcs where Rex or other clones would question the war and what they were created for and just the life that they have no choice but to lead and hearing Rex say that and knowing order 66 is just minutes and seconds away and knowing that the tragic turn in the story of the, or the story of the clones is going to take such a tragic turn. It just makes the scene order 66 executed in this episode just all that more heartbreaking and just leading up to that can't say enough how many times or how i thought this would transpire in the clone wars even before the series had its was canceled in its first five seasons just thinking how order 66 would happen in this series if we ever got to that point with rex and with ahsoka and the fact that as i was watching this episode for the first time knowing that I'm on the cusp of seeing that happen finally after all these years. I got to tell you, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, going back to what you were saying, how, yeah, we know that these characters make it out alive, like Ahsoka, like Rex, and like Maul. But to me, that didn't matter at all in this episode. I was on the edge of my seat starting at this point and throughout, just wondering how things are going to play out and knowing that these characters are going to go through something really rough and really terrible that's going to change them forever. I'm just so anxious to see how it's all going to play out, how it's going to unfold, and how we're finally going to see these characters react to that. 
And once that clone officer comes in and tells Rex they have a transmission about an update on the status of the mission, as far as, uh, I don't know if they specifically said it was Obi-Wan in his uh, attack on Grievous or if they just said there was an update. Um, coming I think from I think the officer just says uh, like the latest briefing has come in. Um, That's right. And, and Rex says like, "Oh, hey, you want to come take a look? Like maybe they'll have an update on uh, on Master Kenobi's efforts." That's right. Yeah, but once that happened, you knew what was happening right then mm-hmm. and there. <laughs> you totally knew, and I was just like, "Okay, here we go. It's time to see how Ahsoka and Rex deal with Order sixty six. And boy, was it something that. Man, just <laughs> just lived up to expectations, surpassed expectations, and not what I was expecting. And yeah, yeah, I guess no, we'll just go into that now. And I think the um, what I was saying about like the the stakes being slightly lessened by the fact that uh, we you know we know they all make it out and everything like that. It's still just the build up to the specific moment when Order sixty six goes down was still like, I mean, like you said, I was on the edge of my seat. I was on my edge, of the edge of my seat the entire time. And again, I'm not really saying that as a, as a nitpick, like, oh, the episode wasn't that exciting because we know what happens. It definitely was still exciting and thrilling and all of those things, whether, you know, same with like the lightsaber duel in the previous episode too. I just feel like it would have been really just exhilarating and, and, you know, jaw dropping <laughs> had we not known what to expect, but it was still really well done and just, you know, Again, just that that tension and being on the edge of your seat was definitely still there, um, and just like you said, I mean that that conversation between Rex and Ahsoka on the bridge, where you know they they salute each other and and they're talking. Ahsoka tells Rex, you know, I we the Republic couldn't have asked for better soldiers nor I a better friend. Just yeah, such a so- tragic line when you know just what's about to go down. Um, and honestly, like we didn't that was one of the things we didn't know if Rex was actually going to go through with it or not. Yeah, because um, in Rebels, I think he does say like he didn't turn on his Jedi general or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they kind of put a little bit of a spin on this. I like how there were some things that like whether it was in Rebels or the Ahsoka novel, like they kind of took some liberties with this episode, probably you know, just to, uh, to still have some element of surprise in there. Um, but in a way that still for the most part lines up with, with the story that we already knew. Um, it's, it's another Obi-Wan line moment for what I said was true from a certain point of view. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He technically did not turn on his Jedi general, which is Anakin. So, <laughs> Oh, the, well, yeah, I guess you could put it that way too. Yeah. And Ahsoka <laughs> wasn't a Jedi, but, um, it's like, even if Rex hadn't, gone through with it still just her talking about the clones in that way would have made it tragic because you know like a bunch of the oh, other yeah. clones are going to turn so and the again the ones that are all wearing her helmet um, yeah uh. <laughs> but uh yeah so then so then of course you know the guy goes oh captain commander rex the, the latest briefing is coming in and you're like oh is this it this is when it's going to happen so rex goes away to to take the briefing and Ahsoka's standing there on the bridge just watching the hyperspace go by. And then you go down to Maul in the prison cell and, you know, you zoom in on that window where you can see the little sliver of his face and his eyes are closed and he's just kind of resting. And then his eyes snap open and you hear just sort of like that rumble 
of like when when you're sensing a disturbance in the forest and then you start hearing yeah. the voices and it cuts back to Ahsoka on the bridge and you're basically hearing the scene from episode three play out between Mace and Anakin and Palpatine and you know all those lines like you know he must live it's not the Jedi way and he's too dangerous to be left alive and the unlimited power yeah. and, and Ahsoka just you know with her hand on her on her head feeling this massive disturbance in the force and knowing everything that's happening in that moment and everything that's about to go down. And again, obviously in this moment, it's like, she doesn't realize that Anakin has become Darth Vader, but it's like how much, you know, it's, it's just such a massive disturbance in the force. And she knows, all she knows is that something is wrong with Anakin. And, and she goes to tell Rex and says, you know, Hey, uh, you know, Rex, I just sensed a, a disturbance in the force. Something's wrong with Anakin or something's happened to Anakin or something like that. Um, and you just can't help wonder, like, obviously she doesn't really have time to process it because of everything else that's going on. And I'm sure the vision and the voices were kind of unclear to her. But you couple that with what Maul just told her in the last episode. And it's like, how much did she really know that she was just in denial of this whole time? Like, like I'm sure if she had sort of accepted that and, and kind of leaned into it more, she maybe could have figured out a long time ago that Anakin was Darth Vader. Um but at the same yeah. time, it makes perfect sense that she wouldn't want to accept that or, you know, and, and maybe she's just concerned and thinks that something bad has happened to Anakin and wants to make sure he's OK. But um, again, like, I don't see how coupling that with what Maul just told you in the last episode that he saw, like, you got to figure like something's wrong and not just, you know, that something wrong has happened to him, but that he's done something wrong and, and that he's playing a major part in, in all the stuff that's about to happen. Yeah, see, I kind of took it as her sensing that Anakin is in pain here. I'm thinking, harkening back to when Yoda sensed Anakin killing the Tusken mm -hmm. Raiders and attacking the clones, and the only way you could describe it was that Anakin was in great pain during that moment while doing something obviously terribly wrong. And I think that's the main emotion that Ahsoka was feeling, that Anakin is in pain here, which she obviously was not physical pain, but the pain in what he's doing and the path he's going down and I think that's what she felt more than anything as far as him going to the dark side or turning evil right at this moment. And again, it's visions. Things probably aren't as clear as they should be or as we're seeing them as an audience. And when you're having a forest vision like that, it rarely is it ever as clear. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. And and again, I'm sure things weren't perfectly, perfectly clear for her. Um, but so, yeah. man, it's just and, and again, you can kind of take it either way, because on the one hand, she could just, you know, she senses a disturbance and knows it's something to do with Anakin, but it's like, if she really did sort of at least see a little bit of something that she could have gleaned something from and, and just didn't want to believe it, it just adds that much more yeah, sort of tragedy to her character and, and their relationship when she ultimately comes face to face with this thing that she never thought was possible. And it's like, sure enough, there he is in the black suit and everything. Yeah. But boy, but before her entering the room, just actually, seeing the hologram of Sidious and hearing the line delivered by Ian McDermott from Revenge of the Sith mm -hmm. saying, execute order 66. And just hearing Rex, Captain Rex, someone we spent so many years with seven seasons of Clone Wars saying, yes, Lord Sidious. It was like, oh no. So he is actually going to be affected by it. And Now, here's one uh, thing, before we get into all the emotion of what mm -hmm. happens afterwards, uh, one thing that 
I, I, you know, just kind of had my mind spinning here that I had never considered when he says, yes, Lord Sidious. Um, and all the, even in Revenge of the Sith, all the clones say, yes, my Lord. Yeah. Um, do they know? Like, I always just assumed that they knew that that was Palpatine. Because before we knew everything about the chips and, and all that kind of stuff that, that caused them to, to follow Order 66. See, that was something in the Clone Wars that, like, I felt like... Like, obviously, it was for, for people that felt like they needed more explanation for Order 66. And I didn't think it was, like, over-explaining or anything, but I was like, it, it always made sense to me. Like, in Episode 2, the Kaminoans explained that the clones have been, you know, genetically altered and, and modified so that, like, they're still free-thinking, but they're ultimately obedient. And this clone army has been bred for the Republic, so their ultimate loyalty is to the Chancellor, not to the Jedi Knights. And so even though they serve the Jedi on the battlefield yeah. and stuff like that, that if the Chancellor of the Republic says the Jedi or traitors execute them, that the clones are going to follow that order without question. And so I just – like that was my my logical process in Revenge of the Sith. I'm like, well, they would only accept that order from like the highest level of authority in the Republic. So they know that that's Palpatine. Um, but now that we know all the stuff about the chips and stuff and the, the Kaminoans being shady and they were in contact with like Tyrannus and presumably Sidious maybe. I don't know. Like obviously Rex knows who Darth Sidious is. So does he know that that's Chancellor Palpatine or are the clones just pre-programmed to take this order from Sidious even though they don't really know who this guy is and maybe they don't know that him and Palpatine are the same person? Yeah, that's interesting because I think ultimately it is them – following the Republic and their loyalty to the Republic over anything else and viewing the Jedi as traitors. And that is coming from the Supreme Chancellor. But I wonder if once Order 66 is activated in the chips in their head, it just kind of somehow triggers or gives them the whole picture that Palpatine is Sidious. And now there really are his servants and soldiers directly. And they may not realize it, but yet... They're just calling him Lord Sidious, Lord Sidious because now that ship has triggered that name or that persona for Palpatine or as the Supreme Chancellor as that now. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about where how that if it changes anything, really, how they view what they're doing as far as carrying out what they're viewing as the best for the republics, taking out these traitors who are going to try to overthrow the chancellor and the republic. But now um, it's coming from the direct orders of Lord Sidious as the Supreme Chancellor and not Palpatine. So it's just kind of, like you said, interesting to think about how much do they know? Do they know the whole picture now that <laughs> Order 66 is activated and that chip contained that information there to let them know that Lord Sidious and Palpatine are the same or just that Palpatine knew that once Order 66 was activated, it would be when he's as a Sith Lord, Lord Darth Sidious and not Palpatine. And maybe that would be the only way it would be activated uh, so not to reveal his plan early on or if something was to go wrong, like it almost did in the Order 66 arc in Season 6 mm -hmm. of Clone Wars. So, yeah, it is interesting to think about. But when it's all said and done, I, I just really do think they're just carrying out orders for uh, the Republic and whoever's in charge of the Republic, whether it's calling himself Lord Sidious or Chancellor Palpatine. I don't think it makes a difference. It's just for the Republic and to eliminate the traitors. Well, right. And I don't think, you know, that they would be operating thinking like oh this lord sidious guy who's he but he's given us orders okay we'll follow him instead of the republic like i think even if they don't know 
that he's Palpatine, like they probably know that the order is being given on Palpatine's behalf, like that maybe Sidious is mm. a messenger or something like that. And the only That's reason true. I bring that up is because in again, like in the Fives arc, you see the Kaminoans dealing directly with Darth Tyrannus. Now in Attack of the Clones, we know that Jango Fett was hired by Tyrannus. But we also know that like Dooku was working with Sifo-Dyas and stuff, and so I just thought like maybe Tyrann or like maybe Dooku dealt directly with Jango Fett, but like that was our first confirmation that the Kaminoans had dealt directly with Dooku and still were, and so, and obviously mm -hmm. like whoever Dooku has influence over Sidious has influence over also, and so like maybe the Kaminoans know who Darth Sidious is, and maybe that's programmed in the chips or something, but like they don't know that he's Palpatine, because like you said, that's that seems like information that he would want to keep pretty close to the vest, and especially in like like when something happened like the Fives arc, where a chip malfunctions and it almost unravels his whole plan, like if there was information in those chips that could link Sidious and Palpatine together, like you know, maybe he'd want to cover those tracks, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but it was it was just something interesting that I thought about when just hearing Rex say yes, Lord Sidious. This is the first time we've ever heard a clone call him that, and I was like, wait, so do they all know? Like, they're they're all responding to that order from Sidious, and do they know that that's Palpatine? So I don't know. That that just kind of blew my mind because I had never considered that before. Yeah, it definitely stood out as sounding odd hearing Rex say that. So <laughs> definitely could see why it would bring you to think about all the reasonings and what possibly led to, in this instance, a clone calling him Sidious while the other ones just call him, you know, your majesty or yes, Lord, <laughs> that's my Lord, all of the other instances. So yeah, but man, it did it. <laughs> this kind of added more to the effect of that. The clones are now no longer the good guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sad to say where they're taking order from the Sith Lord that the Jedi have been trying to find throughout this whole war. And as we know, is the main bad guy to all this. So it just add to that layer of tragedy hearing Rex say Sidious, knowing that maybe not him in the long run, but all the other clones are, they're kind of gone for good now, as far as being the good soldiers of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, so of course Ahsoka walks in after, after Rex, hears the execute order 66. And she says, you know, Rex, like, I felt a disturbance, you know, something's wrong with Anakin. And Rex is standing there holding his helmet, just shaking. And she's like, Rex, what's wrong? And the two clones behind her turn and, like, point their blasters at her. And he's like, no, I'll do it. And she's like, Rex, what's what's going on? And, and he's pointing his blasters at Ahsoka, tears rolling down his face, hands, <laughs> hands shaking. And he tells her like find fives find fives that's all he can say before his mind just snaps and he starts shooting at her and the music uh anakin's dark deeds from yes. the Sith starts playing <laughs> which is actually not the music from order 66 that's like no. the music when when obi-wan is talking to padme and realizes that like anakin's the father and anakin's like wiping out the separatists on mustafar and stuff but still it's like just that you instantly recognize like that tragic music from revenge of the sith that you still kind of identify with those moments um and and rex starts shooting at her the other clones start shooting at her jesse and a whole squad of other clones start shooting at her and um this is like like a heartbreaking 
sequence, but like visually spectacular at the same time where she's standing up on this communications table, just flipping and twirling and deflecting blaster bolts from every direction and then deflecting them up into the ceiling until she eventually basically uses the reflected bolts to like shoot a hole in the ceiling big enough for her to escape through in all the smoke and sparks and stuff that are flying around and all the commotion. Um, and man, just again, just what an intense and, and, you know, just kind of heart stopping sequence. Like you barely have time to register everything that's going on because again, like those of us who've seen rebels, we know that Rex said like he took his chip out and didn't go along with order 66. And so he's telling her like find fives and you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Is he going along with it? Is he going, is he not going along with it? And next thing you know, it's just blasters flying in every direction. And it's like, Holy crap. Like Rex is shooting at her right now. Like I wasn't expecting this. Yeah. This scene played out perfectly and beautifully as you would expect a big moment for these two main characters of the series to go through this pivotal moment in Star Wars history as Order 66 and Rex's reaction, man, it was just so sad to see, but yet so perfect just him struggling to deal with the order. And the fact that he was crying during it was like, Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's probably got so many levels, not wanting to hurt um, Ahsoka, someone he saw grew up and was a mentor to her for a little bit. And then just going through so much, but then also thinking about fives, probably realizing the scope of what fives found out and what he died for and what this could mean for his brothers and the fact that he's just shaking and trembling and the tears down his eyes. It was just, man, almost too much to take as a big fan of Captain Rex and just the clones in general. But it was just, again, adds to that beautiful tragedy of it all. That is the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith and just his reaction to it. And again, just him calling, telling Ahsoka to find fives was just when I saw it, I was like, oh man. So we're going to be diving back into that, which is, to that story arc which is awesome and i couldn't help but think and again that was the big question is rex gonna go through with it do we get revealed where he removed his chip out a while ago and it has no effect on him or is he gonna go full-blown into order 66 without question and ahsoka's gonna have to take him out somehow to remove that chip and i think well, they see, kind of found i i knew he hadn't taken the chip out because in rebels he's got a scar on his head where he took the chip out and i mean we've never That's seen true. that in clone wars and so the whole time i was like order 66 is coming up when's rex taking that chip out that's true. Or he could have had it done, but his hair grew back and it was kind of yeah. covering the scar. So <laughs> that could have been a way to look at it. But I did think it found a nice balance where he didn't succumb to it right away because of what he knew and what Fives told him. He was able to resist it just for the briefest of moments. But it was enough to get that emotion across. And man, it was really tough to take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like you said, that action beat afterward was just so cool. The choreography of Ahsoka, the way she's deflecting those blasters and this goes to something that i really loved about this episode and just ahsoka in general how she was trying her hardest not to kill any clones here and sure i think some got hit by their own blast of fire in the crossfire with her uh, deflecting it with her lightsabers that's kind of inevitable but she was trying really hard to deflect um to deflect those blasters so they wouldn't hit the clone troopers and this becomes kind of something she mentioned in the next episode. But while I was watching this episode, that really stood out to me where it was something I really appreciated and just speaks to the character of Ahsoka and how she truly embodies what a Jedi should be and the values that they hold. Because it just makes total sense where 
you spent three years with these soldiers. You've become close friends, and in some cases, I'm sure uh, some of them view it, some Jedi as well, probably mainly just Anakin Ahsoka, I should say, <laughs> would view them as as brothers in their own right, especially characters like Rex and some of the others in the Five First. And the fact that this always kind of bugged me, but now it does even more so. And the, you can even look at it as a desperate situation as far as how the Jedi react. But the way that some Jedi just instantly kill these clones when they realize they've turned, like Yoda killing Commander Gree and that other clone trooper, just immediately decapitating them, not doing anything else to far as like to force push them, to just remove their weapons, to kind of see what's going on here. Just, nope, they turned on me, I'm going to kill them. And to me, that just speaks and adds to the downfall of the Jedi and just how the Clone Wars and them fighting in this war for these three years has really led to their destructions and led them astray from the true Jedi path and loving all life forms and trying their hardest to save all life that they can, especially ones you fought in arms with for so long. Again, it just adds to that where the war has really corrupted the Jedi in their way of thinking. They're probably just so engrossed in battle and combat that for most of them, their immediate reaction is just to survive and kill these clones that are turning on them, regardless of the fact that they've been fighting together for so long. But the fact that Ahsoka realized that and tried her best not to take out any clones in this instance. And again, she elaborates on this later on in the last episode, but that stood out to me immediately. And to me, that speaks to Anakin's training more than anything, because if Anakin did succumb to the dark side and he had to deal with Order 66 just as a Jedi. I know he would do the same thing that Ahsoka would. He would try, especially if it was Rex turning on him, he would not just immediately kill him or kill any of the other clones. So I just really appreciated that aspect that this is the way he decided to take uh, Ahsoka's action and how she handled Order 66 and doing her best not to, or to limit the casualties of the clones who she fought so many years with and knows that they don't deserve to be killed by a Jedi, even though, because she has to know they're not thinking for themselves. And she gets the full picture of it later on when she discovers um, the case with fives and seeing that message from Rex. But before that, I think she even realized that she can't be doing this to these soldiers she's fought with. I just love that aspect about Ahsoka and just the way that this was the direction they decided to take her and how she dealt with Order 66. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I would totally agree with that. Like, um, and I think it speaks to her character specifically. I mean, I agree with what you're saying too, about how it shows like how the Jedi have been sort of corrupted by war and stuff. But I think also, you know, you made the point that like Anakin and Ahsoka are probably the only Jedi that really consider their clone troopers as friends. Um, and especially, I mean, I know Ahsoka's not trying to kill any of the other ones too, but especially with Rex, like, and the fact that she risks herself and, and, really goes out on a limb to try to save him in the middle of all this um, and sort of bring him back from the brink. Um, I feel like that's only something that Ahsoka and Anakin would do. Like Yoda killing Commander Gree, like, yeah, you could argue that he should have found a, a nonviolent way to, you know, maybe he could have just incapacitated him instead of killing him. But also, like, we throughout the Clone Wars series, we never see Yoda fighting with Commander Gree. You know, like when we see him in that season one episode, he's with a different group of clone troopers from Coruscant. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I'm not arguing that like the Jedi should have just killed all the clones, but I'm saying it makes sense that in a life or death situation, somebody's behind you with a gun pointed at your head and you're just going to jump and lop their head off. Whereas Ahsoka, you know, has, 
I think like some of Anakin's attachment has rubbed off on her. And even though that oh, ultimately totally. is what causes his downfall, um, I think it also is is a positive in a lot of aspects. And, you know, Jedi having compassion on people, um, but not just compassion, but also like like obviously I, I think Anakin's connection with with Ahsoka and with Rex runs deeper than just him having Jedi compassion. I mean, he has strong relationships and friendship bonds with those people that other Jedi don't have. Um, and I think, again, Ahsoka sort of taking on some of that is like, okay, these aren't just, uh, you know, life forms, like, and these aren't just people, but like, these are my friends. These are my comrades. These are people that I've, that I've fought alongside. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, but, but I think you're totally right. That really does speak to her character, um, and, and her own sort of personal strength and resolve that she not only survives this situation, but does it with as minimal bloodshed as possible. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like you said, you, you do see uh, some clone troopers that she maybe like hits with deflected blaster fire. Or she bowls over a bunch of them with a door at one point. She unleashes Darth Maul on a bunch of them, which gets a ton of them killed. But, you know, she's not running <laughs> I mean, around. Some... Just, she's not running around just lopping heads off left and right. Some drastic measures had to be taken in this scenario here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't really blame her for doing that in freeing Maul and knowing what he would, the damage and chaos he would unleash. So she had, there had to be some tough choices to be made there. And that was, I guess, the lesser of two evils in her mind as far as not only to help her survive, but for her not to be killing these clones. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, I mean, that's what she does next. She goes down to to the prison level, frees Maul, um, you know, she tells him like, don't make me regret this. And, uh, he thinks that like they're teaming up to survive and she's like, no, 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 like, <laughs> don't get it wrong. I'm not on your side. We're not teaming up. And, and at one point he even asks her like, if he can have one of her lightsabers and she's like, no, like, I'm not rooting for you. I just want you to go cause some chaos. You're a distraction so I can get out of here. Um, which honestly, and and I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here to the last episode when when uh, Maul kind of backstabs Ahsoka and Rex and steals their shuttle and gets away. It's like, yeah, what did you think was gonna happen? Like, you can almost, I mean, obviously Ahsoka's our our protagonist and she's doing what she's got to do to survive, but you can kind of feel a little bit bad for Maul at this point, where like. You know, uh, the Sith have used him and chewed him up and spit him out. And now here's this former Jedi who the same thing happened to her with her order. And he thought he could trust her and team up with her. And, you know, now they're in this situation where it's like the two of them against the whole clone army in this fight for survival. And she now, too, is just using him as a tool and and a distraction and, you know, doesn't care what happens to him. And so he's like, well, screw you. I'm looking out for number one then. I'm going to destroy your ship i'm gonna steal your shuttle and you know good luck you can find your own way out um yeah that is kind of a sad way to look at it from all as a character at the same time too you you know he would betray a selfie even if they were teaming up yeah <laughs> during this moment for him to escape and save himself but i do like how it wasn't your typical team up because i kind of thought that might be a way to go where they would be working together kind of sneaking around take it trying to take out clones and Maul will be telling her, we got to do what must be done and kill them. And she'd be telling him, no, you got to do your best not to kill any of these clones. And they'd have those conflicting opinions. But it wasn't anything like that. And I appreciate that they did something different where it wasn't them teaming up, but yet them going their separate ways. And like you said, her using Maul in assistance and just another case 
where Maul is being used as another tool. I really didn't think about that as I was watching it, but you're absolutely right. And just, again, adds to a little more of how uh, far Maul has fallen is how he really had no place in this story other than to be used as a tool for the grand scheme of things and why he was trying to make a name for himself in that criminal underworld because that really turned out to be the only place where he could thrive in. So yeah, mm-hmm. another <laughs> interesting take that I never really thought about, but it makes total sense when you look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to feel bad for him while he's cutting clone troopers in half, yeah. with, you know, panels that he's ripping off of walls with the force. But, you know, there definitely is kind of a tragic element to his character and all that he's been through. Um, that was that whole sequence, man. It was brutal, but total Rogue One vibes of Vader. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> in the hallway there, taking out those rebel soldiers. It was almost the same thing, just that he didn't have a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it was also, I don't know, it, it, like in um, in Rebels, or in, in Rogue One, rather, you know those Rebels are screwed from the get-go. Like, they're cowering at the end of the hallway like their blasters are shaking, whereas the clone troopers, they're like, you know, I mean, they're running from Maul, but at the same time, like, they're a little more coordinated and, yeah. and you know, so, um, and the fact that Maul is unarmed and yet taking them out with, you know, just, he's he's using the force, he's ripping panels and doors and stuff and using those as both shields and weapons that was just really cool to see um and so meanwhile while he's causing his his distraction um ahsoka goes and she finds some droids and this was really nice you get to see uh r7 which was her astromech back from like season one of the clone wars who i had completely forgotten about but as soon as i saw (laughs) me too (laughs) as soon as i saw her with that droid i was like oh wait we've seen that one before um and and he's got a couple other droid pals with him, including one that's uh, voiced by Dave Filoni and is kind of like a chopper type model. So that was fun. Um, if only there was a D squad member in there, that would just put it over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad Whack wasn't there. <laughs> it's probably a good thing Whack wasn't there, or he would have gotten them all whacked. Um, <laughs> uh, you're probably right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is cool. She uses these droids to help her come up with, with an escape plan and, and they're able to, uh, capture Rex and get him isolated from the rest of the group. But, you know, she has them pull up the files on fives, like Rex, like Rex told her about. And this is actually one of my absolute favorite aspects of this episode is the way it ties back to that, uh, the arc with fives in season six, um, like I wasn't expecting that at all. I mean, I, I figured there might be some kind of tie-in because it's Order sixty six, and we know about the chips, and we know that Rex takes his chip out. Um, but just the the fact that you know he goes along with it, but leaves sort of this trail of breadcrumbs for Ahsoka to follow that leads back to what Fives found out in those episodes. And obviously, I mean, Rex didn't know everything. I mean, he didn't even fully believe Fives necessarily, but it's like he he believed him enough and was kind of troubled enough by it that he left this report that was classified and, and he said, you know, I know this is going to fall on deaf ears, but I have to, you know, sort of voice my concern about uh, what Fives found. And, you know, I, I think that the uh, the inhibitor chips that are planted in us might have some other purpose that we're not aware of yet. Um, and just that was enough to for Ahsoka to kind of piece together like, oh, that's what's making them do this. And so she goes to get Rex and try to take his chip out. But I I love the the way that this story arc sort of almost sort of validates that last one. I mean that the the fives arc is a great one on its own. 
but obviously has a, a tragic ending and really like if you look at that arc just by itself i wouldn't say fives dies in vain but like i don't know i, I guess he kind of does like he he dies trying to do something heroic and he comes yeah, very he close, so close to unraveling yeah, this makes... this huge plot and then he dies and nobody believes him and it all gets swept under the rug again and so it's like no good came of it even though he died trying to do the right thing it ultimately didn't make a difference. And so you get to this arc and you see that it, well, it does make some small difference because Ahsoka and, well, I, I guess mainly just Ahsoka. I was going to say Ahsoka and Rex probably wouldn't have survived this episode if it wasn't for fives. Um, but it's really just Ahsoka because if it wasn't for fives and, you know, they didn't know all that information, Rex probably would never would have gotten his chip taken out and probably would have just killed Ahsoka. So, um, yeah, so, so even, you know, just that small difference of just saving one character, the fact that it's a character that we care so much about, um, and the fact that, that his sacrifice actually was worth something and, and led us to where we are in this episode and the discovery that she's able to make and then, um, you know, restoring Rex, it gave me a lot more appreciation for, um, for that story and the fact that it so directly tied into this one. Yeah, totally. I mean, he plays a big role now because, like you said, Ahsoka probably would have died in Order 66 and Rex uh, would have been probably forever within the Empire and become a clone who was a servant to the Emperor and become, just, uh, for lack of a better word, a bad guy. (laughs) So we need to see the clones on the side of good. And that would have sucked for Rex's character for someone who was questioning certain elements of the war, like we saw in the Umbara arc and even a little bit in the uh, deserter arc or the deserter episode. So that would have been such a sad outcome for Rex. So mm-hmm. even though he would have survived it, it would have been something where his life would have been a life he would not want to live. Because I remember, I don't remember the exact line word for word, but when he's telling to the clone who was a deserter, how he would not stand living for like a regime that the empire turned out to be, he didn't necessarily say the empire, obviously, because they didn't know about it, but what the empire stood for, like he cannot live in a galaxy like that or serve under a regime. Like oh, that. well, I think he's talking more about, I, I think I remember which one you're talking about. Cause I, I watched that episode maybe not too long ago. Um, but he says, I think he's talking about the separatists, but, uh, you know, the, the, Clone. Yeah, I think it's like if they took over, if they lost, like the Republic lost the war and what the galaxy could mean if under separatist rules. Yeah, he says like, like if we, if we, oh, because Cut Laquane, who's the clone who deserted the army and now is like living with a family and stuff, he's like, why is this war so meaningful to you? And he says, I'm part of the most pivotal moment in the history of the Republic. And he says, if we fail, then our children and our children's children could live under an evil I can't well imagine. I remember a lot of clones, clones, yeah. clones. Um, and that's pretty much what the Empire became an evil that yeah. you couldn't imagine. And the fact if he didn't have his chip removed, he'd be serving under that evil he didn't want to. So it would have been a tragic end to his character, even though he technically would have survived. So yeah. the fact that not only Fives saved Ahsoka's life, but saved for what um, a life that Rex would have hated to live and probably without maybe even realizing it. So yeah, fives definitely ended up being a real hero for two big characters in the star Wars saga, in my opinion. And I I agree with what you were saying, how unfortunately it sucked to see the ending of that order 66 arc where fives died. And yet he was so close to unraveling the conspiracy and 
no one really found out. But the re fact that Rex recorded that message and was able to bring some of what Five was saying to light and get Ahsoka to take out his inhibitor chip just made that Five did not die in vain and some good, some a lot real good came out of him discovering that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, and then of course you get the scene where Ahsoka is taking the chip out and you got the, the medical droid like scanning Rex's head looking for the ship and they can't find it. And so Ahsoka like touches Rex's head and starts chanting, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. And I, by the way, I, I know I talked about this on our last episode where I was going to try to uh, get together with my sister and watch these last two episodes together, which I actually did. Not only did we get to watch them together, but I held out for that whole weekend. I didn't watch this episode until uh, the Sunday night before May the 4th. And we watched the entire arc in one sitting with this one and then, <laughs> and then the last episode at midnight. But um, man, it, as soon as she started saying this, we both were just like, wow, she said the thing. <laughs> um, but man, it was just, see, this is, I'm not going to like harp on the, the sequel trilogy or anything, but like, this is fan service done right. Where you make those connections and go like, Oh, I remember that that ties back to the other thing, but it also makes perfect sense within the story. And it's just a really cool moment in its own right. And where, you know, the, they can't locate this thing through medical technology. And so she's tapping into the force that even though Rex isn't a Jedi, like he starts mumbling it too, because it's just this force that connects him and her and his brain and the chip and just every living thing. Like it was just, there's just such a cool and powerful moment to me. Um, because again, yeah. like the, the fact that Rex is saying it too, and it's almost like their, their minds sort of become one and that she's, it's not just like, Oh, I can sense through the force that the chip is here, but it's like her and Rex sort of like becoming one with the force for lack of mm -hmm. a better term. Like it's really, it's really a, um, sort of an example of Obi-Wan's explanation in a new hope where he says it surrounds us and penetrates us and binds everything together. Like I, that's what the force is doing in this moment. Like it's connecting Rex and Ahsoka on a deeper level. It's, it's in them and around them and allowing her to find this thing that the scanner can't. Um, it was just brilliant. Yeah. And it makes total sense for her to say that because as you were saying, it's almost something that those who aren't, technically force users like the Jedi or Sith are, but every living being has, is a part of the force and they have to have some type of connection to it, even if it's very small. And that's why it makes sense to say that line, because that's what Jarrett displayed in Rogue One, someone who obviously believed in the force and what it can do, but wasn't necessarily a force sensitive user like the Jedi were, but yet he totally believed in that connection of the force and what it can do for you. And when he said those lines, I am one with the force and the force is with me as he needed to hit that master switch and connect him with the force to be able to make it to that without getting hit. It's that thing where Rex, someone who isn't a force user is making that connection as well. But I think you said it perfectly how him and Ahsoka are forming that connection to find that ship and connect on a deeper level just as living beings through the force. And I think saying that line is kind of the mantra for those who aren't necessarily able to wield it like the Jedi can and able to harness a little bit of that ability and that connection they have with the Force, even though they cannot manifest it and display it as those who are 
stronger with the force and have um, higher midichlorian counts as Jedi's would. So, but it's just a great powerful moment that shows all living beings have that connection with the force and could use it to their ability once needed in dire situations like Chirrut showed. And now Rex was a help of Ahsoka. It was just really, really well done and a great use of that now iconic line in Mm -hmm. Star Wars. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then, you know, so, so they're in the, the medical bay, the clones start cutting through the door. Uh, They get the door open and Rex comes out of the surgery bay and Ahsoka is, you know, deflecting blaster fire and stuff. And then Rex like guns down the clone. Like you see him reaching for his blaster. You're like, Oh, you know, is he going to shoot the clones? Is he going to shoot Ahsoka? And then like he fires and takes out all the clones holding the door open. Pain me to see. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, and uh, gosh, I just love that moment afterwards. She turns to him, she's like, Rex, and he's she's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, kid, I'm all right. Like, and he's back to, like, the Captain Rex that we know. And it's this huge sigh of relief. And then, like you said, at the same time, like, he just shot a bunch of his own brothers, like, on purpose. And you see how devastated he was by that in the Umbara arc when Krell, like, pitted them against each other. Um, and I think that just shows, like, how how much he cares for Ahsoka and and the lengths he's willing to go to, to protect her, but also just this dire situation that they're in, like not knowing what to do where all these clones that were their brothers and stuff have now turned against them and are trying to kill them. It's like, what do you do in that situation? Um, and Rex being the soldier is like, Hey, if we got to fight him, we got to fight him. Even though he doesn't want to obviously. And, and Ahsoka is the one that's like, no, okay, set your blasters for stun. Like we're not killing anybody on our way out of here. Um, and obviously now we're, transitioning into the next episode but oh but even you know just i love the way that last one ended where uh he just kind of has that realization again i think now that he's back to his his old self and he's piecing together more of those pieces of of what he learned from fives and just realizing what he's done what everybody else has done and he's like ahsoka it's all of us like the entire grand army of the republic and also, I love the way his dialogue is worded right here, where he says, the entire Grand Army of the Republic has been uh, ordered to hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights, which is the exact line that Obi-Wan uses in A New Hope when he says, Vader, yeah. help the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. Because I, I thought that was, it was weird to me that he was just like, he's why wouldn't, like, he, he just seems kind of like formal about it almost. I was like, why wouldn't he mm-hmm. just say, you know, we're, we're hunt, programmed to kill all the Jedi, you know, like... When you hear people talk about the Jedi Knights, it's usually people that, like, aren't associated with them. And it's like to to Rex, you know, just sort of more informal, it would be like, oh, we're, we're hunting down the Jedi or the Jedi Order or whatever. The the way that he said Jedi Knights very intentionally, I was like, oh, that's the same thing Obi-Wan said about hunting down and destroying the Jedi Knights. So that was a cool little callback. And to be honest, I was actually a little surprised of how, not casually, but just how quick Rex was kind of being accepting of the situation that he would have to take out some of some of his brothers and fellow clones and a little hesitant to turn his blasters to stun. I thought he would kind of be a little more torn about the having the fact of him having to possibly kill his brothers. Like you said, thinking back to the Umbara arc and just how awful it was when the clones realized they were firing and killing each other. Um, so, but at the same time, Rex being the soldier that he is and knowing what's at stake here and protecting Ahsoka and just how widespread this is as far as a clone, every single clone being affected by this and probably realizing 
they're not the same and nothing's going to stop them from trying to kill us and mm-hmm. he's going to have to do what has to be done but yet good thing Ahsoka was there to make him realize that having it on stun is the way to go and talk about awesome choreography the way her and Rex were she was deflecting their blasters that he was firing on them with his stun blasters on it was just amazing to see just their symmetry of fighting mm-hmm. and just how in sync they were it just it was just beautiful to watch knowing that they've been in battle so many times together and it was on full display their experience that they had and knowing each other's moves and just how to perfectly dodge deflect and fire on their enemies it was just really well animated and just choreographed beautifully i just love that aspect of just seeing these two characters with so much experience together showing what that experience can do in such a crucial moment in a battle yeah and you know another thing that was cool too is when i watched this with my sister and we like i said we watched this entire arc together on the night that uh that this episode went up um but before we started the first episode i was like let's go back and watch just the beginning of the clone wars movie just to kind of like go back to where this all started before we we go to the very end of it and we watch you know the beginning of the clone wars movie just through the first i don't know maybe 10 minutes or so um, with like the battle of Christophsis and then the introduction of Ahsoka. Um, and then, uh, my sister Kayla, like after we saw the introduction of Ahsoka, she's like, okay, we can turn it off and watch the new ones. Right. And I was like, no, 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 wait, we got to see the first scene with Ahsoka and Rex together. And it's yeah. where, you know, so where Anakin introduces her and then she starts, you know, getting snippy with him and calls him sky guy in front of Rex. And he starts laughing at her and stuff. And Anakin, uh, you know, sends him off and says, you know, captain Rex here can show you how, you know, a little respect goes a long way. And then, um, you know, she's questioning him about military strategy and stuff. And then she's like, Oh, you know, if I'm a, a Jedi and you're a captain, I outrank you. Right. And he's an experience outranks everything. And just seeing like the disconnect between those two characters at first. And it's almost like, you know, he's, like, I mean, it's it's early in the war, and technically the clones are pretty young, but Rex all you know already has that demeanor of like a veteran soldier, and he's like, "Who's this kid that we're bringing along with us?" Um, and to see the point where they're at now, where both of them have grown so much, but so especially Ahsoka has like grown and matured so much, and Rex has grown to love and respect her so much, and then you see just after all that they've you know been through and fought through together, just how well they work as a team. Um, and you know, how much just mutual respect and admiration they have for each other. It's just really cool to see how far these characters have come along the way and, and just the, the progression of the show and its characters and its storylines. It's just, uh, man, like you said, the, the clone wars and not just the stories, but also just the, you know, it getting canceled and brought back, like it's its own star Wars saga in and of itself. (laughs) Um, but I think part of that is just the progression of it, like seeing not only the characters, but the the quality of the show itself and the animation and the writing and stuff and, and seeing, you know, just this kids movie from 2008 and how it's evolved into some of the absolute best stories in all of Star Wars here 12 years later. So it's just really cool to see that progression. Yep. And it's just perfectly and beautifully exemplified by the characters of Rex and Ahsoka and why it's just so great that these final episodes are being focused on them and how they're dealing with the end of this war like this. That's just really perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, obviously it's perfectly like just narrowed down on these two characters that we've followed through this whole time and, and 
really they're kind of the two central characters that are like original characters to this show because we have Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda and Padme and we know what happens to all of them. Um, but to have these last two episodes really just hone in on Ahsoka and Rex, it's weird because to me, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but it almost feels a little bit like anticlimactic to have like in the first two episodes, you have all this stuff going on with, with Anakin and Obi-Wan and Maul and sort of the looming threat of order 66 and the battle for Mandalore. And it's like, you got all this stuff intertwining. And then once order 66 goes down, it's just the whole rest of the way. It's just Ahsoka and Rex in this fight for survival, but it makes perfect sense because again, we know what happens the rest of the way. Like again, in those previous two episodes, it's building up, to you know maul is sensing this stuff is about to go down well we know the stuff that goes down like we don't need to cut to episode three and see you know palpatine taking power and stuff it's like mm -hmm. once order 66 is executed we know what's happening in the rest of the galaxy we know that jedi are getting killed we know that anakin's turning the dark side all that kind of stuff and now it's just like okay here's these two characters that we've been following for all this time and we don't know what happens to them yet let's see how they're going to get out of it yeah, and that's exactly how it should be. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we know what happens to our main core of characters of the Skywalker saga who are in the Clone Wars, but this episode, this series had to end focusing on Rex and Ahsoka. And that was one of the questions leading up to the finale that we would have had in some of the middle seasons as far as where exactly is this going to end? Is it going to lead up to the beginning of Revenge of the Sith and that's it? Is it going to go beyond Revenge of the Sith in some way? And the way that it happened that it was kind of ending during Revenge of the Sith was kind of, I think, the perfect way to do it. Again, just going back to that point of getting different perspectives on this big moment in the galaxy that uh, happens in Revenge of the Sith. But having it be with these two characters who were introduced in the show and have become such um, not only just popular characters in Star Wars fandom, but such focal characters over the course of the Clone Wars and the fact that we saw them grow and the relationships uh, that they had with each other and other characters from the main saga was just great to see. So it was only fitting and right that even though it wasn't on such a grand scale, it was such a big battle that was happening for the series to end on. It just felt so right that it was just between Ahsoka, Rex, and members of the 501st. Again, still having that presence of Anakin in there in some way, knowing that these are his clone troopers that he's fought with and that he left with mm -hmm. Ahsoka. So it just adds more to that as far as Anakin still having an effect on the overall um, sequences and events that we're seeing uh, play out between Ahsoka and Rex and them trying to survive Order 66. So yeah, it's just maybe not the way you're expecting it to, but at the same time, now that we've seen it, I can't picture it ending any way, any other way, especially as we get to the later aspects of this episode. Yeah, so then, of course, uh, you know, well, well, first of all, Maul is still loose on the ship um, and just goes to the engine room and starts, you know, wreaking havoc, destroying generators <laughs> and stuff, crippling the entire engine system and the rips the thing out of hyperspace. Ahsoka wanted a distraction. She got it. <laughs> yep, yep. And that, um, just that visual of like the ship like on fire and like with all the smoke and debris coming off of it, and just the like right out of of hyperspace with the the like trails of smoke and stuff still kind of frozen behind it. Um, just an incredible visual shot. Um, 
and then you know Rex and Ahsoka get to the hangar and and open the doors and see like this moon ahead of them that they're heading towards and um you know realize that they're like stuck in the the gravitational pull and so they got to get off so they like open the bay doors to a shuttle and then like Jesse and all the clones start pouring out and mm-hmm. you know just amass this this big army in front of them you know, it looked amazing <laughs> yeah it, it looked incredible again this is another moment where the music was just really like sort of tense and dramatic um again like even before the clones showed up like when the doors opening you just see that moon and again the music sounded like something out of like another sci-fi movie like uh like I said gravity comes to mind um you know, where it, it just had that, that, uh, I don't know, it, like it almost didn't feel like Star Wars, but just felt so like sci-fi and, and just eerie. Um, but then of course, yeah, all the clones come out and then you had probably like maybe the most emotional scene in all of this where, uh, you know, the, the clones are all standing there basically just waiting for them to come. And, you know, Jesse says like, they're going to try to get to that shuttle. We're not going to let them. Uh, you know, they got to go through us and, and Ahsoka and Rex are kind of standing there assessing the situation. And she's like, um, you know, still saying like, we're not going to hurt any of them or, or I'm not, we'll have to find another way around because I'm not going to kill those guys. And Rex is like, I hate to tell you, but like, they don't care. And he's just kind of, you know, just venting over how like, these are my brothers and I fought with them and like, they're willing to die to like go down with the ship and make sure that we don't get off. And like, all they care about is, is making sure that we're dead. Um, and you can just see like how much it's affecting him. And Ahsoka takes his helmet off and, you know, he's got tears rolling down his cheeks again. And it's just like, man, like, I mean, like you said earlier, like it might've seemed sudden how he was able to just spring into action and start taking out clones even though he had fought with these guys like i think this is the moment where all of that catches up with him and he really realizes the weight of of everything that these guys have been through together and now he's sort of the only one that realizes what's going on and is still trying to do the right thing and and they're all turning against him now for it too um and it's just you know just heartbreaking to to think of like what it must feel like to be in that situation. Yeah. It was just another great, powerful emotional moment between these two characters. And the fact that this really is kind of the final conversation that Rex and Ahsoka have during this episode and that we're going to see until we meet them again in rebels. And it's kind of a fitting yet heartbreaking one to have because Rex is, like you said, venting, but Ahsoka, again, is kind of reassuring him and telling him now these clothes may be willing to die, but it's not going to be by my hand. And I think in saying that, she also means by his too, without necessarily saying that, but just showing the compassion that and respect that she has for him and him from her removing that helmet and just wanting to see really to see the face of Rex during this moment. And I kind of took it as not necessarily a good to them but as I said since this is kind of the last conversation we see between these characters almost as a goodbye to these two characters for the audience as far as seeing their last conversation that they're going to have for a while and then what lies ahead of them something they're going to that seems like insurmountable odds that they're going to have to face but yet they're going to face it together and try this one last plan that Ahsoka has to try to get them out of this but again it was such a touching scene just seeing Ahsoka be there for Rex as he's struggling with this fact that he has to 
go fight up against his brothers and they don't care <laughs> and they're just willing to kill him and her for following the orders again going back to that line in the 66 arc just good soldiers follow orders good mm -hmm. soldiers follow orders that's well, all they're thinking about during this time and especially because she tells him she says you're a good soldier rex and so are all yeah. those men down there and I, I couldn't help but think of that line at that time i'm like they're good soldiers and they're just following orders um yeah so and obviously her her refusal to actually kill any of them like she realizes that this isn't who they are and that they're doing this involuntarily and that, you know, they're being made to follow these orders. So, um, you know, again, just shows like sort of great resolve and, and strength of character on her part, but tragic nonetheless, because like Rex says, like, doesn't matter to them. They're still trying to kill you. Um, but man, and, it was, Oh, go ahead. No. Yeah. I was just going to say kind of leading up to the moment where Ahsoka and Axford plan to, be captured by Rex and they're going to try to fool the clones. But one thing I forgot to mention once Ahsoka first escapes when Rex was still under order 66, how he gives that speech to the clones where the Jedi are traitors and are set to be executed. And any clones who are set to help them or don't follow through those orders will be executed themselves. And so Rex is obviously going into that situation with that in mind and just adding to the clones, what they may be thinking here, too, as far as, you know, they cannot go against these orders. Obviously, it's through the inhibitor chip, but just having that in the back of their minds as well as knowing that they, them to betray or go against these orders would mean their deaths, too. And mm -hmm. even you could tell that when Rex was having this conversation with Jesse over Ahsoka at this moment, they were, the clones weren't just like mindless robots here. They obviously could still think for themselves and make decisions because... Jesse was having this conversation and with Rex as far as what to do with Ahsoka. And it just wasn't like, no, she must be terminated uh, over the order of uh, 66. It wasn't like a repeated line they were saying, like they were mind controlled. You could still tell that they were speaking and thinking for themselves here, but still under the directive of order 66, that that was their ultimate goal and mission here. But yet they still had some sense of themselves, I would think. It's just different now with mm -hmm. that inhibitor chip activated. So it just uh, made that conversation. It was another tough one to see between Rex and Jesse here, someone he's fought with for a long time. And I believe Jesse made his first appearance in season two, right? In the deserter episode or mm -hmm. was it before that? No, but I think that was it, was, it was in the deserter. Okay. So they obviously have a history together and just seeing them have this conversation about killing a Jedi and then Jesse <laughs> having to, view Rex as a traitor too. It just again added to that tragedy of seeing the clones go through this against their will too. So uh, just more tough moments to watch between these such these great characters and these good soldiers to put it. Yeah, and it was funny. Obviously there's another sort of technicality that I think they had to work in here because like Rex gets promoted to commander. I think in Rebels they still refer to him as Captain Rex. Yeah. Uh, and so right. and so Jesse's like, you know, you're in violation of Order 66, so you'll be demoted in rank and then executed. It's like, well what's the matter what rank he is if you're gonna execute him? But you know <laughs> Rex is like, yeah, I never much like being a commander anyways. Yeah. Um <laughs> So just to make that line up, but then, you know, this is where the fun begins where all the clones <laughs> are about to execute him and then the droids sneak around and activate those panels. And they're basically now playing like tower of terror where, you know, the floor is <laughs> dropping out and the clones are falling and then they're lifting them back up. And, and it's just this, 
this mad dash where like they're trying to get to the shuttle and the the clones are firing at him and again it's just ahsoka deflecting shots and and force pushing clones and rex firing back with stun blasts and um oh here comes maul (laughs) yeah right and then maul comes in and steals the ship and uh you know and again he like he and ahsoka could have teamed up but he he gets there first he tosses her away and he says you wanted this he's like you asked for chaos you got it um and steals the ship and takes off and then of course there's this awesome moment where ahsoka basically pulls a ray and uses the force to stop Mm, the ship in its tracks um and then has to has to give up on it and let it go to to go back and defend rex um which you know again just like these little touches but showing like letting go of something that she's trying to keep in her control and accepting when she can't and, and when to let go of it. And that's obviously something that she learned from somebody other than Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> Again, kind of the best of both training, so to speak between her Anakin and Obi-Wan. She's almost like the good balance between those two <laughs> and then how they are as Jedi. And it was great to see mm-hmm. in that moment where she chooses to save Rex, which obviously she couldn't do anything else, but do that. And man, how cool was as there again, facing off against these clones, deflecting all their blaster fire. How amazing was it to see her do the lightsaber move she did, using the force to separate them and create just to cut through the floor and have them fall through that landing platform. Oh, that was incredible. That, yeah, where she like, was amazing. throws the sabers down and then uses the force to like spin them in a circle and yep. just creates uh, a little platform that falls down. Because it's just like the Anakin and Obi-Wan move in the, the deleted scene. Deleted scene, the yeah, Sith. that's right. Except they do it by just stabbing their sabers through the floor and spinning around. So the fact that she did it by herself with two and used the force to spin them in a circle, it was just, oh, man, that was another moment that had me going, whoa, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Again, just showing how far Ahsoka has come as a Jedi and just how great she is. It is always not only just as a character, but on the action side of things, it's all the cool stuff that she can do as well. And just how much she's grown from that little Padawan that we saw in the movie. Just Mm -hmm. so incredible to see. Yeah, definitely. And she's totally earned all of it, too. Like, you know, just with with the growth and everything that we've seen along the way from her. I mean, I remember. God, if I see any comparison or calling her a mary sue is like ugh. i mean hated well, that even for ray no see that's Hoka, the, no way that's the thing i mean i remember back in season one and i wouldn't you know call her a mary sue i don't even know if that was a thing that people called characters back so. then but i do remember sort of having some reservations about like okay this is like this you know 14 year old girl who just became a padawan and she's surviving against general grievous like come on like you know, and it, it never really bothered me, but I feel like it required like a little bit of suspension of disbelief. Like, oh, okay, it's a kid's show. Of course, they're going to have a fun scene where the kid gets to fight the villain and, and you know, get away at least. I mean, she, she didn't defeat him, but, you know, it's like in, in the previous Clone Wars material, like the Dark Horse comics and stuff, like Grievous would have carved up a 14-year-old kid. But... um I'm just saying it's gone from that type of thing where like maybe some people would have had an issue with it or where you're like, oh, okay, I guess it's fine to now it's like you fully buy into it. And it's like everything that we've seen in her journey along the way. Um, I mean, that's what what I think makes Ahsoka so special as a character 
like just one of the main things in general, like is that we've seen so much progression from her, right? Like even from the beginning, whether it's her going up against powerful enemies or just her being, you know, annoying and bratty little snips, like a lot of people didn't like her character at first and she became more mature and more likable and more, more confident and capable as a Jedi along the way. And now we get to this point where all the, all that growth, all that development, all the things that she's learned, all the lessons from Anakin and Obi-Wan and all the things that she's had to, to learn and figure out on her own. She has to put all of that into play to survive, you know, her her toughest situation yet um yeah and it just it. <laughs> yeah it, it just it plays out so well yeah um and then of course so you know so maul's gone she and rex are down in this maintenance bay or whatever they're looking for another ship they can find and they find you know one y-wing that's not under maintenance um and so she she uses the force and tosses rex over to it because it's kind of suspended over this open like bay door or something um, and then before she can get to it, you know, she's still deflecting blaster fire from the clones and stuff. And like the, the bridge of the star destroyer explodes, sends everybody sliding across the floor and she's able to, you know, make it back to the ship jumps out and the, the controls fail or whatever. And the ship falls away. So she misses the ship and just falls out into the open air. Um, and now, you know, Rex has to take control of this Y-Wing and fly it back into the wreckage and just, again, just incredible visual scene. Um, and just like, just incredible nonstop, like thrilling action as, you know, first they're on the ship fighting clones and then the ship is falling and breaking apart and now they're free falling through the air and he's trying to guide the starfighter and she's trying to, you know, steady herself with the force and she's running along big chunks of debris and dodging bits and stuff. And, um, you know, finally he's able to to get under her he opens like that top bubble hatch on the y-wing and she you know guides herself in um and they make it safely and fly away and you know just the looks on their faces say so much of like Mm -hmm. you know just their relief and but like it's not like a a joyous victory you know it's just they're both kind of sitting there like like what the heck just happened and like what what comes next what does this mean for the galaxy like we survived but what about everybody else Kind of reminded me of Obi-Wan's reaction after he's leaving Mustafar and he just has like his eyes closed, his hand mm-hmm. like over his face, just like, oh, like what just happened? Like, oh man, <laughs> it's like they almost have that same reaction to that. But yeah, you were right. Just what a thrilling final action sequence to end the, not necessarily end the series on because of the last scene, but just the final action beat that we got in the Clone Wars. It was a thrilling one going back to the battle with the clones in the hangar and then it's leading to this thrilling uh, free, free fall, I guess, with the Y-Wing and Ahsoka and Rex trying to save her and help her do that. And one thing I forgot to mention too, but another sad aspect of this episode, man, it sucks seeing those droids getting gunned down by the clones. Oh, yeah. It was just hearing their reaction, even some putting like their joints, like their hands are up and they just, the clone just goes, take down those droids and just get blasted. that. This added more to the sadness of the episode <laughs> after doing such a great job and trying to help. Those successfully were heroes. Helping. Yes, they were. They died as heroes. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, such a... I'll take them over D-Squad any day. <laughs> well, let's not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just an amazing sequence all the way around. To, and the, 
when you're talking about action that the series has been known for, some amazing action. This sequence won't be the greatest action sequence of the Clone Wars, but yet one, again, that kept you at the edge of your seat, even though you know these characters are going to survive. It was just really some that kept your, obviously very attentive anyway, because it's the last episode of the Clone Wars, but one that just really kept your eyes glued to the screen as far as wondering how they're going to get out of this and just how this is going to be resolved and them escaping the events of order 66 and for it to come to a point where they just had to escape a Republic starter star almost crashing down into this planet and them having no way out, but kind of a wiring that's under maintenance and just the ship is falling apart around them. It was just thrilling to see it all play out and Rex being there for Ahsoka after, you know, she was there for him to get him out of order the inhibitor chip and being under the control of order 66 and him saving her life there as far as getting them both to safety off that republic ship and to that planet which i don't believe has been revealed yet right as far as what planet they're actually on no i don't think so first scene and i thought oh is this where we find rex gregor and wolf in rebels <laughs> like he just ends up staying there because it did kind of have a little bit of that atmosphere and terrain on mm-hmm. a few glances right away but I don't think it was. <laughs> I think it's made pretty clear that they leave and what they leave behind wasn't anywhere <laughs> to be seen on that planet that we saw in Rebels. But um, yeah, just uh, if it ended like that, it would be something where, man, it ended on a thrilling note. And we know our characters survive and we don't know what they're going to do next, but yet we're going to see them again in Rebels. But at the same time as I'm watching it, you know there's going to be a little scene or epilogue sort of moment here to yeah. wrap up the series in a very satisfying way and as i was seeing that moment of them in that wiring i was like okay this is it we're nearing the end of the clone wars how is dave filoni gonna end it i know he's gonna end it in a beautiful way but i don't know how and i'm not sure i'm ready for it yet though but here it comes <laughs> yeah no I, I felt the same way because i was watching it and i was like well that's basically the end of the story but i was like no i can't end right there like you need some kind of emotional like resolution um which we then got in the following scene where the because oh, yes. obviously you know they they fly away in the y-wing and you see the star destroyer go down behind them um and then it just fades to like the y-wing parked in front of the wreckage of the star destroyer and Rex is walking back to it, walking back to the Y wing with a shovel, and he, he puts it up on the ship, and then turns and looks back at Ahsoka, and she's wearing a cloak similar to like the one that we see her in at the end of Rebels, and just standing there looking over the wreckage and all these burial mounds, like all these graves that they've just dug for all the clone troopers, and each one, you know, they've got their helmets stuck in the ground on on sticks or whatever, um, and she's just you know just silently looking at at uh you know the graves of all these soldiers and you know there's no there's no dialogue there's this is like the complete opposite of the rebels finale where you Mm -hmm. know it's like sabine narrating and it's all you know hopeful and talking about where everybody went next um but this is just it's like a, a just sort of a somber moment of reflection of everything that's just happened um but, it, you know, it, it makes sense because, like, in this era, like, Revenge of the Sith doesn't end on a happy note. Yeah. Like, I mean, the hopeful note is is Luke and Leia being delivered to Tatooine and Alderaan and knowing that 
you know, in the next generation, like there will be a new hope. Um, but at the same time, like all the Jedi are wiped out, the empire is in power. Anakin has turned to the dark side and become Vader. Padme is dead. Um, and so this is very much in line with that where, you know, Ahsoka and Rex are alive and, you know, they can go on to, to whatever comes next for them. And they have at least a little bit of hope for now. Like they're not dead. Um, but at the same time, you know, just knowing that all the, the terrible things that have happened in the state that the galaxy is in now and having to bury all these guys that, you know, they viewed as, as brothers and friends and fellow soldiers, um, who, you know, even though they, they tried to kill them, they knew it was like out of their control. And so they still mourn that loss. Um, and it's, it's weird. It's a very sort of poignant scene that you can almost like put your own interpretation to as far as like what Ahsoka or Rex would be feeling in that moment, but also just panning over the, there's a shot where like Ahsoka's not even in it. And it's just sort of a, a close up like panning over all the helmets of the clone troopers. And it ends on uh, Jesse, of course, but you see a lot of the ones that are, you know, painted like uh, that still have like the Ahsoka helmets and stuff. And it's like, you know, it, it's almost like a, a farewell to the Clone Wars itself. Like, mm -hmm. even though our main characters were like Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, it's like the clones were such a vital part of that. And it's it's like laying that part of the story to rest now. Um, so just, you know, and even thinking about it now, it's it's one of those things that I kind of go back and forth on it. Like, it's it's so beautifully well done. But sometimes I think about the finale of Clone Wars and I go, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. And I, I can't believe we finally got these episodes and it was like just so beautiful and so well done. And other times I go, man, that was freaking sad though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to me, that's what part of what makes it so beautiful and perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, I absolutely love this ending and this sequence. First off, there's no dialogue and again, I was kind of expecting to have that final goodbye and parting ways of Rex and Ahsoka of them saying their goodbyes. And like I said, I think we event not eventually, but that moment happened earlier with them in the hangar before they set out their plan and what they're going to do. And the fact that we didn't get it here, um, it didn't bother me at all because it felt like a traditional Skywalker saga movie ending where most of them, the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker kind of uh, skimmed this a little bit, but how every Skywalker saga movie ended without dialogue. The last scene is hmm. no dialogue, just the music. And I felt that this is what Dave Filoni and crew were trying to do here. And the Clone Wars, like a Skywalker saga film would, was no dialogue, but just with music and just showing the characters. And I don't know, in this instance, having no dialogue actually spoke volumes if there was dialogue as far as what these characters are going through and mm -hmm. what this scene signifies and you hit the nail on the head to me, this final scene just meant so much to me as a star Wars fan. One, because it does signify the end of the clone wars, not just the series, but in the course of the saga, the end of the war in general. And when you look at it through the course of the series, just what these characters have been through, how much the clone troopers were such an integral part and characters we've come to know and love and how they were more than just soldiers who all looked the same and had the same personality and you didn't care if any of them died or got blasted because they're all the same character. It was the exact opposite of that. We cared so much about a lot of different clones. They have their own personalities that 
you come to love and just see how they interacted with each other and the Jedi. And even though obviously this graveyard here couldn't encompass all the clones <laughs> who got killed, but it just represented that this is an end of an era here. This is the Clone Wars is over. The galaxy is not going to be the same. The Empire is going to take over. And sadly, the clones are almost going to be forgotten. They played their part. Again, that's why I think the story of the clones might just be the most tragic in Star Wars, knowing that they were bred for war. That's all they were meant to do. But yet they did come to have view themselves as brothers, grow their own personalities, become their own individuals. And then when it just looked like the war might be over, they were going to have victory. They really turn into the puppets of Palpatine and for their grand design to be used in such a tragic way. And then for either most of them to be phased out or be killed by Jedi, it was just, it's just sad to know that this is where their story ends. And that image of the graveyard of all the clone trooper helmets just being posted there. It just, it just really hit me as a, as a star Wars fan and just a fan of the clones and of the series. It just was really powerful and just spoke volumes of just how tragic the story is and how somber this story of the clone Wars is ending, but it has to be that way. As you said, this is a very dark time for the galaxy. This, the dark times are happening now as Obi-Wan described it. And this is truly the end of an era, but an important one. And then I just, Look at it uh, from a fan perspective of watching this series for over 10 years of enjoying this content of Star Wars. Before this was, before we got the sequel trilogy and these other movies, this is the only Star Wars content that we've had as far as that we can watch. We had the comics and books, of course, but new Star Wars that was coming from George Lucas and mm -hmm. just creating such great memories <laughs> of watching the Star Wars stuff like never before and just seeing how amazing these stories ended up being and these characters ended up being and then just seeing again that image just speaks to me so much of those clone trooper helmets with jesse's and the bible first that has the paintings of ahsoka's color on there showing that respect but then turning on her but yet she's still showing them the respect they showed her by honoring them and burying them it was just so beautiful to see again and just thinking about my time watching the series and just what it means to me as a Star Wars fan. And I know you, Kyle, I know what it is for Paul and so many other Star Wars fans who watched this series and to have it end like this, it was kind of emotional to watch and sad, like I said, a somber, a somber notes to on. It was sad to say, sad to see, but yet it just felt so right for the story that had to be told in this mm -hmm. era of Star Wars. And I think Dave Filoni and the whole crew of Clone Wars just ended it in such a beautifully tragic way is the best way I could say it because it just felt so right for this for it to end the way it did, but yet be one that's not on a happy note. And what what sucks is because, as you mentioned at Revenge of the Sith, you have the hope of Luke and Leia that becomes the new hope in Episode Four. But for that Obi Wan and Yoda do see, but for Ahsoka and Rex, they don't know that. They think their whole world just collapsed and crashed in front of them, literally crashed <laughs> mm -hmm. around them. <laughs> and they don't know what's in store for the galaxy. They don't have that hope. And that's why it's just such a bummer to see that the story, this is how the Sto Clone War story ends in such a tragic way. But thankfully for us as viewers, we know that they eventually do get that 
um, I don't know if you'd call it a happy ending, but a happy reunion in Rebels later on once they see each other again. And just how more special and powerful it makes that moment in that episode where Rex sees Ahsoka and she just jumps into his arms and hugs him after maybe not seeing him since this moment here in this final scene of Clone Wars. I think that's yeah. probably well, the I outcome. Ass- I assume they probably go off together somewhere. I mean, obviously they part ways at some point, but I don't think Rex is going to, you know, get in the Y-Wing and take off and just leave Ahsoka there. Um, so I, I would assume they're together maybe for a little bit longer after this. I don't know exactly when they part ways, but... Um, Not much, yeah. yeah. It won't be that much longer. But again, yeah, it's just... I cannot be more pleased with the ending. I'm happy with the ending, even though it's not a happy ending. <laughs> it just feels so right for this to, for the story of the Clone Wars to end on this note, because that's how Revenge of the Sith kind of ends, and this period of Star Wars is in these dark times. So it only mm-hmm. felt right that the series leading up to that dark time would end this way too, and that would have been a great ending on its own. But it gets even better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, first of all, just to echo everything you just said, like, yeah, it was certainly not the happiest ending, but like it had to end that way Um, Mm -hmm. and leaves you kind of sad afterwards, but definitely grateful that we got the ending that we did. And, you know, and again, you think about it and you're like, oh, dang, that was sad. But it's like, well, what else were you expecting? Like, we know what happens in in this story and in this era. um, And it kind of had to wrap up like that. But um, just, you know beautifully tragic and and fitting and just perfect for the story that they were telling. Um, But then of course, you know, Dave Filoni's always got to blow your mind one more time. (laughs) And so it's just, you know, on this image. Oh, and then, so of course, as Ahsoka is looking at the clone helmet, she, she lets her lightsaber fall from her hand. Um, And I think that's kind of symbolic of just like, you know, leaving that part of her life behind her. Um, And obviously she's, she's, probably at least contemplating like leaving the the Jedi. Well, I mean, she already is, is no longer a Jedi technically, but she's like, I can't be carrying this anymore. Like they're going to be coming after me. Yeah. Um, you know, just leaving that whole, whole Jedi way behind her and that whole part of her life is, as you know, fighting in the clone wars and all that kind of stuff leaves the lightsaber there. Uh, and then it fades to years later and we see uh, an Imperial shuttle coming down on the moon, snow covered. It's funny. I saw somebody uh, tweeting about it or something and they were like, you know, congratulations to this massive achievement on the Clone Wars. It took, you know, 44 years or something for us to finally get a planet in Star Wars where the seasons change. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw that too. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this Imperial shuttle comes down Um we see the planets covered in snow and now you see Imperial stormtroopers, snow troopers, probe droids walking around and you're like, oh, I mean, obviously immediately we know the, the time period that we're in now or at least part of it. And it's like, oh, we're transitioning into the Empire. And no sooner had I thought, oh, what if we saw Vader that you hear the, vo- <laughs> the, the breathing and you see the black boots walking through the snow, um, walking up toward the crash Star Destroyer. And, um, again, still no dialogue. Um, and he just, he kneels down in the snow, picks up the lightsaber, ignites it, looks up in the sky and sees the, the owl, the convoy circling around that we know is associated with Ahsoka from rebels. 
And then he just turns the, you know, turns the lightsaber off, turns and walks away. And you see his reflection walking away in the visor of a clone trooper helmet that's still buried there. Uh. <laughs> and it's just, ugh. okay. So first of all, I mean, obviously yet another just like beautifully symbolic moment that you can kind of like read your own meaning into. I mean, there's no dialogue. There's not really a lot of like plot or anything happening here, but very, you know, symbolic of, of Vader and the man he used to be in his relationship with Ahsoka and everything he went through in the clone wars. Um, especially with, with that last shot, seeing, you know, a, a, the visor of a clone trooper helmet with the reflection of Darth Vader walking away. It's like, just sort of like, this is what has come of all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question I want to ask you, when do you think that scene takes place? See, I don't think it takes place very long after the Empire becomes in power. I want to say just a few years, really, because I definitely think it happens before Twilight of the Apprentice. I've seen some debate and wondering if that's the case, because I think Vader learns that this is where the Republic cruiser that Ahsoka and Rex were on was last seen or was told this is where the crash site and where that ship ended up and probably had to see if Ahsoka survived there and for him to investigate. And I think once he picks up the lightsaber, I do think he takes it to mean that she's dead because I just think about the line in um, the siege of Lothal when he realizes it has that connection with Ahsoka where he goes, the apprentice lives kind of having that little Mm -hmm. bit of surprise that she did survive this. And I'm wondering, or the way I'm taking it is that him finding the lightsabers is him realizing that Ahsoka probably died in this crash or was killed by the clones. And this is all that remains of her. So I do think it takes place not too long after that, the events, maybe just a few years at the longest, but definitely before twilight of the apprentice. I don't think it was, he fought Ahsoka in twilight of the apprentice and then wanted to go back to the wreckage of the remains of that ship to maybe see, to gather any clues if she went back there for whatever reason to see if she survived their encounter, because I think he would have went there first and foremost and got the lightsaber and held onto it mm-hmm. and not just go there years after, but he would, like I said, want to see if she survived and was still alive. So I think it's pretty early on in the days of the empire. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point that like it could be early on in the empire because I mean, obviously first thing he does when he comes out as Vader is he's like, where's Padme? Is she okay? Um, so it does stand to reason that he also would want to go looking for Ahsoka because he cared about her too. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think it definitely takes place before twilight of the apprentice. My other theory is that this could take place before twilight of the apprentice, but after the siege of Lothal. So when he senses her Mm. for the first time, and, you know, goes, the oh, the apprentice lives. Then he goes looking for clues. And maybe, you know, just like Ahsoka sensed him, but then was like, you know, she kind of went on her own little mission and, and was looking for stuff about the Sith and didn't really realize it was Anakin till later um, that maybe, you know, Vader senses that and goes, well, yeah, whatever did happen to my apprentice and like starts, you know, looking for clues then. Um or, or, you know, maybe he just like read in a report that she died. And so he went to investigate it himself personally or something like that. Um, 
So yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that. I mean, that seems like Probably the kind not, of thing that's yeah. intentionally sort of subjective because again, you can kind of put your own meaning onto it. Um, I think like for fans that maybe have like are watching Clone Wars for the first time and have never seen Rebels, I think this is kind of a foreshadowing that maybe, you know, now that it's the time of the Empire and, and Vader's around, it's like just a, a sort of foreshadowing, like an indication that he still remembers her and that, you know, these two characters are still aware of each other and, you know, sort of hinting at a confrontation to come that we, of course, already know happens, but... Um, but also, yeah, just with, with him, you know, remembering her and sort of looking at that saber and, and reflecting on everything, but also I mean, that convoy flying around, that always is sort of like a, a precursor, like an indication of sort of things to come with Ahsoka. So, yeah. um, I mean, you just can't help but wonder what's going through Vader's mind <laughs> during that whole instance. And boy, his model looked fantastic. It looked incredible. <laughs> Man, and just that image of, like, his model looked incredible, but just him from the back with, like, just the cape and him holding out the blue lightsaber. Yeah. Like, I'm probably going to change my, my Twitter cover picture to that in, you know, a week or two when everybody's had a chance to see it. Because I was like, I want, I need that on something immediately, but I don't want to spoil it for people. I was wondering, are we going to see Vader's face in this? Are we just going to get the behind perspective of just showing his back? But, man, once we saw his full face as he's looking at the convoy, it was like, wow. They got the red eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even that, that sort of see-through yeah, red lenses like from a new make out Anakin's eyes a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those instances where I talk about in the movies where you see the emotion on Vader's face even through the helmet. And you got that in that one shot here, just the emotion that he has. I think just that reflectiveness that he's probably having during this moment of his time with Ahsoka and the Clone Wars. And I just think it really is important that we got a moment with Anakin here, because as we talked about over the course of Siege of Mandalore, even though Anakin wasn't in it a whole lot, his he was such a focal point of the story for so many characters and the motivations for characters and just the presence of Anakin was felt, even though he was not there throughout the course of these episodes. And knowing what happened to Anakin at the end of the Clone Wars becoming Darth Vader, it felt only right that we had to see him as Vader at the very end of the series. And again, as you mentioned, the very final shot of the episode of seeing a Vader walk away through the reflection of a clone trooper helmet, it just perfectly encompasses of what the Clone Wars ultimately was all about, just an end to a means or a means to an end for Palpatine to become in power. Mm -hmm. And it just sucks that that's what the Clone Wars was for and what the clones ultimately were used for. And you said it perfectly as it, it was symbolic to see that through the eyes of a clone trooper helmet of their actions led to this, the formation of the empire of Darth Vader and this, evil in the galaxy now with the reign of Palpatine as the emperor. And it was all because of this war and the role that the clones played in that. It just, again, makes it such a tragic, sad ending to their story. But yet uh, it was just a great fitting way to have the Clone Wars end with that final shot, but knowing that this is all where it led to. And yeah, it was just something that stuck with you. 
it stuck with me. It stuck with my brothers as we were watching it together, where it was like, man, it's just that special feeling you get after you've seen something great in Star Wars that it just sticks with you for that night, a few days. I know it did for me. It's all I kept thinking about when I went to sleep at work the next day, just thinking about how poignant and significant that ending was. I don't know if I've stopped thinking about it. That is, that's a good point, <laughs> really. But just what a great, powerful moment for Star Wars in general. I'm just talking about everything, mm-hmm. movies, the series, books, whatever. Obviously nothing. When you're talking about books and comics, they don't quite reach the same level as the movies and TV shows do. But Clone Wars does reach that level of specialness that the movies do on occasion, more than occasion, a lot, actually. But this is one of the most powerful ones where it just right up there with any moment in the in any of the movies that really sticks with you and is such a great, powerful moment in Star Wars that for me, and I know I'm sure a lot of people just makes you realize that there's nothing better than Star Wars when it's told in a matter like this in the way that the Siege of Mandalore and these final episodes of these final scenes were where just really nothing compares to Star Wars when it's told on a level like this with the love and care that Clone Wars has been. And this final, these final scenes here encompass, encompass that like few others do in Star Wars, in my opinion. And that's just what makes it so special and to me the perfect ending for what was such an amazing series. Absolutely. I mean, well said. And it's not just the ending either. I mean, like you said, just the the love and care that's gone into the show since the beginning, and especially over this final arc. You know, it would be one thing if we had, you know, the final arc was like decent episodes, pretty good episodes with some fun action scenes and stuff, and it just ended with a mind-blowing, you know, final shot. But no, just the fact that that was just the topper on four episodes of some of the most thrilling and emotional and deep and meaningful and, you know both triumphant and heartbreaking uh, Star Wars stories that we've ever had in any medium. Um, It's just just a perfect way to cap off what has been um, obviously one of my favorite Star Wars stories with, you know, the the Clone Wars overall. Um, I mean, I would say specifically the Siege of Mandalore is definitely one of my favorite Star Wars stories, but uh, I mean, you guys know how meaningful Clone Wars is to me and um, just, how much I've loved the series over the years since, you know, the very beginning. I'm not one of those people that, you know, hated the movie or hated it in the early seasons and eventually came around to it. I mean, I've been ride or die since day one. I saw the Clone Wars movie three times in the theater. So, nice, yeah. um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I know, it's to, almost out of way, kind of like a badge of honor for those who were there for the beginning to see the movie mm-hmm. in theaters. Cause again, it's awesome for anyone to come into Clone Wars at any period, but, to be there at the very beginning and then to get a moment like this, as far as the finale go, it just makes it that much more special to know yeah. that we've been through this from day one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I and I was sitting there watching it with my sister who's right there with me. I'm pretty sure we saw it together, maybe not opening night, but I know we definitely saw it in the theater together at some point. Um, and, you know, this final shot, I mean, she was crying. I was applauding loudly. Uh, probably waking people up at, you know, 1230 in the morning, but, um, it was just, 
I mean, it's it's crazy, man. It's weird to think that Clone Wars is over now. Like, you know, for as disappointed as we all were when the show was canceled to have it finally come back and get a proper conclusion now, it's like, it's almost like, what is life going to be like when we're not hoping for an ending to Clone Wars? I know, right? You know, it's like, oh, we got the ending. It's here. Like, that. that was what we wanted. And it was everything we could have hoped for and yet you know also like i said it's it's almost weird when it ends on kind of like a a somber note like that it's like oh i guess i wasn't expecting to be sad afterwards but you know like it makes sense at the same time but um no but i i absolutely love it i mean i i you know aside from maybe like a couple tiny nitpicks that you and i had here or there um i really think these are some of the best episodes, some of the best work they've ever done on the show. Um, and some of my favorite star Wars stories ever. And some of my favorite star Wars characters ever. I mean, honestly, I love the character of Ahsoka, but these episodes also for me really elevated captain Rex, like especially that scene when they're in the hangar and you know, when she takes the helmet off and he's, he's crying and everything. I mean, the clone wars already did a great job of giving the clones like individuality and personality and humanity and stuff. But um, I think like to me, maybe in my mind, like it's still kind of easy to just like lump Rex and all the other clones together. But then suddenly when you see Rex standing with Ahsoka against all of the other clones, it really makes him stand out as his own individual character. Um, and I'm like, man, I don't know where I would rank, you know, Rex on my rankings of like all time favorite Star Wars characters, but he definitely just jumped up a few spots. Yeah, I know he's definitely in my top 10. I mean, he always has been, but now he might even been higher in my top 10 list of Star Wars characters. So, yeah, <laughs> just echo everything you said there about just what it did for these characters, this era of Star Wars. I think it was probably my favorite era after getting these stories and expanding on it ever since the prequels. But I think without question, I can definitively say now that the prequel slash Clone Wars era is my favorite era of Star Wars with oh, this type here. of storytelling that we got. There's this from what Lucas started, it's going back from episode one, the plan the, that he laid out for to get to this point in the original trilogy, I just think is genius as far as how the Clone Wars was orchestrated, how Palpatine played both sides. There's just so many layers that go into this era of Star Wars that just make it, I think, some of the best Star Wars storytelling out there. And Again, these episodes and just the Clone Wars series in general exemplified that and just goes so well when you watch the prequels and you watch the Clone Wars. It's just some of the best Star Wars you're going to get. Yeah, definitely. I actually still have yet to watch Revenge of the Sith again since the Clone Wars finished. I'm probably going to do that this weekend. Me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, all that's left that I can say is just thank you to Dave Filoni and the entire cast of, of voice actors and, you know, crew people and, and animators and writers and everybody that worked on this show and made it as fantastic as it was. Um, and I can't wait to see where they go from here and what they do next and, and what kind of great Star Wars content we get after this. I know, honestly, there are a lot of people that are still saying, you know, it used to be save the Clone Wars and I'm already seeing people now saying complete the Clone Wars and they want to go back and get all the episodes <laughs> from like season seven and eight. Um, and I mean, I don't think that'll happen, but I, I didn't think we would get a full season seven either. I was hopeful that one day we might get Siege of Mandalore, but back when everybody was, was hashtagging save the Clone Wars, I mean, as much as I would have loved nothing more, I was like, 
guys, we got to let it go. Like they're already moving on to rebels. Like, you know, it's, it's canceled. It's done. I almost like just didn't want to get my hopes up. Like I was trying to just be realistic and, and yet here we are. And, and you know, they listened to those people and I'm so, so grateful they did. So, um, I mean, I certainly would not be opposed to more clone wars, but also I feel like after having such a definitive ending, you know, I, I think moving on to other stories and other characters and time periods and stuff would not be bad either. So, um, but regardless, you know, Dave Filoni's a genius. I'm I'm happy that we still have him involved in Star Wars with the Mandalorian and whatever he's cooking up next. So, um, I don't know, just just grateful for everybody involved and grateful that we got these final episodes of Clone Wars. Yep. I mean, if you think back to 2008 when the Clone Wars movie first premiere the first season was getting started and we're introduced to these characters of ahsoka and rex and we're all thinking but wait what happens to them during revenge of the sith i mean how are they going to explain that or like what's going to be the reasoning why is george lucas introducing these characters knowing that they're nowhere to be found in episode three and boy little did we know back then that the (laughs) answer to that question would be some of the greatest Star Wars storytelling ever. Little <laughs> did we characters. know that it would involve Ahsoka and Rex fighting Darth Maul resurrected <laughs> with robot legs on Mandalore and then having to like take organic brain chips out of the clones to prevent them from doing Order 66. Like, you know, so many things along the way that on paper would be like, what? But they made it work. Like, it's yeah. just the creative genius of, of George Lucas and of Dave Filoni for being able to translate that to the screen and, and just make these stories lovable and believable and then uh, just do a great job executing some great Star Wars storytelling. Yeah, and just to echo what you said, just so thankful that we got the conclusion that the Clone Wars more than deserved and to have it not only live up to expectations but surpass them is just a feat in itself because, man, these expectations were pretty darn high for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, we hyped this up like nobody's business. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, I'm almost surprised that we didn't come away disappointed, and I think it's a testament to the greatness of the show that, um, you know, I mean, I feel like every Star Wars movie, like from Force Awakens through Rise of Skywalker, I've said this before, I usually enjoy it more the second time around because the first time my expectations are so high that I'm like, okay, it wasn't that good but now let me just go enjoy it for like what it was instead of what i wanted it to be i didn't really have that with clone wars now you kind of have a better expectation of what to expect because we've been following the show for so long anyways and it took our ideas of what the show had been and just kicked it up a notch from you know the music and the visuals and the the animation and cinematography to the storytelling and the voice acting and everything in these final episodes was the best it's ever been um so that made it kind of hard to like overestimate it, but still it just, it delivered on all fronts. Yeah. Without question. And yeah, just so thankful that we got this because I was, I for one was at a point that didn't think we were going to get this, but then became hopeful as these teases and revelations that Dave would give about the siege of Mandalore and then dropping little uh, name drops about it in, certain episodes of rebels and references here and there got me hopeful and wishful that we would at least get this story told in some way and eventually to a point where man it seems like this has to be told in something bigger than a comic or a novel so maybe we'll get a standalone movie or release for it and the fact that we got a whole season's worth of clone wars and for it to be capped off with this 
amazing final four episodes. It's just, yeah, it couldn't have gone any better than what we got. And for that, I am extremely thankful that the Clone Wars was saved and what we got was pretty darn incredible. Here, here. Um, well, I think we've said just about all there is to be said for now. Man, can you yeah, imagine? For if, now. Can you imagine if Paul was here? Like this would have been <laughs> as long as our Rise of Skywalker review. Probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think since it's getting late and I'm losing my voice, I know we still have like some some listener comments and stuff uh, to read, but I think maybe we'll save those for our next episode because Paul also still has to come back and give his thoughts on on Clone Wars. So we'll do like a Clone Wars Part Two uh, follow up along with you know, maybe any other news that comes out between new and uh, between now and then, but we'll try to do that soon so we can get yeah. uh, you guys' thoughts on it as well. Um, if you guys got any more thoughts after listening to this massive episode, be sure to send them whether an email or tweet us. <laughs> any yeah. Any thoughts you want to share on this episode, spoilers or not, <laughs> you could go crazy. On oh that, yeah. We so. never, we never did give a spoiler warning. I think people, when they see the four hour runtime, yeah. they'll figure <laughs> that, you know, we didn't spend four hours giving a spoiler free review. That's um, but, but yeah, you know, if you guys do want to uh, tweet at us or send us any additional comments or anything like that, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. Uh, send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com for all of our latest episodes and news stories and stuff. Um, also, if you enjoy the show um, and you haven't given us a review on iTunes or, or uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, we'd enjoy or appreciate uh, you giving us a shout out on there as well. Um, and then, uh, of course, be sure to check out all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network at uh, www.thunderquack.com. Um, but that is going to do it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, hope you all enjoyed the finale of Clone Wars as much as we did. Um, it's been an awesome ride, uh, and just, uh, you know, super grateful that we got to finish it and that we get to talk about it with all you guys. We'll be back soon with some more fun Star Wars discussion, but until then, thanks again for listening. We will see you guys next time and may the force be with you. And since Paul's not here to say his trademark Godspeed Rebels, I think it'd be fitting to end this with a Clone Wars line. So I'll just say, good soldiers follow orders. <laughs>